Hello and welcome to another episode of the Underhive Law Keepers podcast, the number one Necromunda law podcast recorded exclusively in the language of the Pan-Pacific Empire, English. As always, <laughs> I am Spamuel, and to my right, the misanthropic missionary manvent himself, Nathan. Right. I'm good, mate. I'm mildly concerned that you're running out of M-words. Oh, no. I actually got myself a thesaurus, and there are really? some awesome... There are some really words. rare bones, actually. There are some great, great words. I'm ignoring the thesaurus reference <laughs> that I just made. <laughs> Thesaurus. It's just, it's just it's just this really like nerdy loser dinosaur that none yeah. of the other dinosaurs wanted to hang out with. But it told everybody about the meteor. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. Just look up. You can't look no, up like dogs. No thesaurus. Nobody cares about your space rock, mate. <laughs> you big nerd. <laughs> you big dork. <laughs> so um, question was, how am I? Yeah, how are you? Derailed already, folks. Derailed. Um, I've been here for two minutes. <laughs> um, how Gang am I? idea. Gang idea. Just trains that derail. Perfect. Just, yeah. um, how am I? I how am. Are you? I'm doing well. Um, I'm still in recovery from seven hours of power, but thankfully, folks, um, you'll be happy to know we've got about fourteen hours planned for this episode. <laughs> So strap yourselves in for at least a week. No, I've already got uh, messages from a couple of people who've finished it, and I'm just like, dude, stop, go outside. Go outside. <laughs> it is, you, you need to do something else. Even as much as I love talking and hearing my own voice, even I can't knock it out in a work day, mate. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Right. No, I've, I'm... <laughs> I guess people should know this. We do listen to the podcast ourselves after the fact. It is incredibly uh, narcissistic, I guess, but but it just allows us to, um, you know, work out the kinks for next time. And I, even at this stage, I'm still not through, um, I reckon, probably half of it, I don't think. That he's uh, actually talking about the first half of a t brief 10,000-year history. He's really yeah. poor. <laughs> yeah, I've dropped the ball big time. But... Um, yeah, we do. We do listen to our own podcasts, and just uh, reaffirms the point that we both love our own voices. Oh, massively, massively. <laughs> um, I just I stand there in the mirror, just coming up with introductions and M words. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if you can keep doing more M words, respect to you. I guess you've got a massive multitude of them. It's two M words, maybe. <laughs> oh, so we did a seven and a half hour episode and the feedback so far on it has been fantastic um except one piece where someone was just like your gang ideas sucked but the content was great i'm sort of like how do you believe goliaths in monocles and top hats suck <laughs> Gang ideas suck. <laughs> no. I'm not going to take it personally. I'm taking it personally, but I'm going to outwardly say, I don't take that personally. That doesn't hurt at all. 
No, it, it was someone I've spoken to a few times uh, via our Instagram. And they were just like, man, the, the gang ideas just were not at what I was expecting. And I immediately went, I'm sorry, Goliaths in monocles. And you just went, okay, yeah, that was pretty rad. I'll give you yeah, that. exactly. But the Arantian succession is much bigger than just gang ideas. And when we're able to fill... Basically, from well, at least in Australia, your entire average work day with just an episode, and I didn't even go on a carrioted rant once. You sure? Nah, I, I, I came. I came close. Yeah, it's close enough for me. At no point did we have to pause recording because I was, you know, <laughs> I was standing on my chair again <laughs> on the soapbox. Anyway, how are you, brother? I'm good. I'm good. good. Um, yeah. No, no, I'm not. Oh, I okay. am. I'm upset. Oh, okay. Uh, which I'm is gravely concerned. It's an excellent segue into the once again return of a fan favorite segment, the Spamuel Corrections. Yes. So this one's actually. All on me. That's pretty, pretty you, standard. Do you remember, uh, and I'm going to say quite possibly the greatest gang idea ever to come out of Underhive Lawkeepers, the Timmy Town Locos? I do. They were cool. They were the um, poison shooting pains of, yeah, yeah, yeah. pains we, in the bum. They're, they're basically the personification of the concept of dick move. Yeah. Well, Friend of the show and friend of us both in real life, Power Hungry Monkey eighty four, reached out to me, and was basically laughing via text, going, "You realise the Timmy Town Locos is just a blatant ripoff of the Morty Town Locos from Rick and Morty." And I've clicked, and I'm just like, "Oh yeah, it is." And then almost pre-planned, you know, like a bunch of nomads in the ash wastes. I had about five different messages from different people all saying, hey, do you remember when you came up with the name Timmy Town Locos? Nah, man, you've stolen that from Rick and Morty. <laughs> so, scummers, I've never heard of Rick and Morty before. Rick and Morty doesn't exist. You're all imagining it. It is 100% original Uncle Spaniel approved. So... Uh -huh. That's, uh, yeah, so it turns out I'm blatantly ripping off Rick and Morty. I was Morty. just going to say, you are currently wearing a Rick and Morty t-shirt, so it's pretty hard to make that sell. <laughs> okay, well, I'm not, but I am drinking my feelings away, so we'll, we'll call it even. <laughs> so this episode's Spam Your Correction, uh, yeah, it's all on me. But apart from that, I am great. Wait, I am... Can we just backtrack a little bit here so there was no corrections for me yet again? I'm not saying that there were no corrections for you, simply that no one has picked up on them yet. <laughs> that really hurts, that answer, but yeah, no, fair enough. That was a good answer. I like that. <laughs> I thought, I thought so. Otherwise, you're good. Otherwise, yeah, you are good. I'm good. I'm good. Um, I am uh, currently... I actually got a little bit of hobby done this week, um, mm -hmm. working on just more 
just I don't know what they are. There's you know, there's an astropath that I'm building here. I'm working on Ashwaste Nomad. Of course, I'm working on a couple of squats that'll never get painted. You know, it's yeah, it's just a cacophony of uh, different hobby projects going on all at once. And now I'm going to ignore them for the next few days while we record and edit another episode. <laughs> Come back to them with like revitalized energy, I guess. But I will say you're for use of a bit of term, astropath, because it doesn't quite strike me as an astropath, but um, it looks amazing. I, I really love it. I think it it's um, what we mentioned in the previous episode, that sort of Lady Hera-esque type feel and vibe to it, where it's just um, really over-the-top Imperial Gothic. Um, yeah, pop it up on Instagram, man. It, it looks really awesome. I'd love to see what other people think as well. Oh, thanks, bud. I'm still going to call out any spam your corrections for you, but you know what? I won't do it with as, with as much obvious mirth and, uh, you know, hatred of you, I guess. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> you should just attach them on big banners to airships. There are airships in this episode. <laughs> there actually are. Like... Yeah. Someone, did, someone also did question about Stratoplane. Someone asked... Um, whether or not they were like little biplanes or if I thought they were bigger, we get an answer to that this episode. We do. And yeah. it's awesome. I want a Stratoplane model. I want one bad. Gang warfare on the back of a plane, eh? <laughs> Campaign idea. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so before we go much further, down a, another campaign or gang idea. <laughs> Um, guys, please remember that we do have our socials going. So our Instagram, our Facebook, um, please jump on there, throw us a follow or a subscribe, whatever it might be. And um, if you want to show your appreciation for the pod, you can always support us via Patreon, which uh, I believe we're going to be adding a lot more content to recent, uh, in the near future, aren't we, Sam? Yes, so young Nathan and myself have been hard at work and we will be having a hopefully a decent amount of Patreon-exclusive content coming out as of January. So when this episode comes out late December, you should only be a week or two away from some of that. So, yeah, please get on board. If you're interested in getting exclusive Patreon content from us, it will be available to you there. Let's hook in, hey? Let's get, get into our 14 hours that we've got ahead of us. All right, and that is a joke, everybody. Time. We're not doing yeah. 14 hours, seven yeah. hours nearly ruined my work and home life, so yeah. we're not doing seven, we're not doing 14. Weirdly enough, we're, we're currently sleeping on each other's couches, it's, <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how it's worked out, but it's, it's quite comfortable. You got a nice couch, mate. Thanks. Yeah, I did use your pillow. I'm sorry, dude. Oh, um, that's fine. That's kind of yeah. fine. I thought, well, kind of hoped you would. <laughs> well, let's have a look at the events of the succession so far. Now, we're not going to talk about everything we talked about at the beginning of that first episode. We're really just going to give you some dot point style notes here. Now, the most important one, in my personal opinion, is planetary governor Gerontius Helmore 
almost dying and being wounded mortally to the point where he needed to be put into a stasis casket. So the Imperial House has been thrown into a massive disarray with, from last count, I believe 13 of his children are currently um, resting in pieces. 12 of (laughs) those at the hands of that beautiful psychopath, Lady Hera Helmore. Yes, yeah. And we'll get into her. She's oh. um, what we what we touched on in the last episode. Um, yeah, it really gets expanded upon and just shows that uh, element that you're talking about there, the psychopathic Coco Bananas uh, Helmorian. 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 Yeah. That's go, nice. <laughs> Well, yeah, we have those. And then just quickly pour one out for our boy Angry Goat. Copying a real gun fisting from Jenga. And <laughs> yeah, the, the Helmore kids are currently down almost 50%. Yeah, true. Almost, yeah. It was 27 or something, wasn't it? Yeah. It was 30. 17 boys, 30. 13 girls. Oh, uh, yeah. That's where I got the seven from, 17. Yeah. Right. And so I guess the other major event was the the Escher Civil War. The the house is in complete strife at this stage because of the the split internally and they're probably the most prominent and and the powerful section of the house choosing to turn on itself, which is the clan chemists, um, creates just a, an incredibly hostile environment for the house. But Escher still, as we as we see in the previous episode, still prevail to a degree, I guess, and that's uh obviously due to their alliance with Lady Credo. Which is annoying because I think, uh, you know, Matriarch Primus Sinus with uh, her alliance with House Goliath really had all the hallmarks for coming at it on top of that civil war. It just... I guess oh, they did. It just wasn't meant to be. They did. If, if, if House Helmore or one of the other noble houses was in a position to provide the right amount of support for Goliath and the breakaway Escher. I think you probably would have seen them in the more dominant and powerful position because they had everything for them. They had all the chems they needed. They had all the weapons they needed. They had the right-sized army. They just didn't have that noble backing that um, Credo is able to bring towards the Escher. Yeah, well, you aren't wrong. Well, speaking of leadership and noble backing, the change in leadership of House Goliath with my boy Jangard Gunfist getting in there, taking out Varen Gore, and becoming the new over-tyrant of House Goliath, and then immediately taking control of Varen's plan to capture Cinderax City with that army of Goliath just running roughshod across anyone who defied them across all of Necromunda. It was beautiful. Once again, pour one out for our boy Angry Goat. Yeah. Unfortunately, copping that gun fisting very early on. <laughs> it's true. Like when, when we, and it's not something that we mentioned earlier um, in the previous episode, when we talk about the um the the attack on Cinderac City. 
when I reflected on it later, I was like, it's just like the scene from Mad Max where they're all chasing after Furiosa. And, yeah. yeah. And it's, but imagine it tenfold. So it's it, it just a monster amount of vehicles of all different shapes and descriptions and heaps of ridge haulers pouring across the horizon at this city. It was a, a very cinematic part of of the book, but also just in Necromunda in general. Um, we don't get these vast movements of uh, personnel like mentioned in Necromunda or mentioned in that kind of detail either. So to have that just makes you feel like you're reading about an army rather than just a gang or a conflict. And speaking of conflict, uh, they failed. Classic Goliath. (laughs) (laughs) Too much muscle, not enough brain. Exactly. But, yes, you're absolutely right. They did fail. Uh, The Escher and Orlok and Scummer and Medina Alliance, as well as those five random corridor that nobody really wanted there, but they were there anyway, except that one badass preacher that set himself on fire. The old pyre. The old pyre. <laughs> he was awesome. He was, he was awesome. very cool. He was very cool. Uh, but... He was very hot at the end of it. But ah, they, did there. they managed to come out on top. They pushed back the Goliath army and with assistance from Lady Credo. I was about to say. Mysterious allies. You need to mention, like you, the way you were saying it was like, oh, yeah, no, they, they just pushed back the, um, the Escher. No, no, no. Lady no. Credo rocked up with an army with seven pointed stars all over them. Um, and that was the reason they were driven back because they not only were, I, I actually don't know if we they're outnumbered, but they were most certainly outgunned. They didn't have the same tech that this army had. The Goliath, were, sorry. The Goliath outnumbered them. I think it was like three to one or something when the attack started. Yeah, yeah. So it really depends on how many numbers were added from Lady Credo's army. But the, as I said, the Credo's army was techni- technologically more superior. Oh, man. I'm really hoping we get some more of them real soon. So you reckon they're Bansar, yeah? Well, technologically advanced. Um, you know, they they also seem to be pretty snappy dresses. That screams <laughs> Bansar to be. It didn't mention anything about them being full of horrible tumours, but I'm, it's not polite to bring it up in conversations. I can't imagine <laughs> they'd be talking about it too openly. Yeah, no, fair enough. The Escher sort of noticed their little extra lumpy bits on their, their head and they're just like... Ah, oh, that's all right. They just saved our lives. Lives. We'll leave them alone. We'll we'll give them an hour before we start viciously mocking them for it. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty much got us up to date of where we are within the Aranthian succession. Um, Is there anything else? Oh, I don't the, think so. The nobles are all killing each other, but that's kind of uh, normal. That's. Yeah. I guess it's highlighted now. And then I guess the other thing is that the great darkness. That's right. The planet's cooling, and there's oh. a storm covering like 114% of the planet. And oh. oh, the nomads are somehow managing to synchronize attacks against everyone. And yeah. um... it's interesting, though, the, the four points that we pick out here 
Durant is being nearly killed, the internal strife of the Escher, the Goliath, I guess, instability and the the battle for Cinderac City are the four big points. And yet it's quite easy to mention a whole nest of other things that are going on during this period of time as well. It's almost like you can't just do dot points on what happens in an mm. seven and a half hour episode of Necromunda Law. All right, new plan. We're going to do a three hour breakdown of everything that's going on in the last seven and a half hours. So, what color top hats would those Goliath be wearing? Good night, Sam. <laughs> 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 no chance, well, buddy. <laughs> but, you know, you're right. There is, there are so many different points we can talk about. But oh. yeah, those are really the big four, uh, as well as the extra three. I think we just mentioned then. Oh. But that is cool because that was last episode. And if you're unsure of anything, please reach out to us under HiveLawKeeps at gmail dot com or on any of our socials and. Yeah, you'll most likely be talking to me because I'm on my phone too much at work. <laughs> Spoken like a true electrician. <laughs> in the meantime, no. Let's hook in, eh? Yeah, I bet we start episode two. Absolutely. In the wake of the Battle of Cinderac City, Credo and her allies moved to consolidate their power. While Hera Helmore retreats to the spire to plot her next move. Meanwhile, in the wastes, the war continues between the clan houses, with Goliath, Escher and Orlok road gangs at the forefront of the fighting across the great equatorial wastes. So I guess this is just the the broad brushstroke of what's going on and the current state of it. Um, a little bit too... To pick apart here, but there's we're, we're going to talk a little bit about a few events that are clearly not mentioned in that small section from from the read. Most notably about our good old mate uh, Van Zepp. He deserves a mention, doesn't oh. get a mention, but we'll we'll get to him. His 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 name and title is Narco Lord Balthazar Van Zepp. My, my on, apologies, mate. my apologies. You keep that respect in your mouth. He is not a man to be trifled with. <laughs> Otherwise known as Mad Dog McRae. Yeah. <laughs> Well, where do we start with this one here? So the big one, I think, is starting with Lady Hera and just what she's doing. Like it says there, she retreats back to the Spire and is really just looking around at what what she's attempting to inherit here and the insanity she is stepping into. And you just, you need to look at it in the mindset of, she thought this was going to be a lot easier than it really is because, you know, Bronte gets shanked and you organise for the unfortunate unliving of a dozen of your nearest and dearest. Yeah. really putting yourself as the preeminent member of the family with that sort of uh, that um, neon sign above them that says, get out of my way. Yeah, 100%. If, if you're looking at it and you're going, hey, yeah, I'm one of 30 and oh. you know, 13 of them have just been iced, 
when I know that one of my sisters has just taken out a dozen of our kin, what's what's that, like, Hera? You want you want me to go to Trazor? You want to go hang out at Trazor? You got it. You <laughs> you want to announce my name and title and literally just leave and continue to be alive? Oh. You got it, Big H. Absolutely, boss lady. <laughs> I guess I guess the interesting thing for me with her power is that she's not relying on a clan house or another house to install her into that power. No. Um, and f- from there, she's actually installed as the 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 governor, the governor in name um, by the Imperium. So they decide, okay, you're the you're the one proving to be the most dominant, the most powerful. But she doesn't have to bow down. She doesn't have to kowtow to anybody because nobody has helped her get to the point where she is. Whereas Angry Goat, as mentioned in the previous episode, would have to um, abide by what the Goliaths were going to be want from him. House Yolante would have um, had to have a broker some sort of deal with Esher mm. or broker some sort of... I mean, they didn't quite know that Lady Credo was in on it as well. Oh, they did, but I don't think they quite understood the the presence and power of Lady they, Credo. They did not understand the ramifications of what was going to occur. And we know for fact that Credo and the Esher were still really expecting Angry Goat to be the one to take over. She was very upset when she found out that Jenga had basically gone away from her plan. Because we remember she was the one who snuck Gunfist into uh into the fist. She was the one who had sought him out during the darkness and had gotten him there because he was part of her plan. And with Angry Goat gone and obviously Lady Hera pushing her way to the forefront of the Helmore clan with, from my understanding of this, the Adeptus Terra and the Imperium as a whole sort of saying, hey, you know what? That's fine. You can be in charge, but you need to sort this crap out and yep. quick. There's a really great part from the book, which I want to read because it's it gives a really good understanding of where exactly Hera is and what it looks like for her with regard to the Imperium. It had taken long bloody weeks for Hera Helmore to lay claim to her father's power within High Primus. Weeks during which Cinderac City had fallen and much of her world seethed with rebellion and discontentment. The only grace her thirteenth daughter had been granted was as de facto Imperial Governor of Necromunda, though the Imperium had yet to exert its will upon her actions. In fact, many of the agents and soldiers of the Adeptus Terra had departed Necromunda to fight in far-off wars. Those few that remained were happy to leave Hera to deal with the internal matters as long as Necromunda's production quotas were still being fulfilled. But Hera knew it was a situation that would not endure and so she moved to consolidate her power before anyone came to question it. I love that, where those ones that are still there, whether they were too important to go off planet or not important enough to go off planet, 
they've sat there and made this decision and made this big statement to Lady Hera of, listen, as long as you're feeding the tithe, as yeah. long as you're hitting those targets, we don't care. If you yes. hit your targets even through all of this crap, mm -hmm. we are going to give you two enthusiastic thumbs up and you get to keep your head. <laughs> and if, if, if you don't, yep. you're the one this comes down on. And they can well, just wash their hands of this. Yeah, 100%. But I, I think there's also another threat hovering over here as well is that the fact that the Helmors have allowed a rebellion upon their planet. So, and that's where it says Hera knew it was a situation that would not endure. So exactly what you're saying, meeting quotas, meeting the tithe is the most critical, important thing when the Imperium is being stretched thin during this time of the Cicatrix Maledictum. Because it shows you are not only trustworthy, but you are reliable. That yeah, even reliable. during all this crap. Even mm. during the Great Wound ripping itself across the Cicatrix Maledictum, causing issues for the now two Imperiums, and yep. especially being this close to Terra, where things are still relatively stable, yep. as long as you're providing tithes, the eyes are off you. Yes, but those eyes, once the Imperiums settle, those eyes will come back and say, Oh, yeah. Are you vulnerable to a rebellion again? Will you have flips? Will, will this rebellion not just be an internal thing that is, you know, motivated by other members who just want to be powerful within the Imperium? Or will it be motivated by chaotic cults? Will it be motivated mm -hmm. by something that wants to turn its, away, turn its back to the Imperium? So if you're vulnerable to one form of rebellion, you may be vulnerable to the rest. So the Helmore line, is no longer a strong and reliable line that we can count on, even though your service has been here for thousands of years. Yeah. And one of the steps that she does to ensure her power is to get all the houses, all the noble houses, to meet with her. And then... Kind of. Kind of, yeah, kind <laughs> of. So what she actually does is she organises a meeting with all the houses to come together and what the houses do, knowing that there is one very angry Helmore, sorry, not one very angry, bloodthirsty Helmore who is organising this, they send the worst of their worst. So the, you know, the degenerates, the, the stupid, the, the ones who are going to not amount to very much or the ones who don't have any chance of getting further within their line. Or in the case of the Yolanti, uh the mad offspring, Dane Yolanti. Yeah, so I love when these, you know, inbred, like just ridiculous nobles are like, send the crazy one. Yeah, yeah. good plan. <laughs> He's not a full bag of chips, send him. Here we are, right? <laughs> um, so what happens from there? She then goes, cool, I've got the worst of you together. The worst, and it, she, she saw saw it. She's got the worst of the houses together. She then sends murder cyborgs off to all the houses and they kill pretty much the rest of the houses. Not, not wiping them out because she still needs them, 
but the seniority, the hierarchy, the people who are in control, who anybody who would be next in line for their house is wiped out so that the next available in line is one of the useless ones that got sent to her meeting. But not just useless, the way they are described as the miserable gathering of unwanted sons, illegitimate daughters, and cousins many times removed. These are the dregs of the noble families. And every single one of these kids not only knows that they continue to be alive at the grace of Lady Hera, but they now lead their families, in some cases, purely on her grace and her will. Yeah, exactly. And the, the other element that I find to that is that it's not just about her saying, I've spared you, you are now beholden to me. It's also about the fact that these are the, these are the useless ones, you know, as you say, the dregs. So whatever scheming they're going to plan will be like crap. them playing. <laughs> it'll be crappy scheming. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be garbage. They'll be playing snakes and ladders while she's playing 4D chess. You know, so she she's creating a cadre of houses that are basically incapable of running without the noble house. And and furthermore to that, it, it states that, that they actually begin scheming and planning straight away against each other to elevate their status. And so actually I, creates infighting. Yeah. But one thing I find in really poor taste is that when she did have these nobles killed, um, so there could be no mistaking her intent, Vox units implanted into the cyborg assassins broadcasted the final screams and pitiful pleas of the dying nobles throughout the spire, causing a distressing cacophony that would continue to play for cycles to come. We talked a lot of smack about the Night Lords last episode. (laughs) And Lady Hera would make that Legion proud. She is, she is basically proclaiming to anyone who not only would listen or could listen, but has to listen. Yeah. That this pain, this anguish, this, this mass murder is occurring because these nobles were too cowardly and too base a creature to face her, to simply approach her when she told them to. And because of their cowardice, not only are they no longer alive, but the lesser family members that they thought they were throwing away, she has elevated a them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it also, it, it's an obvious thing, but it also has to be said, this is to say, when my father or when the Helmore name was under siege, under threat, you all either try, attempted to try and usurp it, or you just did, you, did nothing to assist the Helmores. You allowed, allowed things to go negatively just so you could have your own little infighting or create your own little ploys 
Well, I will give you one ploy that you'll run by now, and that is loyalty and service, and that is all. That is the only t tenants that your house will live by now, and they are the tenants of loyalty and service to the Helm Wars. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess, look, she's she's a very scary character, and we, we will find out a lot more about her throughout this episode as well. But, I love it. Oh, she's great. She's a good I character. She's um, insane. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna call it now though, without knowing how the Eranthian succession ends, that the Helmors will stay in power, and she will be the new governor of Necromunda. And I only have one bit of reasoning for that, and that is because GW made a miniature of her. Okay. Counterpoint. Uh, you're wrong. And uh, I do know what's going on. And I've actually known what's going on since before the Aranthian succession was completed. And is this yeah. because you have a little karyotid friend that tells you all the secrets? No, no, I am from the future. And the new Imperial Governor will actually be Timmy Helmore. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, he's back. He's crawled up from the Underhive with his gang of weird assassins and has seized control of the Imperial House. Don't they come from Timmy Town? In fact, yes, he is currently residing in Timmy Town with his friends, the Timmy Town Locos. Pulling oh. out from voice. <laughs> but yes, Ike, obviously we've got, uh, you know, still two books to go down, but... It all is always very telling when Games Workshop release uh, a model and such a model. Um, yeah, yeah. Lady Hera is going to be here for a very long time. All right, cool, cool. Uh, I guess another element of her show of power is sending... I love this, actually. She sends an army of enforcers to occupy her hives to maintain <laughs> her status. And so these... The great thing about these enforcers is they are not just Helmore aligned, they're noble house aligned enforcers mm. as well. So all these noble houses that are now basically defunct of power, she is swooping into that vacuum and saying, all your enforcers, you're now part of my my cadre and I'll be using you as such. So they may, they may bear Yolante iconography upon them. They're all now a singular focus in the sense that they are all... I guess, aligned with House Helmore. It was a masterstroke on her behalf where these enforcers, although they are supposed to be loyal to the Imperial House, yes, many of them would be funded or um, come from areas that are heavily influenced by the noble houses. But by raising the new heads of those houses to be loyal to her and casting that net out across these different patrols and these different precinct houses... Their, their greatest loyalty now lies with her. And it does specifically mention that she dispatches thousands of patrols to tame the upper reaches of the Underhive. And firstly, that's terrifying. Thousands of patrols of enforcers who are maybe outside of Lady Credo's personal army, the best armoured and best armed paramilitary force on Necromunda. But unfortunately, 
one of the first places that these patrols come to is a place that holds a very special place in the heart of this podcast. <laughs> and I can only assume in the heart of all of our listeners. And that is Dust Falls. Good old Dust Falls. It has taken an absolute shellacking in the in the book so far. We're Not only from the hordes of mutants and chaos helots and all that nonsense and the city defenders having to defend themselves as well their own with it then they also had their own internal fighting i believe and it's something we didn't mention earlier in the in the previous episode sorry was um there was a i think it was the goliaths that attempt to stomp out dust falls as well in a in an attempt to claim power there they get rebuked and and sent on their merry way and now we have the enforcers attempting to uh, bas- basically dethrone uh, narco lord Balthazar Van Zep because they well, now well. have <laughs> respect you. They now have effectively a free state uh, within Nicaragua. Yeah. Oh, that and is a great way to describe it. The free state of Dust Falls. Oh, man, I like that. Are you thinking it? Nah, nah, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I am. Gang idea. Oh. Free, free state of Zep. Oh. There's a, there's a, there's a, um, oh, it's a movie, but it's also based on history called Free State of Jonas. And, um, it's actually during, set during the American Civil War, where, um, the, a group of, believe, I believe it's, northerners and um slaves get together to create their own free state which is not beholden to the southern states nor the union um and they become their own thing so that's some people are probably going to pick up on it but that's exactly where i'm get generating idea from the the free state of zep but we're cool. not going to talk about that here that's actually on our new podcast Civil War Talk with Brother Nathaniel and Samael. Uh, <laughs> Mate, we're going to be busy. We um, are going to be busy. But, yeah, Dust Falls, we said it last episode, and I'm going to say it again. Life really is just shitting on Dust Falls. Mm. Every bad thing possible seems to happen to them. But you got to respect Narco Lord Balthazar Van Zepp. He, once again, just, he pledges his support to any who would keep the settlement free. And like the battle around the abyss weeks before, fighters gather at the gates leading up to the nexus above, once again ready to face the enforcer onslaught. And it's it's been such a character development for Narco Lord Balthazar Van Zepp where he's gone from, let's be honest, a drug manufacturer, a drug dealer, um, a, a criminal. He's, he's a crime boss. And he's also turned into this somewhat benevolent figure who yeah. is sort of like, he's, he's a true, uh, what are they called? Anti-hero. Yeah, anti-hero, but he's... He really is coming in there basically saying, I'm standing up for the common man, almost a sort of like a, a neo-libertarian. 
where as long as you're as long as you're willing to serve the free state of Zep, the free state of Zep is willing to serve you. And I like that's awesome. That's mm. so awesome. Hundred oh, percent uh, gang ideas from there. Hundred percent. And you gotta remember that the first edicts from the enforcers was to shut the the gates into the into the upper to the shut next the nexus. And so the nexus. And so what the day they did is they they killed people from Dust Falls who were trying to escape upwards to get away from the chaos cults. The chaos cults. So what what really annoys me about this is that they're now sending the enforcers back down to say, okay, well. The, the upper hives are protected. We're coming to reclaim all that we've lost. And they're turning around and just going, no, stick that in your pipe. We are not for this. We'd much rather go down fighting than have to take, take back being under the yoke of a, a leader that just doesn't care about us. Here's a thought. Why would the people of the free state of Zep, as from now on, Dust Falls will be referred to as. Yes. Why would the people of the free state of Zep serve you in your time of need when in our time of need you weren't here for us? Yes. That, that is the mentality I think so many of these people would be having because we've gone through all this stuff We've been the ones fighting off hordes of cultists and mutants and cannibal killers. And yep. you locked the doors behind us. And if we got too close, you killed us. Yep. We just needed help. Why would we serve you? Like, it's, do you know oh, everything you're saying there? Feels down my spine. And this is, I didn't think we'd go this far into this, actually, but I'm really enjoying talking about this free state of Zep slash Dust Falls. Um, but it, everything you say there is heretical. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it, no, 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 but it's not, it's not a bad thing. It is, it's exactly why those imperial houses and why the noble houses would think, well, of course, you're our subjects, you serve us. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think or what you feel or what you what you perceive to be something better for you. You're our subjects. You serve us. Yeah. And then you have Zep turning around going, I'm not your subject, and I never was. Mm. I was always my own thing. Now my tendrils of thought, my ideas of who I am, now are across an entire city, and this entire city thinks like I do. We are not your subjects. We never were. We, you need us more than we need you. Oh. Dude. Okay. Campaign idea, I guess. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so you'd have to play it as outlaw gangs, all right? Mm. And you would all be members of the free state of Zep. Now, you would still be fighting each other to build up almost favor, your reputation would be favor with uh, Narco Lord Balthazar Venza, and the you would have an arbitrator-led sort of coalition of enforcers. So half of your players would be playing outlaw gangs, 
after them playing enforcers and you're actually playing as the enforcers or the outlaws attempting to seize control of the free state of Zep slash Dust Falls mm. and a nexus. So yeah, right. Not that trade and sort of the control yeah. of travel between the two states. Oh, man. See, the cool thing about that would be is it would all be about, like, strategic points that you'd need to capture. So if we can control Zep's... Um, you know, no, gas trade. Yep. <laughs> if we can control the gas trade, then we reduce the funds that they have available to be able to uh, supply their gangs or feed oh, their I gangs. And really so you, you begin to look at your the, the territories that you're controlling, not just purely as overall benefit for the gang, but overall benefit for the cause. You know, so the the enforcers are this Lady Hera driven cause about re-establishment of the power of the Imperium, which is what they would be betrayed as, portrayed as, sorry. And then you would have the Free State of Zep saying, "We we're happy to trade with you, we're happy to work alongside you, but we're not happy to be under you." Oh man, yes, we will work with you, not for you. Yes, exactly. And this is and this is what I mentioned earlier about the, the dangerous, scary thing that Hera needs to control. It's not about the tithe and it's not about the the production. Those are critical things, don't get me wrong. The scary thing is about the idea that something like the Free State of Zep is the the tip of the iceberg in terms of rebellion. And so just the thought process, the ideology that exists behind that is what she needs to stop. And it takes just one or two nosy inquisitors to come down from the Imperium and start to go, well, hang on, what is this What is this free state of Zep slash Dust Falls? What is yeah. happening there? Why is that happening? Why is it still persistent, you know, many months after the Imperium has won the war across the, the events of the Cicatric Maledicts? We've won this war, and yet we're still fighting a microcosm of that war on your planet. You're the Imperial House. You should be governing this. You should be correcting this. And that is what she's scared of. She is scared of more narco lord Belthazar than Zeps. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is why you shouldn't trust your governments. And <laughs> this has actually been a months-long campaign into what we call guerrilla political discussion. <laughs> now, we are going to talk about the inevitable military coup here in Australia, led by myself and Nathan to install <laughs> Goblin Juve as the new leader of the Pan-Pacific Empire. Strap yourself in, kids. Uncle Spamuel is about to learn you the basics of guerrilla combat. Now... What's happening? Wait, <laughs> I'm sorry. talking about the Cremunda. Sorry, uh, that's our new podcast, How to Overthrow Your Government and Alienate People with Uncle Spamuel uh, and Goblin right. Jeff, apparently. <laughs> apparently, um, yeah. But you are absolutely right. Like, we've gone on a hell of a tangent here. Um, these were supposed to be dot points. but <laughs> This is the first read. <laughs> the, the scariest thing for Lady Hera or the nobles or the Imperial House, or even the Imperium as a whole, is more narco lord Balthazar Van Zeps, or yep. more uh, 
oh, I'm trying to think, uh, Gain and Vanda, you know, yeah, or you, you yeah. these these figureheads pulling people together around them and saying, no, enough is enough. And we were there for each other. No one was here for us. We don't need them. They need us. And at the end of the day, that is what is the, the big bad, that basis of power where the multitudes come together against the few. Well, this... that's the whole nature of the Imperium, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. The whole nature of the Imperium is to say that we, the Imperium, when you're with us, we protect you from the great darkness. We are the ones that will not only provide you with the protection, but the light so that you are not swallowed up by the masses of all cords or tyrannies or whatever it might come at you. Now, in the, in the, the smaller scale on Necromunda, you have that in the sense that the Enforcers and the Imperial House say to the people of Dust Falls, the civilians there, you will be protected and guided by us because we are here for your protection as a collective. But if one part of that collective falls down, then we can't be as effective together. But what happens through the great darkness is Dust Falls or the Free State of Zeb shows that it doesn't need them. And if it doesn't need them, then it doesn't need them at all because that is what the Imperium at large, the, Imper the Imperial House is showing, is that they, you need us in the times of darkness. You need us at, at the most critical times, and Dust Falls didn't. Dust Falls didn't. Two Tunnels didn't. Cinderac mm. City didn't. Yes. Like, yes. These, these, are three, these are just three examples that mm. we've gone on about last episode. There are more. Mm. There are more. There are entire hives that didn't need it. Yeah. But the noble houses and the imperial house and the imperium in general are coming back now and saying, hey, now we need you. All of a sudden, Lady Credo and her Escher allies and her Orlock allies and her mercenary allies and these rumoured allies in white cloaks with amazing armour and weaponry with that seven-pointed star, they are all coming together and saying, no, you do not need these people who betrayed you. You do yeah. not need these people who left you alone to die. You do not need the people that allowed some city to sink and be destroyed. Again. Again. <laughs> What you do need is to join us. And yeah. by joining us against the, the unjust and immoral Imperial House, mm. maybe things end up better for you. And that's why this rebellion of Lady Credos is gaining so much traction because the Imperium is a horrible thing. It's not the real bad guy of 40K. Everyone knows that's the Tau. Upset. It is the big bad when it comes to Necromunda. And yep. yeah, it's. I'm, I'm, trying, it's... To, I'm trying to rein this away. <laughs> so what? But one last on point. One last point. <laughs> one last point. It, it's not just about what happens during their Ranthian succession, 
that the rebellion is saying that's why you don't need the imperial house it's what's happened for thousands of years mm. where the the populations have just been grounded into nothing just through overwork and tithing and uh production and all these other things that have destroyed necromunda left it basically mm. into a planet that is a shadow of its former self and when I say former self, I'm talking about from the from the early days of the Imperial Fist having liberated the planet. Boo. Boo. So the 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 light that is being shown to these people, these civilians now, is that this is the concept and the idea of your life without the Imperium, and this is what it looks like. Mm. And that's what the Imperium can never handle is for humanity to understand what it could be if it didn't have the bureaucracy of the Imperium hovering over it 24-7. But it, this is exemplified by when you have nations or planets or systems that wish to secede from the Imperium. Yeah. yeah. Because it benefits them to not be part of it. Or when you have, mm. the, is it Glacivar, that humans that leave for the yeah. Empire? I don't um, know the correct name, but yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, you have you have all of these when they move away from the Imperium. It the Imperium needs to come down with this, you know, mm. holy vengeance, because otherwise, more and more would be doing it because they'll be able to see that, yeah, you you need us more than we need you. The Imperium needs mm. citizens. It does. It needs its production. It, it's yeah. it, to maintain its galaxy-spanning wars, like millions and millions of wars. It needs this vast production and this vast resource of personnel behind it. And then, if you boil it, bring that down to what it means on Necromunda, not Fredo, Hera, Hera needs dust falls because she needs the trade free network. State of Zep. The free state of Zep. She needs the free state of Zep. Because she needs that trade network connected, she needs yeah. the capacity to continue to produce. And it's not even just about producing for the Imperium. It's about producing so that she can keep herself within power. And just like the mentor, the Imperium needs to maintain its capacity to fight wars, the Helmor House needs to maintain its ability to put down things that are going to push it out of power. And she's already done that with all the noble houses. That was the easy bit. Now it's the population of Necromunda that is the hard bit. Well, that's going to be a little bit harder for Lady Hera now um, when you have multiple hives being taken away from her control, either by the Goliath or by the, I'm going to call it the Credo Alliance, where, for example, Hive Mortis, was seized almost completely by House Escher when, as a favour to Lady Credo, Matriarch Primus Adina actually sent cadres of death maidens to clear out any resistance to Escher dominion, allowing the rebel lord to assert her claim of ownership of the ancient hive as part of her ancestral birthright. Now, amid the chaos that still gripped Necromunda, it was a move that went largely unnoticed by House Helmore and its remaining allies, which is crazy because I personally wasn't aware that House Credo, or I'm guessing 
Constantine Credo, her husband, mm. is it his ancestral well, birthright? Is that's it, what I assume it or is. is it where, or is it where she, where she came from? Because she obviously married into the Credo family. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Is it from her background? You know, her uh, centuries-old background, or I guess um, millennia? Well, she's been around for 7,000 years at least. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, well, then if my rant at the end of uh, last episode <laughs> is accurate, she's been around. She has uh, been around, yes, quite, quite a few a bit. But it, it's, again, another sign of this level of insurrection that a uh, hive city is taken. And it is mortars. It's not, you know, it's not a glamour hive, but um, <clears throat> it is still a hive city is taken. Hive mortis sucks. We can yeah. just go ahead and say it. No <laughs> one's going to hive mortis on holiday. Yeah. Uh, when you're going to hang out with a bunch of weird ghouls. <laughs> um, That's just the waiters. And dead um, boys. <laughs> yeah, just, just the dead boys. You want to go kill something? No, mate. I'm on holiday. Um, but, yeah, so for a hive, a whole hive to basically be swept away. And this is on top of Cinderac City. So you now you have Mortis yeah. and Cinderac City outside of the Yoka control of the Imperial House. So what started off as a quite quiet rebellion in a short manner of time has ended up with a, with Cinderac City being taken and also Hive Mortis. So there's a fair bit going on in a very short window of time that the Imperial House is unable to react to. But not just Cinderac City and Mortis, Hive Trazia, which we've we all know is a center for trade between the Northern hives where during the rebellion, the merchant Gilda class were basically being taxed, you know, into annihilation where anything they were getting was basically just being taken away from them, from their Southern counterparts. And this was because the Southern Gilders were all, allied to the Escher. Now, this caused a lot of the Northerners to make side deals, casting aside their loyalty to the Imperial House. And this was primarily done because of the one true bad guy of Necromunda, apart from the Imperium, obviously, and the Tau. <laughs> but capitalism. The yep. noble houses that they were allied to, being the Helmors, weren't making them enough money. And if they allied with Escher or Orlok or Credo, they got cash back in their pockets. So yeah. the, the Helmore family has lost the allegiance of Hyphtrasia and its guilders because they didn't want to pay taxes. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's another part of the rebellion that we haven't really talked about at all. Not just the militant side of it, but the the economic instability that's been created across the planet, which has led to a hive going, we're not going to be part of this anymore. Yeah. You you know, you don't provide us any sort of advantage. And if the Imperium were to come cracking down on a place like Trazior, it'd probably be treated the Imperium would probably treat them with a degree of leniency because they would understand that the failings would be from that the Imperial House. But that does that's not to say that there wouldn't be heads rolling. There most certainly oh, would be head rolling. Yeah. They'd, they'd, I can just imagine like the act of decimation 
all the guilders line up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You're dead. And yeah. or you know you make them uh, do the old pick out the stone and all the guilders are uh, having to beat them to death with like coin purses. But <laughs> yeah, no, they they would definitely make examples. But that being said, I can't imagine they would uh, be willing to have too many of them sort of hmm. really cop it because at the end of the day. They are going to want. Um, they're going to want their tithe, basically. Yeah, hundred percent. Look, I think we probably should move on to our next read. To be honest, we've yeah. uh, we've talked quite a fair bit about this. I did not expect us to go on such a uh, a tangent this early on, but uh, yeah, let's move on to the next one. Hey, Samuel. Well, this is great because I love. Some of the uh, kooky, you know, flees out into the waste types. And we get one right here. The Goliath Forge tyrant Hagan Iron Hands and his gang escape Cinderac City in the chaos of battle. With a haul of enforcer weapons aboard his armoured Cargo 8 ridge hauler. Hagan makes a straight run for the ruins of the Makeda Gate. Until Escher and Orlok gangs converge from the wastes. In a fit of malice. He turns his rig towards the deep wastes of the Iradium Oceanus, and soon both sides are lost in the swirling storm clouds, never to be seen again. That is sick. Just very, if I can't have the loot, none of us yeah. can turn yeah. into the deep wastes. Yeah, he's like, you want to come and get it? Come get it. Come what? and get it. But... I love this because the Iradium Oceanus is where a particular group of ash waste nomads known as the Lead Sky Seers occupy. And in my mind, uh, this isn't a gang idea. This is just what I think what would happen. The Goliath and the Escher and the Orlok would all eventually just die, whether they crash into a rock or the dust gets them or whatever. And then oh. these nomads show up and start looting everything. And now you have a bunch of ash waste nomads dressed up like enforcers. <laughs> and they've got their enforcer armor on and they're like, hey, look at me. Uh, I'm a hive man. Oh, don't you jaywalk. Don't you litter. Bang, bang, <laughs> Imperial House. And they're just sitting there laughing, you know, because, you know, Ruthgar the undaunted, the, this particular nomad waster is just like, I'm going to play fancy dress with this Enforcer gear. I love yeah. it. I think it's great. But Hagan Iron Hands pulling the... Hey, we'll swirl into... We'll go into the swirling storm clouds and if we live, we live. If we don't, we don't. But if oh. I go down, I'm taking you with me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for me, when I read about this, it just makes you delve a little bit deeper into the Goliath and just explore what's happened to them at this stage. And we mentioned earlier on that they're, you know, they've, they've had a few little kerfuffles, most notably losing the Battle of Cinderac City. Um, but the, the, the gang itself is in quite disarray at this stage. Breakaway elements from the house, Goliath openly oppose the new over-tyrant. So committing themselves to the rebel elements within the southern hives to strengthen their own position and keep the great forges churning out. 
it's a bad time to be a Goliath. It's a bad time to be a leader within the Goliath, I think. It's... House Goliath has had a massive change in leadership, and Jangar's first action was to attempt to take Cinderac City, and unfortunately, his forces have lost. And this is... This is where you're seeing Goliath gangs being attacked by everyone. And so many of these Goliath are falling back from Cinderac City after having the absolute snot beaten out of them. And this is where we are first introduced to an awesome character. And I actually think I did... Did I mention him last episode? No, I didn't. No, I don't think so. No. I mentioned um oh, I mentioned Durgan Kilfist. That's Here right. we are talking about someone by the name of Axon Hammer, Scourge of the Spider Points. Now we will talk about the sort of dramatic personae that are introduced to this book at the end of this episode, but during this point in time, the only true organized resistance against these coordinated attacks on fleeing with just trying to get back to the fist, the only true resistance came from Axon Hammer and his Iron Tree Reavers. Now, during Cinderac City, Axon wasn't there. He was actually fighting Escher in the spider points. He was not there bore the defeat of his fellow Goliath. But once the actual retreat began, he headed towards Cinderac City. And his whole gang, the Iron Tree Reavers, went with him. Now, he's incredibly well-known within the Waste. In fact, the, the, the sort of name he's gotten there, Hammer, is because he uses methods a little less subtle than your average Goliath. And he drives around what is described as a massive custom ridge hauler, the Behemoth. And these Goliath outland gangs would see the Behemoth coming past or be retreating towards it and feel almost reinvigorated to join Axon. And, That's cool. And it's, if it's not just the size of the, the sheer bloody size of the thing, it's also ha- got dozens of Escher and Orlock vehicle kills marked along its hull, as well as, and to quote here, a good amount of dried ganger blood. <laughs> like, this is where we are going to be seeing a hell of a lot of Let's be honest, these brutal characters, these all gangers are killers. Someone like Axe and Hammer, he's a killer of killers. Yeah. He is he is the one you turn to when you need the bad people put down. <laughs> but he's it, it's the period of time that they're in, it's those kind of people that will be the survivors. Those kind of the ones who make a name for themselves. And his moniker of the Hammer, I understand that was given to him by the the Escher. Escher. Yeah, by the Escher and the Orlock, where they're just like, 
he's bonkers. Like, yeah. he, and they, they genuinely have a respect for him. And it's like, this is a scary, scary character. But it's it's a good juxtaposition for seeing the the downfall of the Goliath and then having characters like this starting to rise up through them. Perhaps these are the type of characters who will, who will bring the gang or the house back up into the, the position it's normally expected to be. We can only hope because we hang a lot of uh, we hang a lot of crap on the meatnecks, but they are actually pretty cool. Uh, I like the Imperial House at this point. What do you reckon? Yeah, so at this point, the Imperial House is it's a nothing name. People are attacking it, and it's it's these same Orlocks and Escher gangs that are raiding uh, convoys of. Imperial House transports and even merchant guilds as well as as these titles no longer add any sort of value or protection. Sorry, they add value, but they don't add any protection to they these. They definitely add value, as in I can take your value and make it my value. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that, again, another interesting point that the state the status of Necromunda is where the merchant guilds and Imperial House have lost that that presence and that power where Axe and Hammer, which is probably more likely to offer better protection than those two others against the the Orlock and the Escher, which is, it's a scary thing for the continuation of trade, but it just shows you the absolute disregard that the, most notably the Escher are working in when it comes mm. to Necromunda now, where they, they've decided Credo's the boss, um, everything else is free game. Well, it, it definitely suits her for the Imperial House to be taken out. The Merchant Houses, you actually mentioned it last episode about the Goliath attacking Cinderax City, how they were more than willing to attack Gilda delegations and that within the city. Credo, when she takes over the planet, she's still going to need a uh, Merchant Guild. They're still going to need goods and tithe and all of that sort of stuff. But the, the, the fact that you have outland gangers and uh, outlaws and nomads and that sort of thing attacking anything that has the seal of the Imperial House or the Merchant's Guild in general, because we know, remember the Guild of Coin was really copping it last episode too. Yeah, oh, they, they were the most vulnerable target because yeah. they were clearly, clearly holding something valuable. You weren't going to get you know, uh, um, a boatload of last pistol parts, you were actually getting coin. You were actually getting credits, yeah. something tangible. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah, raw promethium is great, but you know what's greater? Cash. Yeah, exactly. Cash yeah. is king. Yeah. But now everyone's getting attacked. If you're in the Outlands, you're near that Makeda gate. Mm. You're, you're, you're being snatched up by anyone that can catch you and anyone then that can get you. It, yeah, look, for, from this, and I'm going to talk about it a bit later as well because it's a bit more relevant, but it's also a method of of strategy that the the Eshra are using here as well. They're choking. They're actually choking the, the trade for the um, for House Helmore and for any allies of House Helmore as well. Yeah. So that's not only what the Eshra are doing as well. I guess the, the important thing is that they are 
trying to consolidate their power in Cinderac City as well, uh, mainly due to the fact that they can see an attack coming. So as the Escher draw back towards Cinderac City, countless outlaws and outlanders invade settlements and outposts weakened by weeks of fighting and nomad raids. At the Rockforge, scum gangs skirmish with the remaining Goliath gangers, while the Ashstorm Observatory comes under assault from weird gangs believing the structure's lenses can somehow enhance their power. Now, there's, there's a lot going on there, but the, the first thing I want to take away from that is those settlements and outposts that are weakened, they're also weakened by the Escher because it states quite clearly they go off and they take weapons and resources from the surrounding territories to reinforce Cinderac City. So they are, they're really setting themselves up as the, the big nasty within that region at the moment. I understand you need to defend your settlement, but we are going to take your arms and armour to defend our settlement. What about our defence? I don't understand the question. <laughs> Let uh, me repeat that. I understand you need to defend your settlement. <laughs> However, we need to defend our more important settlement. And, and there and, are more of us and we have bigger guns. Exactly. And we have Lady Credo's army behind us as well. No, they disappeared. They Yeah, but you know, uh, don't know when they're going to show up. Um, <laughs> the thing that I, I don't like about this is that they are setting themselves up to become sort of this this despot ruling clan within Cinderac City. Why is it everyone who wants to overthrow a tyrant becomes a tyrant? Exactly. exactly. And, and they're doing it because they, they know the wrath of Helmore is coming, and that could potentially mean the wrath of, I don't know, some sort of Imperium-backed sort of vengeance. I, 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 as, as we explored earlier, the, the Imperium's not quite there yet. It's not grasping anything within within Necromunda other than ensuring that quotas are being met. I think it's a I think it's a great example of opportunists and you know desperados and vagabonds for lack of other descriptive words. Um, yeah. they're they're there and they can see, you know, these settlements may have, have been able to hold off nomads or oh. cultists or whatever. But mm. they're just at that tipping point where we can get in there and get what we want. And I think maybe the Escher are also seeing this and going, well, if we don't take it, these other pricks are going to take it. And right. every, yeah, bullet, every bullet they have, these outlaws and outlanders, yep. it's one less bullet we have. It's one less grenade we have. And after everything they've just sacrificed, and everything they've just lost. Because let's be honest, they copped a beating from those Goliaths. Yeah, absolutely. And not just at Cinderac either. Like no. Across the planet. not, yeah. But they would be wanting to grab onto every advantage they can possibly get. Yeah, absolutely. And when they're in their position of power now, they're not looking at themselves as the saviours and the new ruling element of Necromunda. They're purely looking at it. We're now preparing for the count, the inevitable counterattack that oh, is yeah. coming. So stripping the other settlements, yes, will be your, you know, will be your noble leaders after after we're attacked and after we defend the city again and after we become the premier clan house in Cinderac City or preferably on Necromunda itself. Then we will become your defenders. 
then we'll yeah. become the, the leaders. But at the moment, they're Give looking us your at stuff. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're a resource to us, plain and simple. Which is a, it? It's a bit sad because there the vibe I get from this um, rebellion, and having read a little bit of this book, I know I'm wrong. But the vibe that I was getting was that um, this was like a new a new age, a new dawn was coming. Um, and the Escher on the, yeah, kind of, but it's not quite, it's, it's, it's been 40 k Um, <laughs> every new dawn definitely has a black sun rising. Yeah. Let, um, let's, let's overthrow your tyrannical leader and replace him with this brand new tyrannical leader. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think they're tyrannids. No, I think they're just humans. <laughs> that we know of. Yeah. Oh, true. That's very true. That is actually, I could stand corrected on that one too. So I, I love it. Uh, the Rockforge scum mm. gangs, like literal gangs of, you know, for lack of a better term, scum, mm. straight up just going to town with Goliath. Like, yeah. yeah, you had an army down the road just ten minutes ago, but now you're a little bit embarrassed. You got slapped around by a a group of gals. So we are going to slap you some more. Like Yeah. And just further exemplifies the fact that the House Goliath is an incredibly weakened point at this stage. Um and it's that, that loss of reputation. Like you, you mm. see it when you're actually playing the game. Loss of reputation means a lot. And now we're seeing it portrayed in the lore as well. That the 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 fear oh. they have is Yeah. They don't have that fear of the Goliaths anymore. They're like, what? You, mate, you got rock and rolled by House Escher. I'm assuming Lady Credo's army would be kept quite a secret. So it's like a bunch of Escher and Orlocks stomped you guys out. Um, you're nothing to us. We Shut up, you muscle-bound nerd. Give me oh. your starch. Yeah, exactly. Give me your lunch money or I'll put your head in a toilet. Yeah, until they actually take on the Goliath and they're like, oh, wait a second, they are oh, still muscle-bear monstrosities. Can I have my arm back soon? <laughs> Excuse me, gorilla with, uh, what is it, gorilla with two sledgehammers. <laughs> okay, gorilla with sledgehammers. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, uh, it, there's a lot that we can see coming from just that little read about where the Escher are now placing themselves in within the network of being more tyrannical and more set up for a war against House Helmore. Yeah. The the weakness that's happening of uh House Goliath and deserters also oh, take man. picking their side. You know, they're they're yeah. now going, okay, we we've we're going to ally ourselves with House Escher because they are they're preeminent. They're they're the ones who are going to get the result here. House I'm assuming the the lack of communication around Necromunda is continuing. They wouldn't know necessarily that Hera is starting to cement her power. They wouldn't know that House Goliath is already on the upturn as well. So all these factors are un, unknown to the to the deserters, and they're like, well, we'll join with what seems more powerful, which well, is Esha. Some of the deserters you're talking about there are in Cinderac City, so with Athera like you said, stripping the surrounding territories of weapons and resources and supplies. Uh, she's effectively going from storehouse to storehouse within Cinderac City. Yep. And raiding these, you know, these weapons and materials caches from other houses. And she's claiming it all as her own. But 
even the enforcers, after they withdrew, they left behind, if from you know, just from the description here, massive amounts of munitions, but also men. They left yeah. behind some of those deserters you were talking about. And Athera basically says to them, hey, you can stay as an enforcer, whatever, but you defend Cinderac City against whoever comes. Oh. And, you know, the way I imagine it, I can imagine these enforcers going, well, yeah, you just went toe-to-toe with the probably the biggest meat neck of them all and you are still kicking on so yes ma'am i uh, load me up with uh, some bolt shells and i will patrol your city i will defend your city so yeah these deserters are picking sides like that's cool it's cool it's a, it's a um gang idea there of like renegade enforcers but house aligned so they're actually the enforcers of House Escher or uh, Lady Credo. So seven-pointed symbols all over them. It's still very, very much function like um, a, a, a normal enforcer gang, except you'd include a lot more bounty hunters and whatever, yeah. hired guns in addition to and try to have Escher or... Really model them up as scum. Like, really model them up as Escher or... Um, oh, what's the word like on there? You know, all the the different gubbins you can have on them, like enforcers with maybe animal skin patterns down their pants, or um, or even just the chem packs that the Esha have. You just put that all over them, so and then make it as one of your things about trying to buy chemicals for your gang. That represents their supply from Esha. Another thing that I also love, moving away from the enforcers, the Escher forces, or whatever you want to call them. Enforcers. Well, that, that sounds like something actually quite medical when you yeah, pronounce it yeah, like that. It sounds like a venereal disease. <laughs> it does. I was trying to avoid saying that, but exactly that. So moving away from them, we go to that last little bit of the read. We're talking about the gang, the weird gangs. Uh, raiding the Ash Storm Observatory, which oh, is oh man, yeah, it's really cool because this this idea that the whole world, the whole planet has gone into chaos, and it's highlighted by bonkers psychers going after a couple of uh, magnifying glasses. If you were to boil it down to brass tacks, really, just uh, they've they've just lost the plot and they've gone. We can see the Cicatrix Maledictum if we can get these lenses. Yeah, that's exactly how I see that, where they think they're going to get their powers enhanced by being able to, I don't know, witness or maybe interpret or communicate with the Great Wound, like... Yeah, mate, oh. all, all you're doing is just kicking down your own front door for the demons to come in. That's all you're yeah. doing. Yeah. That's... Like, I get it. You're a chaos gang or a hellot gang or whatever you want to call yourselves. Y'all are just making bad decisions. 100%. 100% bad decisions. But they think they're doing the right thing. So, I mean, the, the whole rebellion could be flagged at that, isn't it? Bad decisions that you think you're doing the right thing. 
Well, speaking of bad decisions, uh, you've actually made one a couple of times by questioning my glorious misinterpretation with this next one. As trade suffers in the wake of the war between the houses, sky pirates crewing plundered stratoplanes raid the wasteland. On gleaming aircraft, they descend from above amid a storm of fire. Some of the planes are large enough to carry off entire ridge haulers, like birds of prey snatching rats from the ground. So, okay, stratoplanes are awesome. Sky pirates crewing said stratoplanes are awesome. And before you end up saying something stupid about stratoplanes, I actually Googled what a stratoplane is. And it is a hypothetical airplane capable of travel in the stratosphere. Now, I don't know exactly how high the stratosphere is. I'm not a scientist. This may shock the audience, but I am not a scientist. It won't shock them. Uh, it will not shock them. <laughs> but the stratosphere is still like halfway up the hive or something. Those things are tall. But yeah, stratoplanes are a real thing. And, well, hypothetical real thing. But we've got an answer to my question from last episode of how big they are. Some of them are large enough to carry off entire ridge haulers. Can you imagine you're driving down the road, you can see there's no one around you, nice clear day. Yeah, cool, no nomads, no other gangs. We're going to make this run not only nice and chill, we'll make it early, get a bonus from the guilders, that'll be great. And next thing you know, some pricks in a giant biplane swoop down and snatch your entire truck. <laughs> I, I like the idea that it makes a... A screech, very much like a pterodactyl yeah. or something. Yeah. Or the the first thing they hear is the screech, and then the next thing they know, they're X amount of kilometers in the air. But it would be really confusing because they'd they'd look back and finally see it, and they'd see the plane, and wonder why it's got a like a giant, um, like balloon trailing behind it. And no, it's not the balloon; it's the enormous balls. Of the pilot, because once again, <laughs> the world storm is still going on. Oh, true, it is too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, that's that, but that that world storm—that's what's grounding all the zeppelins. Yeah, yeah, except for this one particular enormous stratoplane. Oh, the stratoplanes are for, no, they're yeah. not zeppelins, mate. They're, they're not zeppelins. If you think, if you think this justifies your air guild zeppelins, you are so far I, from it. I reckon, I reckon if we say it enough, someone is going to write it into an official publication just to shut me up. I'd love to see it. I, <laughs> I'd love to see it. I, yeah. I would, this, this pod will take full credit for Zeppelins on Necromunda. Yeah, I don't care if they wrote the book three years ago and they're just getting around to releasing it. You know, it's just like, boom, Zeppelins. It's just like, that was all me. That's that was it. all me. I, I will give you that if that yeah. happens. Done. Done. <laughs> I'll start a petition. Yeah, you do that. Um, I think that's all we need to mention about um, Stratoplanes, though. I'm, yep. I'm happy you got some sort of vindication out of it. Honestly, it's, it's, it's all I need. I, I'm ending the podcast. Done. <laughs> <laughs>
done, finished. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for listening, folks. So, look, I guess we'll move on from your uh, your high water mark. Mate, you and... can talk about whatever you want. I'm going to have a little <laughs> sleep. <laughs> oh, so like a regular podcast recording. That's good. <laughs> All right. Rumours persist of white-robed warriors bearing the icon of the seven-pointed star fighting in Cinderac City. In the aftermath of the fighting, these individuals soon become the objects of myth. Great deeds and feats of battle are attributed to them, even though no sign of their presence can be found. So they pull the Santa Claus, basically. This is something you've mentioned, I think I think you mentioned earlier, but also last episode. They weren't supposed to be there. Yeah, I totally agree. Like, totally vindicated in that idea still, that this she was forced to show her hand way too early. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm yet to find out if there's any repercussions from that in the reading I've been doing. But... I, it just it feels like they the the starter pistol went too early. Yeah, I think it was more of a okay. Old Gunfist is really screwing with my plans. He's gone against our agreement, and mm. uh, I need to I, I need to pull the ace out of my sleeve to to save this whole revolution here. And yeah. that's why her you know the white robed. I'm just going to say, that's why Lady Credo's army has come out from the catacombs beneath Cinderac City. That's why they've come out and done this huge, just shock and awe battle there and then and have immediately retreated. Because if Credo says to the Escher and Orlocks and everyone who was there who's now under her control and says, hey, guys, shut up. Like, if anyone asks... You've never seen them. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. They don't exist. Uh, It's interesting, though, to contemplate whether or not her army was stationed at Cinderac City or she managed to bring them to Cinderac City. Well, I think with enough... I said this earlier. Actually, I think it was very late in the last episode. Um, I think Lady Credo, whoever she is, uh, is smart enough to either recognise patterns or to have established herself at least logistically with Necromunda. So no matter where her army was stationed, given the obvious manpower and technological advancements she has access to, either she's been able to travel through the the tunnels and underways or... How did we describe them a few episodes ago? Like the subways? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Been able to because all the all the hives are connected. We know this, mm-hmm. and she's either been able to get her army there quickly, or she knew Cinderac City was going to be very important, being the largest Ashway settlement, and she's I... had some of her army there the whole time. I. Don't think either of those. Oh, some of her army. Yes. Okay, some of her army. I don't believe it would be the entire army. No way. No. The moving through the tunnels, I don't think would fly unless they killed off any survivors that they came in contact with. And we know those tunnels are chockers full of 
um, refugees and whatever trying to escape the ash wastes. You're right. Yeah? No, no one ever murders on Necromunda. It's, I think it's against the law. Um, <laughs> nah, that's an excellent point you raised there, Nathan. Yeah, okay. So this is, this is the play we're going for, is it? Cynicism and sarcasm? Yeah, no, yeah. If, if she is moving an army beneath the tunnels, I think they would have a very much so mindset of it's for the greater good that, uh, that you don't survive this encounter. Yeah, they'd have to kill everybody they came in contact with. Yep, unless the people they came in contact with were loyal to Lady Credo and the insurrectionists. I wouldn't risk it. Well. You start spreading rumours about an army moving around. You start to alert the big yellow boys. Yeah, yeah. So but, at which point I think, sorry, I think she'd have no problem killing those imperial fists. No, the citizens in the tunnels. Um, no one has a problem killing imperial fists. <laughs> I mean, if we want, if we want to talk about killing imperial fists, we've got to remember the whole chapter actually already died. These aren't even real imperial fists. The War of the Beast. The whole lot of them got wiped out. They got restarted by uh, scouts from, uh, from successor chapters. That is true, actually. Yeah, but we're not talking about that. We're actually talking about that on our new podcast, Imperial Fist Talk. Boo. <laughs> That's in the title, the boo. Yeah, it's just the boo in brackets. All lowercase <laughs> to show the disrespect. Um, I like the Imperial Fists. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't. Yeah, that's fair. You don't like warlocks, though. People I, I, find that really but, weird. Yeah, I know. I know. They're, I'm very opinionated when it comes to things in 40K and Necromunda. I set on something, and I'm willing to have my mind changed, but until that point, I'm like, nah. nah. I've, I'm set in stone on this one. Yeah. yeah. Um, anywho, the other thing we're talking about here is that there is an army on Necromunda, that, a clandestine army, and... It is weakening everything that it's touching that is related to the current leadership and ruling houses or house. So that's that's really important because it just shows the, the capacity and strength of this rebellion. It's not just being able to defend Cinderac City. It's moving around and basically creating the, the perfect storm for the rebellion to kick up another gear. Well... In regards to weakness, uh, the next one here brings up sort of what I think a lot of houses either are or should be doing. Now, Jenga proves to be a poor ally to House Helmore as he quickly loses interest in the conflict between the houses after Cinderac City falls. Instead, forced to focus on proving his might by enforcing his right to lead by punishing all those alphas who sided against him. In an epic fistfight, Jangar beats down dozens of challenges until there isn't a Goliath in Primus willing to face him. Please tell me if you read this differently, but did Jangar basically just have like a battle royale with dozens of alphas who either sided against him or just like questioned him or maybe didn't want to try his lunch when he's like, hey, you should try this. And they're like, no, nah, I really don't like seafood. And then he's just like, to the pit. 
he's basically just gotten down there <laughs> with dozens of different alphas at the same time and has just smashed face. So he's like, just cleared his calendar and just said, he, I'm available from 1 a.m. Yeah. to 3 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get your lid off. We're going down there. He's going to tussle. Wait, yeah. who are you talking to? I'm talking to all of you. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, like this is him proving why he should be the over-tyrant. He is uniting House Goliath under his leadership yeah. in the yeah. truest of Goliath ways mm. by just beating the absolute snot out of people. But that's, that, as you say, it's the Goliath way. It needs yep. to be done that way. If it, there's any sort of, I guess, diplomacy or talk on the matter, he's not going to have the, the, the respect that he needs or the impact that he needs to unify this house anymore. And you've got to remember that him coming back under the guidance of Lady Credo is not, it's not important to him, Credo's mission. And we know that because he goes off and attacks Cinderac City pretty much almost on a whim. When he sees those plans, he's like, hey, I'll do this. So he's really looking at his position and his status and going, how do I re-establish that? And the yep. best way to do it is punch people out left, right, and centre. Do it the Goliath way. Just break noses, break backs, do whatever. And I think we mentioned it earlier as well, that the, the house needs to be re-established in its, in its presence of power because it's, as much as I'm probably not the biggest fan of Goliath, I, I like them, don't get me wrong, um, to, to know that they're in a weakened state, it just makes everything seem so much more vulnerable to have some, a house as big as that in such a terrible condition. Yeah, but they are the house is absolutely in tatters at the moment and there are a lot of members of House Goliath who just don't believe in Jenga. In fact, Axe and Hammer, our mate from earlier, genuinely just does not care about what Jengar's trying to do. His whole thing is, well, no, me and the Knuckle Boys are going to do our thing. Like, what, what do I care about House Goliath? Like, yeah, it's, it's, it is very interesting that, you know, after everything they were doing last book, Goliath really seems to be pulling back to the fist and going, we need to sort ourselves out. Yeah, we need to consolidate. And what you end up happening is basically warbands fighting. So yeah. you have this centralised consolidation and the gangs themselves become more autonomous and more more focused on their very small own agendas and not the agendas of what the house is doing, um, unlike, say, Escher or Delac. Or, or a pile of rocks. A pile of rocks is currently more organised than House Goliath. And yeah. That's dangerous because if Goliath gets pulled together and under the control of the fist of one man, and that man is Jenga Gunfist, uh, yeah, that's dangerous, especially yeah. with this going on right now. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if, if that actually has any like has the time uh, to take effect within this within this rebellion but yeah. anyway let's we can leave the Goliaths for a little bit I think at the moment mainly because we need to talk about a misshapen spawn oh we have... I, I didn't realize Steve was coming on this episode 
<laughs> unnecessary funny, but unnecessary. <laughs> well, we haven't talked about Eldar in a while. Yeah, true. Well, yeah, now, now, now I'm happy with what you said. Stupid yeah. Eldar. Um, I love the Eldar, by the way. I hate the fact that Steve plays them. Uh, anyway. I've never beaten his Elder. I've never beaten his Elder. I don't think I have either. Um, he plays them very well. He, he it's Actually, I played Steve for, what am I, 41 now? I've been playing him for the better part of, I'd say, close to 25 years. And I've never seen him command an army better than when he was using Elder. So yeah. before, like when he was using Space Marines and so forth, sort of like, oh, hey, yeah. crash. Yeah. <laughs> Even I beat his Space Marines and I'm terrible at 40K. But anyway, no. Yeah, go back. Necromunda. A misshapen spawn cultivated by the late Brethren of the Black Door escapes from beneath Cinderac City during the fighting. The thing rampages through the ruined settlement before climbing to the top of the Stormgate Watchtower where it promptly falls into a messy death on the rubble below. What? <laughs> um, so I'm guessing its cult gets killed or purged or, you know, whatever. They get lost. Or they, maybe they were, they were killed by the nomads and the spawn finally breaks out and it just breaks out into the middle of a battlefield. And... Yes. <laughs> climbs this tower, and I can just imagine, like, Goliath turn, Escher turn. Everyone's just looking at it like, what the f... Everyone just shoots it, and it just falls off. Like, yeah, the Chaos Gods really had plans for you, Chief. Yeah, and it was a mighty distraction at the Battle of Cinderac City. Yeah. So everyone's like, what are we fighting? Okay, cool, no problem. Just further emphasis. But actually... Further, sorry, I was going to say further emphasizes the point that there's lots of naughty no goods happening on Necromunda. But if that thing has come up from below Cinderac City, and we know Lady Credo's forces were below Cinderac City, surely maybe they chased it out. Or maybe they killed the cult and it mm. escaped yeah. that way. Yeah, maybe. But Ooh, well, like the, they, they definitely had an interaction. We'll put it there. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh, R.I.P. Brethren of the Black Dawn. Uh, pour one out for our fallen homies. Absolutely. But now we get to some really cool stuff. And from the ruins of Cinderac City, the prophet arises. Already driven to faith by the great darkness and the horrors it brought upon the world, Thousands flock to join the Prophet's growing pilgrimage until it stretches from the Great Crater to the ruins of the Makeda Gate. Elsewhere on Necromunda, the word of the Prophet spreads unrest and renewed devotion as countless cults rise up in his name. Oh, I... Religious nutters, my friend. I love this guy, and... You mentioned a little while ago, remember, you were just like, I love these things about 40K. I love the religious nutters. Yeah. And the, uh, I want an army with just priests everywhere. The prophet of the redemption is bonkers. This dude, like, imagine you're walking out of Cinderac City. You've lived there for however long. It's your home. It has been bombed and raided and shot up. 
and a spawn fell through your hovel roof and you're just like, nah, <laughs> I'm out of here. And you walk out and there's this weird old dude in like a robe and he's got a stick and on top of the stick is the skeleton of a man in what looks to be the tattered remnants of redemptionist clothing wearing a hat that is actually a flaming brazier. And this old dude holding it has this big old Gandalf beard and this crazy, like, uh, priestly hat, like a Pope hat. Yeah. But yeah. It, ha- it's, it, weirdly enough, has the Imperial Eagle and a, uh, the symbol of the Inquisition by the looks of it. And yeah, he bang- I was looking at that artwork. Yep. Yeah, like, weirdly inquisitorial. Uh, so he actually has the, it's a skeleton, obviously. It's described as the, as saint's bones. And it is the ancient remains of a redemptor priest held aloft on said pole. It actually reminds me, do you remember uh, in N95, the arch prophet of the redemption? I was just about to mention, because it's one of my favorite pieces of artwork by one of my favorite artists of all time from GW, Mark Gibbons. Um, and yes, it looks almost exactly like his hat. Yeah, so, like, it just, so far all we know is it's a saint, but is huh. it the Archprophet of the Redemption? Like, has, has he died and this, this prophet is, like, running around with him on a stick? Yes, it's... I don't know. Does it does it feel disrespectful? Is it disrespectful? I don't know. But it's got all like I'm looking at the 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 actual artwork, and it has all the same hallmarks of the artwork that we see in the Vaults of Temenos. Yeah, <laughs> mate. I reckon it probably is. I it is. But I don't oh. think I don't think we'll ever know the truth. To be honest, no. Well. Uh, this, this prophet is something big. Like he, he stands there as these, these people fleeing the city head out. And as they, they run into him, like he just steps out and these these hard nut fighters, you know, they they pull their pistols, they take a nice, you know, hard grip on their knives, and they stare at this man, and he just looks across them. And it says here, the pious ones were the first to kneel before the man, though soon the rest followed, for without their a word, they knew their saviour had come. Yes. Uh, creepy. It's, it's, it's very creepy. Um, it certainly makes me feel that it is, I don't know, something chaotic or something uh, divine. Now, there was mention of him. Oh, it's a bit, it is a little bit her- heretical. But there's a mention in one of the short stories about perhaps it is the Emperor Reborn 
um, to save Necromunda, which I, I, I think the Emperor's probably got a lot more going on than even to send 1% of his spirit into a being to save Necromunda of all places. His, his empire has been torn in half by literally um, existence being unmade. No, he has time to make an old man carry around a skeleton. Yeah, yeah. So where do you get the skeleton from, actually? That was one of my questions that I haven't had answered for me just quite yet. Um, well, when a mummy skeleton and a daddy, daddy skeleton love each other very much. Um, no, I, I don't know. I, you know, we talk about uh, religious fanaticism and some of the ooky spooky things that come from that. Man, maybe this dude was like a wandering priest and mm. he gets hit in the head with a rock one day and has some kooky vision and, you know, there's, there's the, he sees the emperor and the emperor's like, come over here, come over here, come over here. And he follows this vision to a cave and finds the corpse of the Arch Prophet of the Redemption. And he says, stick this guy on a stick and go talk to people at Cinderax City. Um, but with like, and lo, the emperor said unto his prophet, stick thine corpse upon said pole and travel to thine tabernacle. I, I would follow you, Sam, after that. See? That sound, sounded very um, pious, we'll say. Yeah. I, I, would make a, <laughs> I would make an excellent prophet. But that's, you know, we, we don't know. Right now, we don't know who, we don't know who this guy is. We don't know who these mm. bones are. All we know is people see him and they are immediately calmed by his mm. presence. And yeah. Words. There's a bit going on there as well because, and I'll go into the next read because it's going to be relevant. The prophet appears on the edge of the great crater, and all those who look upon his relic hear the voice of the lost saint speaking to them. Soon, a vast camp gathers around the holy man, filled with survivors of Cinderac City reborn in the light of the god emperor. So, relating to what we're talking about, people getting calm. It's not just his presence, it's this voice of the lost saint. Um, and I, I'm yet to find the answer to this question. Who is the lost saint of the redemption? Well, it actually mentions it, and it's going a little bit further. It actually mentions it in book four of the Aranthian Succession. The yes. Rise of Timmy Helmore uh, is the title I've been told. It's actually Saint Timmy. and. Yep. No, no. Oh, sorry. We shouldn't be talking about that book yet. No, no. We're no. revealing too much. Revealing yes. too much. Uh, <laughs> it, it does not tell us. I want to know who this saint is mm. because, you know, everyone seems to know about him. They can hear the voice of the saint. So there's, there's something tangible, what's going on here. And it's for my mind. Everything that's going on, you're talking about this huge camp that's being set up and the sort of uh, people of all makes and creed and whatever are being drawn into this redemption crusade. We'll call it a crusade for now. They're all being drawn together. This is how I imagine a chaos cult or a chaos incursion would begin on a planet 
where they begin to get drawn in, they begin to add military forces to themselves, and then suddenly you have a a hell of a problem when you've got, say, a corn-worshipping or just a chaos-worshipping cult that's infiltrated the military now in full flight and full swing. And that's what that's how I imagine the, they would work, in a very similar manner to what's happening here. It's about changing their their idea and their concept of what the redemption is about and being able to draw so many different elements of Necromunda together. Yeah. Yeah. And the elements I'm talking about people. And the people we're talking about, yes, they're ground level, but it seems as though the prophet is able to influence everybody from the, the very higher ups to the very low. So something is going on. But what, what does that remind you of? Where people from all stratas of society are hearing a voice, are seeing signs, where everyone is all of a sudden being touched by this presence and having to leave their lives. Yeah, right. Goosebumps. I've not clicked on to this until you've said about that, about the cult. I'm just, in my mind, I'm just like, man, it's exactly what the, oh my God. Yeah. Um, this is the silent ones all over again, where this prophet, because this section here really starts touching on it. People all across Necromunda are starting to hear these voices. Yes. They're saying, find the prophet, follow him, find the pilgrimage, join, mm. leave your sinful life. And yeah. Like it says here, because the redemption through all this, like with all this insane crap that's going on on Necromunda, like people, people are just mentally breaking. And yeah. organizations like the redemption have been just running absolutely unchecked. And these hivers are basically just going, you know what? My life hasn't worked up until now. The redemption say they can save me. They can save my soul. And a lot of these people are going to be having just some super weird PTSD. Yeah. And they're, they're going out and joining these redemptionist bands and, you know, flagellating themselves and burning anyone that disagrees with their particular interpretation of the imperial cult. And these groups grow bigger and bigger and bigger every day. And it says here, desperation drove many to join the growing pilgrimage of the faithful, a vast unwashed tide of humanity that grew larger every day. Hivers abandoned their habs to take up with the pilgrims, discarding the tools and trappings of their profession to carry religious icons or flagellate themselves in the name of the god emperor. Even clanners gave up their allegiance to their old masters to join the growing redemptionist crusade. At the centre of this growing pilgrimage was the Prophet, a mysterious figure who appeared in the aftermath of Cinderac City and seemed to possess an irresistible religious magnetism. I love my favourite bit about all that. I love this bit. The clan is giving up their, their allegiance. It's so good because who, who created some sort of semblance of order on Necromunda during the Great Darkness. It was the clan houses. 
They were the ones who put in the effort. The enforcers were protecting the high ups, the houses, the noble houses were up the duff. It was the clan houses that kept, kept, for use of a better term, kept the shit together. So for them to be giving up on their clans and going, after all we've done, after all we've established, I believe in the prophet more than I believe in my clan house. That shows some dangerous, dangerous thoughts brewing within what supposedly should be some very loyal members. There's just one other thing I want to mention, just in that in that section that you read, there's just one little thing before it, which I really, really love, where once many had heard only the ramblings of madmen or empty praise for an absent God in the words of the redemption, they now felt the truth and salvation in those yeah. same words. So there's, it, it's what I was talking to you about before, about the, the idea of a perfect storm, and that's what's being created. So you have the desperate nature of these people and suddenly these words make sense to somebody who's gone, I don't need to listen to that, but now it's the end of days. Because oh. their life was good before that. They didn't, they, their, <laughs> as good life, as it can be. their life was as good as it could be. So they're like, yeah. I don't need to listen to this guy screaming on the street corner. I'm, hmm. you know, I'm going to do some friends on with my buddies and punch on with an amble. Yeah. But then all of a sudden there's no friends on left. The amble ate half your crew. And you don't have a gang anymore, and this guy's coming up to you and going, hey, buddy, you know who loves you? The God Emperor. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Believe in his be light. Yeah. Yeah. You will be saved. Also, the idea of clan is leaving. I really want to see, like, Goliath Redemptionists. Oh, how cool would that be? Like, you'd have to put them in robes and masks, but you'd just look at them and be like, you're a beggar. Oh, but they'd be flagellating themselves for sure. So yeah. you could just imagine this, like, exposed robes on the back, scarred up back, and just carrying this meaty flail that is used upon himself and whoever he gets into contact with. That's cool. That's an awesome idea for a miniature. Mm, that's an awesome idea for a gang, but we're not going to fall not down that yet. carriage. Hold on. No, not no, yet. Not yet. So you've got all this religious fervor that's happening on the planet, but you've also still got a rebellion going. That's and right. yeah, that's still kicking off as well. So you actually, they, they, Frito particularly takes advantage of what's going on in this particular scenario by seeing that, okay, there's a massive movement and pilgrimage of people. So how can she use that to her advantage? And what she does is she continues to spread the idea and the concept of finding the lost saint while spreading the word of the lost saint. This in turn destabilized the hives, but most particularly destabilized a high primus. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't take much, they, they say, to, to garner the people of the Palatine Cluster to look for salvation in what's being promised by this new new prophecy. So that's her way of using, and it proves that she's a smart little cookie. It's her way of creating absolute chaos on the back of chaos that's already happening within Hera's control. Yeah. Well, it's 
It's also great for her because she's directing all of these people to leave Hive Prime. Oh, no, sorry, she's not directing all these people to leave Hive Primus. She's directing people to the words of the Prophet, who is directing people to leave and head towards Hive Temenos and the vaults therein, where it is said, great treasures and relics of the Ministorum of Necromunda resided. I'm imagining, like, an original copy of the, what is it? The Vidico Divinatus. Yeah. It's actually signed by Logar. Um, <laughs> people are just like, who's Logan? I don't know. But, yeah, no, but with all that happening, people are leaving Primus. People are leaving the cluster, which it's not just your everyday regular people, like we're saying. It's not just your hab workers and your, um, your bowling alley attendants. And your um, the people who like fix the chalk on the those the square chalks at pool holes. It's not just them. <laughs> it's everyone. It's your clanners, and it's a very your... particular job, by the way. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. If they're not there, who's going to do it? No one else that's knows true. how to do it. Yeah, you're right. Enforcers are leaving. Clanners are leaving. Um, nobles are leaving, and everyone mm. who puts the Imperial House and Lady Hera in a worse position. But it also puts uh, the House Cordor in a very bad position as well. In fact, Lord Mormaya, the Thane of Cordor and head of the what he would call the true redemption on Necromunda, he actually praises them in public and he says it's great that so many people are finding their faith, but he hates them and he hates this prophet because unlike the rest of the Redemption, who are outlaws, remember, and not right. officially sanctioned by House Cordor, they all report back, I'd say most of them, report back to Lord Mormaya, and they are under his control. The Prophet is not. No one, <clears throat> knows, where, no one knows where they're really being led from. They're only now starting to realise that they're being sent towards Hive Temenos. And, you know, Mormaya is keeping his eye on them. He has people going to check on them. But so does Lady Hera. In fact, Lady Hera, when she figures out exactly what's going on and that they're heading to the Mercator Gate to then head out to Hive Temenos, she sends her enforcers and her scrutinators, which are basically like another level of enforcer, but they're like they're psychers, kind of. Oh, um, really? Do you remember in that Dread remake with Carl Urban? Yes, I do. Um, Anderson oh. was like she could it's like a telepath, not a telepath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, they could uh, just sort of yeah. yeah. That's yeah. basically what a scrutinator is. Um, there's a really cool scrutinator we can talk about at the end of the episode. In fact, we'll talk about her a little bit through the episode, but we'll really yeah. get into her at the end of the episode. Um, but a bunch of these uh, enforcers and scrutinators went to Temenos or tried to get close and sort of patrol and sort of say, hey, guys, what are you all doing? And something happens to them. They are converted to his cause. 
So at one point, the prophet stands upon the overturned wreck of a Cargo 8 Ridge Hauler and yeah. gives a sermon to a crowd of tens of thousands. That's just his faithful. And there are huge crowds of people from the Makeda Gate and some of the scrutinators that Hera has sent. And it's interesting because those closest to the prophet, like his almost personal guard, they have a seven-pointed star guard over their hearts. So it's weird that this symbol of Lady Credo is now appearing on this almost completely separate entity. And while all these people are watching him, it's described that the prophet speaks with the voice of the lost saint. And those bones that he carries with him, they start vibrating as if the spirit itself was communicating with the people from beyond. It's very chaotic. It's like what you said before. This is how chaos cults form. Yeah, Mass hallucinations. Yep. And the other thing about it as well, and it's a harping back to House Cordor. House Cordor would be obviously very, very concerned about this because this is beyond the guise of becoming a redemptionist crusade. It actually is, for me, and this is just personal opinion, it's like a House Cordor Mark II. You know, if this was organised, if this was centralised and there was some guidance and some hierarchy established, you could very well have another house corridor just with a different name. They have all but the then, building blocks there. Yeah, but this is this is how House Delark started. People left their job. People left their houses. People yep. left and yep. en masse decided we are a new entity. What yep. is to stop these now, what, tens of thousands or tens of it, tens be, of thousands? Uh, yeah, I'd say you're talking 100,000 plus minimum okay. by this stage. You've got 100,000 people here from all walks of life, from all walks of industry. And this is so far just from, what, Primus, Cinderac City, um, you know, the, the Primus sort of cluster and that. If, he, if that message spreads, what's to say you don't have an entire hive say, hey, we're all house prophet now. Yeah, yeah, we we belong to this house and we have control over X amount of territory and we have control over X amount of production and so forth and we are to be recognised as a house. And this is a, probably a little bit more political than um, what this section of the read needs, but you, I, I think you'd probably see a unification of the other houses against something like that. They'd be like, no, 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 there's no, there's no additional room at the table for another house. You either resolve your differences with House Cordor and and amalgamate into them or you overrun them. That's yeah. that's your only two choices really. That's even worse though. House Cordor's already the most numerous. And yeah. they I think the only reason they're not really a lot more important than than they are now is because they they don't really have enough leadership. Like Mormeo's yeah. an idiot. Remember last episode he's just like uh, Helmore got shanked because uh, the Emperor tested him. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, what a dummy. And now he's just like, ooh, I don't like this prophet. 
Yep. Yeah. So there's for me, there's a lot going on. As in, you could grow and develop this this new crusade into something massive, into another clan house. But let's circle back just a little bit because I do want to talk about that seven pointed scar over the hearts mm. of those members. So we know the book clearly states that Credo, Lady Credo, is not a hundred percent sure what's going on with this crusade. They bear the same symbol as what she's bearing as well. And it leaves the question as to what is the link between Credo and the Redemption, because there is clearly a link. Now, it's something that we haven't explored or touched upon earlier in the episode, but there is a motivating factor and a driving force behind Lady Credo as well. So earlier, we there is a section of the book which is really one of the fluffy sections, not sort of that formalised history section that talks about, a, it gives you a little tidbit of what exactly is going on with regard to Credo. It was pitch black within the sanctum, the kind of darkness so thick you could feel it physically press against you from all sides. To Lady Credo, it was a comforting reminder of all those long centuries ago when the first had found her, more dead than alive, just as her enemies had left her. If she could see, she may well have marvelled at the body they had made for her, young, strong, lithe and beautiful, unlike the ruin of flesh she had once been. But it was not her longevity or beauty she focused on now, rather the faint whispers of the echo, that lingering voice left by her master that, even now rippled through the psychic ether surrounding Necromunda. The war has begun, she murmured. The ruling Helmor has fallen and his heirs struggle for his scraps. Soon the vacuum of power will expand to crush the noble houses and they will cry out for your return. The last signs are here. Even now the false prophet rises to lead the faithless to their doom. By their zeal shall the last defences fall before us. It is as you have planned, my master, all those long years at last coming to fruition. Pretty full on. And this is the very start of the book. So this is a great way to, I guess, introduce another character that we know diddly squat about at this stage. Lady Credo's blind? <laughs> Got on the terps, mate. This is twenty four seven hammered. <laughs> is that why she has the servo skulls with her to help her see? Of course. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. and so that veil covers up the fact that she can't see. Yeah, which is weird because as one of the blades, you'd reckon she'd have excellent mm. eyesight. As um, one of the blades, eh? False prophet, you say? Yes. But then the prophet has the sign of Lady Credo, that seven-pointed star. Yep. There's an overarching big baddie here, or big goodie, we don't know. There is something overarching that's controlling both of these elements, but keeping them separate away from each other, that there is no cohesion or unity with, between them. And as we said earlier, that... Credo is unable to truly drive the prophet or that crusade in a particular function 
she has to use rumours and hearsay to help create more fervour for the redemption. No, sorry, for the crusade. But she knows it's all for the, the, the end goal, the greater good in her mindset. But we do find out a little bit more about Credo in this as well, in the fact that she has been rebuilt and she's been around also. Well, we know this already, but she's been around for a very long time. We also find out that she meets the first. The first Helmor? Dunno. Uh, Unsure. Yeah, the first Timmy. Um, <laughs> well, you've actually managed to answer no questions. You've yes. raised more questions. So let's step away from you know, the geopolitical implications of a planet-wide religiously, you know, fundamentalist religious cult taking over large sections of, you know, the population and possibly waging war on Hive Temenos. I'm not sure yet. And let's talk about earthquakes. Earthquakes rock the wastes around the statue of Mung I. Ooh, the first leading the faithful to believe the ancient saint is somehow displeased with their devotion. Okay. As a I thought we weren't talking little, about religion anymore. I was going to say, there's a few little kawinky dinks yeah. in this one. Throngs of pilgrims crowd beneath the statue with offerings until a swarm of ash lions break the surface and consume them. So, okay. Apparently, ash lions are causing earthquakes and... Are these the beasts you would have been talking about last episode and you didn't realise? Perhaps, yeah, I think Remember. so. I've never heard of uh, Ash Lions Ash before. Ash Lions, they sound awesome. Throw them into a beastery episode. I think if you're trying to search for a picture of an Ash Lion, good luck, buckaroo. Okay, I've Googled Necromunda Ash Lions and I've found a really cool... Um, I found a really cool Space Marine chapter someone's invented called the Ash Lions. Okay, oh, right. so apparently there's no, there's nothing. I think. Okay. I think the Ash Lion could get the uh, Law Keeper treatment in a Beast Tree episode, and we create all the law for it, mm. and that gets ratified and becomes concrete. Well, it's already in a book, so anything we make up is officially canon. But yes. I okay, so Mung the First, he's an ancient saint. This this leads us back to possibly who you were just talking about with Lady Credo. Mm. Yeah. First. We're talking um, about a saint. There's a fair bit going on there. Faithful believe he's somehow that he's an ancient saint. Okay. But also then dummy dum dums. Getting eaten by ash lions. I love it. I a love swarm. everything about it. A, a swarm, swarm, a swarm <laughs> of ash lions. That implies Sorry. they're bugs. Would it not be oh. like a, a pride of ash lions? I don't know. Maybe it's just the wording. I like to think it's like lion looking creatures. Lion bugs. Lion Six bugs. legged lions. Yeah. With mandibles. Done. But like like ant lions from uh Final Fantasy. Yeah, exactly like those, except probably obviously scarier and very 40K-ish. Yeah, not cartoony at all. No, not okay. at all. 
<laughs> sick. All right, I think we can move on from old Mung the first, the first bloke to eat something. Oh, they, they, we eat Mung now. No, because when you're Mung on something, you chew on something. Oh, no, remember uh, we uh, Mung vases? It was the brains. Oh, yeah, that's remember? disgusting. No, <laughs> that's been put out of my brain. No, that's gross. I like it. Anywho, next point. Across Necromunda, thousands of word keepers and redemptive priests hear the voice of the lost saint in the rumble of machines, the hiss of carbon scrubbers or the howl of ash winds. Gathering up in their flocks, they depart their hives and settlements, making the long journey towards High Primus and the Prophet. So this is exactly what we've just been doing a lot of talking about. Um, the, 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 the voice that is being heard. But in this particular circumstance, it's being heard in the rumble of machines and the hiss of carbon, carbon scrubbers and the howl of the winds. So this is not just the prophet doing this. This is coming from the environment and the machinery itself, which is speaks to something more and probably really sits true to the fact that it could be something to do with the Silent Ones. Well, it's also weird here that it seems to be affecting specifically the religious, specifically thousands of word keepers and redemptor priests. And then, you know, making these obviously already religious folk alter their perception on their religion. And yep. they gather their flocks, once again, depart their hives and settlements, and they start moving towards Primus. Yes, it's, it's what we have mentioned before about them leaving their homes, what they're safe and comfortable with. But I guess more importantly for me, I see this as just an explosion in numbers for this crusade because you're not just, it's not just the prophet and his like immediate crusade it's happening all across and because mm -hmm. i said it it's the environment and the factories and all that that is starting to spread this word basically every part of necromunda becomes some sort of i guess calling siren song for the those who are who are religiously inclined and they're going to be drawn further and further down to, to join the crusade where I, I, for me it's like the crusade needs to the crusade is what you would use to convert the the ones who are sitting on the fence or who don't believe in any of this whereas the voice that's coming out of this is or it will be easily heard by those who want to hear it or the, the believers for use of a better term it's also in my opinion just fantastic that once again this is exactly what happened with the Dalak. And for people who knew their history of Dalak, sort of like the, the actual nobles and the Imperial House and all these things, I can, I'm just imagining them freaking out about this, not just because of the loss of production and everything else that's going on, but they're just like, is this going to be a separate house or what you said before, are they going to end up joining with the Corridor and eclipsing all of us? I, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And yeah. it, it is, 
I, it, it, it's chaotic. It has to be chaotic. Like this, yeah. this is this is some changer of ways style. Like let's just start whispering to these insane people through steam escaping a broken pipe, and next thing you yeah, know, right. cool. we're locking like the doors and gassing a hive. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Standard practice. Yeah, we're really starting to drink the flavor aid on this one, kids. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, but that's the terrifying thing. And you can see that a terror being expressed through Cordor as well. But this is something I love because this is where Cordor try to, I think, hit back and cut this profit off before he gets too big. Yeah, he's now, only a couple of hundred thousand strong. Do you see? Oh, he's still controllable at this stage. More potatoes, mate. <laughs> Fearful of the devotion he inspires, a motley band of Cordor scum attempt to kill the prophet before his word can spread any further. When confronted by the holy man, they immediately fall to their knees and swear their allegiance, turning on those few among them who refuse to join his growing pilgrimage. You cannot tell me this is natural. When, yeah. when groups of scum coming to kill you, you turn them with your words to your cause so thoroughly, so completely, that they kill those of their ilk who are not willing to follow you. They're killing their own possible gangmates, their yeah. own family because they aren't immediately bowing to you. So there is a hope that this is not all-encompassing then. Because if there are those who can resist it... True, true. Then there are those who can say, no, 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 no. There is a false prophet here, as Credo calls him. So... You know who this reminds me of? Go on. Remember in the last book, uh, what was his name? Yith Wild Eyes. Yes. That, that weird that came up was just like mind controlling. He was turning dozens of gangs to his, to his control. And like how I described them, like it, they were in their own minds screaming because their bodies weren't obeying them anymore. That's how I imagine this, but it seems almost more willing upon Yeah. The... Yeah. It, feel, it feels like it's either you are or you aren't it's, yeah. but it's obviously a lot more you are like once you're once you're on my side you're completely and totally devoted to my cause which then becomes your cause whereas mm. it it's i think with yith it was more sort of like well you're on my side no matter what even if you even if you don't want to be you're on my side um and because you mentally can't resist me exactly well, yeah Whereas with the prophet, I, write, I think you're right. So Yith was obviously driven by chaotic powers. Yeah. But I think with the prophet, you are right. It is a, a chaotic element to it. But it, it seems a little bit more refined, a little bit cleaner. Yeah, it does. It's not just crowbarring a will within to somebody. It's making them think that that choice of will is their own. Oh, I like that. 
I, I like it makes them think it's their own choice. Huh. So we, we engage more with the, the prophecy and the redemptionists and the religious fervor hitting Necromunda. Outlaw redemptionist gangs of all kinds emerge from the bad zones or outlands, entering hives and settlements where once they would have been shot on sight. Some of the most notorious crews ever assembled, such as the Children of Cinders or the Flayed Pilgrims, are welcomed into the Prophet's growing following with open arms. Flayed Pilgrims sounds sick. It, it's, I can imagine it is a lot of blokes walking around, and males, females, whatever, who are flayed, I imagine. They would be doing the flaying. Oh no, they'd probably be flayed. Oh no, no, no. I'm thinking I'm thinking flagellate. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, flayed flayed. So oh, yucky. Yeah, skinning. Yeah. Skinny. Ew. Um no. no. Weird weird thing to point out. A lot of cordal gangs are actually single sex. They um like separate. Oh, right. Yeah, male, okay. Females. Yeah, but you do yeah. have all male and all female gangs of both Cordor and Redemptionists. But, um, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Which we'll eventually talk about in our Cordor episode, whenever that's going to be. It'll but... definitely be before the Vansar <laughs> episode, I'll tell you that. Damn. Um, <laughs> but this shows, once again, the prophet's reach is huge. It doesn't matter yeah. if you were, you know, law-abiding or outlaw. If you were sort of, you know, normal redemptionist or really sort of off-the-reservation redemptionist, he welcomes you. Yes, but they're being drawn to it as well. Yeah. So, as you say, all kind of cocoa banana redemptionists are hearing the voice and going, yep, that's for me. Even though it may not necessarily align with what I was or who I am, that's my new pathway. Mm. He's Mm, building an army. It's an army and it's attacking Primus. And speaking of armies, we are about to talk about one here. Slate Medina holds a family reunion in the ruins of the Lucky Six. Six of his 12 daughters are present, and after making sure each of them is well, he orders them to go out in the wastes to find their other sisters so that the Medinas can be ready for whatever is coming next. Well, Slate... One of your daughters got sucked out of a window uh, last book because <laughs> she shanked Ronte, or at least that's my theory. Oh, that, I'm, I'm I'm with you on that theory. Yeah, yeah, man. Can you imagine the whole Medina family back together? That is a gang I would like to play. What gang would they be? Just House Medina. House <laughs> Medina. <laughs> yeah, they'd probably be funky. I reckon. Yeah, like, that'd all, like all be insane. Funky Medina. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're welcome. Gang idea. <laughs> the funky co-Medinas. The funky co-Medinas. Any, okay, super simple, outlaw gang based around any of the Medina sisters. And yeah. it's just a bunch of, like, scum or orlock or whatever, just a bunch of girls who are like just mates with said Medina sister. And yeah. that's it. It's just like get in loser, we're going raiding. <laughs> it's basically mean girls, but with like firearms. I love it. I actually I like mean, that. I don't I don't mind 
That's cool. And parachute pants as a minimum. Parachute pants, yeah, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) That's really, really cool. All right. I don't think there's much to talk about there. No, that's that's it. That's perfection. Yeah. Uh, as the pilgrimage works its way through the waste towards High Primus, the mighty city is racked by rebellion and discontent, exactly what Credo was hoping for. Yep. Enforcers crack down on habs and factories, bringing the faithful to heal in the name of Lady Hera. But it is only, half, it is, but it is only a half measure, as more and more pilgrims pour into the High, bringing tidings from the prophet with them. So this is exactly what... Greedo and I guess the first her master who would would be looking for complete and utter chaos within Primus, and it is a it's it's an unstoppable wave of humanity that is that is causing the disaster without any sort of real tactical advantage being gained. Like they're not particularly trying to take out a building or destroy a complex or undermine a particular group or whatever the case might be. It's just a vast population pouring in, upsetting the status quo within the hive and stretching the enforcer cadre thin. Yeah. Hmm. But like you've said it perfectly, this is what Credo wants. She's directing them in this fashion and saying to them, head this way, get to Temenos however you need to, but you've got to either go through or come close to Primus because that is drawing more troublemakers straight into where Lady Hera wants them least, and it's drawing more and more of her citizens out and towards the cause of this prophet. Yeah, yeah, I love it. This is, yeah. And the enforcers just doing what they do. They're enforcing and they're just, yeah, like they crack down on habs and factories and they bring the faithful to heal in the name of Lady Hera. So they're going to shoot three of your mates and say, stop misbehaving. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly, you, exactly you, that. Yeah, you, they are a brick on a string that someone is swinging in a crowd. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Whoever whoever's going to draw their ire is just going to cop it, whether whether or not that means they were actually doing something wrong, or they had just been the unfortunate to get in the way. Classic Necromunda. And speaking of drawing the ire of someone, relic peddlers infest the streets of Dust Falls, offering tokens and trinkets they claim to have come from the Prophet and his followers. After a particularly poorly fashioned bone Aquila, said to have been blessed by the prophet himself, fails to stop an Escher gang queen from getting stabbed to death, her sisters make a sport of hunting down every peddler in Dust Falls. Man, the one time my crudely fashioned bone Aquila fails, a gang queen gets stabbed to death. I mean, (laughs) you know classic story you've heard it a thousand times before yeah no oh it's it's a genuine (laughs) classic bit of reading for necromunda but this is just classic uh you know necromunda consumerism at its finest (laughs) people have seen the opportunity to make a quick few creds and you know everyone is just knocking together as many you know little relics and 
fetishes and all that sort of stuff that they can to get out into the marketplaces. And unfortunately, uh, Gang Queen has put a little bit too much faith in uh, some silver-tongued merchant and has ended up bleeding out. I actually feel sorry for the peddlers, to be honest, because after everything that's happened in Dust Falls, they're just uh, like... The, the, the free state of Zep. Sorry, the free state of Zep. Um, they have tried to just make a little bit of coin on the side and they've turned themselves into targets. Shouldn't so, yeah, that's true. They did to an Esher Queen, so I don't really mind. Have Adam, girls. Have Adam. <laughs> Anywho, House Co-Iron seeks to harness the power of the prophet for themselves and employ an impersonator of the holy man to parade around the spire. The noble house's reaction to the poor imposter is one of abject terror rather than devotion, and a bloody battle immediately breaks out when it, when he is presented, leaving the prophet as little more than a stain on the chamber floor. Classic noble nonsense, using some poor soul to generate some sort of outcome for themselves, and the poor geezer dies. He's not even, like, one of the nobles. He's some theatre major. Yeah. From the local university, and they're like, "Listen, put the beard on, yeah. walk around with, walk around with the the pole with the bones on it, and it's it's just some skeleton that one of them's had, you know, in the living room. Oh. It's some great grand uncle, and it's he's got it on a stick, and he's just walked in, gone woogie woogie woogie, <laughs> and these nobles are just like, yep, last pistols, digi lasers. They've just just." absolutely annihilated this poor guy and the house co-iron co delegates are just like oh man you guys really misinterpreted this <laughs> um, hey this was his this was a positive thing yeah. this, was, this was this was supposed to be fun like, i just see it as the mandarin from the uh iron man movie <laughs> that's 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 my vision of him <laughs> Oh, my God, it's the Mandarin. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, ooh, <laughs> this, is a, this is a good one. An all-female redemptionist gang known as the Daughters of the Flame invades Hive City from the Underhive, claiming to be servants of the Prophet. Those of House Cordor faithful to the Prophet are divided between welcoming their sisters to the fold and fleeing in fear as the daughters burn down everything in sight. <laughs> uh, it's good to know that even female redemptionist gangs are still absolutely insane who love setting things on fire. I am a huge fan of this. And I also love how these house corridor guys are just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, they seem pretty cool. They've got masks and robes on too. And no, no, they've set fire to the town. Guys, yep. cheese it. Cheese it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I purely think the Daughters of the Flame have taken advantage of the situation. Yes. And they've just turned up and just gone, sort of burn stuff. We just want to, yep. you know, we're, we're pyromaniacs. We're long since forgiven, given up the idea of any sort of religious devotion. Just want to burn things. And they're like, oh, yeah, prophet sent us. Or you know, here we're on the we're on his pathway. So we've got to burn down the local hospital, the local school. 
the local. We're just burning down the local. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love it because this is this is classic corridor redemptionist oh. insanity. Like, yeah. go nuts. <laughs> just just have at it and it's a perfect time for it because there's sort of a bit of escapism with everybody they're just like oh yeah no the emperor willed this one he he hated that bloody local bakery in that orphanage nah, mate. Yeah. Well, doing all the wrong things yeah they had they had sultanas in their porridge you know who does that heretics yep justified daughters of the flame yep Everyone knows you have raisins in porridge. I'll say this on behalf of the audience. Boo, Samuel, boo. Okay. <laughs> Keep it up. I will burn down your settlement next. <laughs> so, Spaniels of the flame. The spam, Spaniels of the flame. <laughs> right. Gang idea. Oh, gang idea. Absolutely. With the original name. I love it. Really, really good. Um, so right. Enforcers tried to stem the tide of pilgrims entering High Primus by hanging trespassers from the Bridge of Saints over the riftways. Such is the number of pilgrims strung up that eventually the bridge itself begins to sag under the weight of the hundreds of ragged corpses. Now, I've just got a few points about this. Number one, um, the, the tide of pilgrims that seems to be a common theme that we're exp- we're talking about quite a fair bit. Mm-hmm. Secondly, enforcers are stupid. Yes, they're just like our job is to hang them from the bridge. Just there's, keep doing there's it. No ex- there is no explanation needed. Enforcers mm. are stupid. Yeah, just like just keep hanging them. Just keep hanging them. Just keep hanging them. So they're like, oh yeah, you're a trespasser. Hang him. Trespasser. Hang him. And then they they, they begin to sag the bridge because they've hung hundreds. It's, again, harps back to the old communication issues on the planet at the time, I think. Nobody being able to tell the enforcers, okay, it's not working, boys. Try You're something wrecking else. the bridge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, no, but this is, I think this is just a, everyone knows, anyone who's caught uh, trespassing, we're, we're going to hang them. And they ha- they're sticking to their word. Doesn't matter how dumb it is, they're sticking to their word. Yeah, it's it's silly stuff. Yeah. Um, and they, I, this blindly following the rules. I get it. I get it. It it's sort of what's needed to control large masses of the population, but it also means that we have some really cocoa bananas stories coming out of the enforcers as well. Yeah, but what's new? Yeah, true, true. Oh. Yep. <laughs> The cult of the true resurrection experiences a resurgence of membership as the word of the prophet spreads. It is not long before the underhive is teeming with the crazed redemptionists, all praising the coming doom of the Imperium, begging for scraps at settlement gates or setting upon helpless travellers. Now, this seems just a little too chaotic to be your run-of-the-mill redemptionist gang. They're yeah. praising the coming doom of the Imperium, or are they praising the coming doom that happens to be the Imperium? Are they praising the forecoming Imperial Army that we talked about last episode? Remember yeah. the, the yeah, Imperial yeah, fleets were coming? Maybe yeah, that's the doom they're praising. 
Like, I, th I think he'd make a terrible enforcer. They're asking too many questions. Good point. Hang them all from the bridge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, I, I, I'm with you on this one. I think they are praising the coming doom of the Imperium, as in the the Imperium's coming and they're going to absolutely roll heads because you you people are screwing around when you should just be producing and creating tithes. Now give me some food or I will stab you. Yeah, I love that. Oh, the world's coming to an end. Everything's going terribly. By the way, I'm starving. Has anybody just even got just a, a little portion of starch for me? And if you don't give me some, I'm going to stab you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, lovely bunch to get involved with. All right, next one. In the depths of the great cisterns of high primus, the Water Guild discovers a nest of mutants driven from the Underhive by the recent influx of redemptionists. Backed into a corner, the mutants fight a bloody battle for their lives until the water pipes of a dozen nearby domes run red with their blood and ochre. Yes. It's not good. That's no, not that's good. awesome. Because, <laughs> yeah, this is something we really haven't touched on. All these redemptionists, because let's be honest, most I'm going to say most of the prophet's followers aren't really going to be faithful, but they're going to be redemptionists. And we yep. know if there's one thing the redemption hates, apart from, I don't know, not being psychopaths, yeah. it's mutants. So Cordor yeah. almost seemed to be cool with them mm. because, you know, they, they can understand, hey, you've got... You might be a big lumbering thing, but if we stick a tiny fella on your back and then strap a heavy stubber to you, you're an excellent shig stig shambler. Yeah, but true. the redemption are very much so that, you know, kill the mutant, kill the witch, kill the heretic, and these poor mutants might just have, you know, might just have been pushed out of whatever little settlement they had. And it, it does say that once they were backed into a corner, that's when they fought a bloody battle for their lives. And unfortunately, they didn't come out on top of that one. No, but they've obviously ruined the, uh, the water system for high privates, or certain sections of high primus. To say, I mean, ruined, is probably the water's not probably great anyway. But it's, it's exactly what you say. Something we haven't touched on is that a lot of the mutants and so forth and scabbies and whatever are being driven out by redemptionist gangs that are now sort of getting some sort of legitimacy because people are going, oh, well, that's just part of the crusade. That's part of the prophecy. So they're okay to exist. Man, I kind of feel bad for them. I do, actually. I, I do, I too. Damn it, Necromunda, making me feel feelings. <laughs> like, I, I don't know why I think this. I view the the mutants and scabbies as, like, sort of peaceful. Yeah, <laughs> like, like... Like, leave us alone. We're lepers. You shouldn't come near us. And the redemption is just going, let's go get them. Like, we, we've got legitimacy now, thanks to the prophet. Let's go roll some roll some heads. Yeah, yeah it's, it's literally giving them, like, not really government sanction, but, like, Profit-sanctioned, like yeah. violence against these 
poor bloody mutants who are just minding well, their own business. Yeah, just and, trying to find a little bit of gas. That's it. Yeah, we're just trying to find gas to sell it to that guy that's going to sell it to someone else who is going to make a drink and give someone mind bullets. Like, yeah. leave the mutants alone. It's a peaceful life. Leave yeah. them alone. Guys, new year, new you. Leave the mutants alone. That's our new campaign. Leave the mutants yeah. alone. Yeah. And when I say campaign, alone. I mean like, you know, a um, an ideological campaign. Yeah, we can we can roll that into Goblin Juve's military coup we talked yeah. about earlier. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No more nap time and <laughs> leave the mutants alone. Yes. <laughs> it's going to confuse a lot of people, but I think that'll work. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, if we're talking about ridiculous campaign ideas, Lady Hera, realising the pilgrimage's target is the Cathedral Hive of Temenos, seeks to tighten her control over its cardinal, Armand. While within Hive Primus, Lord Mormaya, the Thane of Cordor, tries in vain to bring together the splinter faiths of the Redemption to oppose the rising influence of the Prophet. I think everyone is starting to realise that they are in trouble. Yes, I think that the, once Lady Hare is on board to say, hang on a second, there's shenanigans afoot. Um, I reckon she said it exactly that way too. There's shenanigans afoot. Yeah, exactly. She's <laughs> shenanigans afoot, I feel. That, that's canon. That's her voice. That's, that's my Lady Hare voice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think. Once she has worked out the fact that there's a lot of crap going down in Primus, because there's a lot of stuff we haven't mentioned from the actual book about how insidious uh, the Prophet and the Crusade is being within High Primus. It's causing a lot of trouble. And we've mentioned a fair bit about Primus. Now she's starting to see the, the fact of where it's moving. She's probably in a position where she can actually take control well, not control, but at least take some action towards yeah. trying to slow it down. Mate. Just a, sl- a sl- quick side note about Lady Hera, because I've got the book up in front of me. She's got ballerina shoes on, by the way. Does she? Yeah. I've never noticed that before. I don't know. I have to look at this now. Oh, my yeah. God. She does. Yep. Either that or she's striking a pose before, I'm assuming, murdering a sibling. <laughs> True. Uh, classic classic derail. Yeah. <laughs> My um, apologies. Yeah. Oh, those are great shoes. They don't Ooh. seem very practical. No. Uh, no. But no, you're right. Uh, we've mentioned a lot about Hive Primus, but the obviously it's it's our capital. It's it's where all the bigwigs really sit. And yeah, Mormayer is sitting there going, "Oh God, Emperor, no! I need to I need to stop." my forces and my troops and my gangs from joining this false prophet. And you can just imagine the, the terror this man is feeling as he's grasping on these straws that they're all just slipping through his fingers because every time anyone seems to send someone to stop this prophet, he does, he does his sort of mind magic and whoever it is just joins him. It's, yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. So just to, I guess, fit it within our timeline of where this happens, noble outcasts from the noble houses of Necromunda gather in the audience chamber of Lady Hera, convinced that the 
that Lord Helmore's 13th daughter intends to murder them. They are surprised when she bestows upon them the stewardship of their respective houses. This would have doubtlessly caused outrage amongst their more competent siblings if Hera had not just had them all slaughtered. So we, we've talked about this before as well, and uh, just showing, or exemplifying really what Hera, Hera is about and her level of psychosis and her level of, I guess, determination, we'll call it. Well, there's also, she has reason to be this paranoid. And like there's, there's actually a great example in the book of why she should be paranoid. You sort of briefly mentioned it earlier, uh, but why don't you read about that part there? Right, yes. So there is an assassination attempt on her by the... Shock and horror. An imperial leader or noble being having an assassination attempt on them. Shock, horror, it doesn't exist, does it? But within... This assassination attempt, it, she discovers that it is agents of the Prophet. Now, whether or not the Prophet has sent them directly or um, whether they are, I guess, part of his council or whoever might be making some more grandiose decisions, they have shown their hand in a way that uh, will mean that Lady Hera will be hunting them down as not just a nuisance within the Underhive and within the, the great cities, but also as a direct threat to not only her life, but her her legacy and her ability to rule. Her, and her control. Yes, like her control. The, these assassins, and yeah, whether you, uh, whether you believe they are working on their own or the Prophet is sending them or Lady Hera is sending, Credo is sending them and pretending that they're agents of the prophet where they're actually agents of hers or they're just, you know, cracked out redemptionists or they're chaos cultists pretending to be redemptionists. Well, like there's a bit to in there. <laughs> like, or they're, a- they're agents of the charioted cam trade. Like, we don't know. But it's definitely not the last one, so. Well, we don't actually know. <laughs> and this is the thing, like... Hera is now seeing that she she knew these people were a threat, but she now sees that they are a threat to her. Mm, directly. And, it is. Yeah. There's, no, there's no mist and shadows here. It is direct, and it is as blunt as it could possibly be. Within that assassination attempt, the little bit of info that we find out about that, there's a really cool insight to her mindset as well, and I'll just read it directly from the book. It says, you have and to do the voice. The lady hair of voice. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't. Oh, hello. <laughs> uh, so she's looking at her father, Gerontius, through a stasis chamber, and this is her conversation with, well, let's just call it his corpse at the minute. When I reshape this world, they won't even remember your name. You'll just be another footnote in the Hellmore line. Like, what's his name? Or that auntie we never liked whereas my legacy will live on for millennia. Hives will be named after me. I, I love that. And it's stepping away for a little bit from what we're talking about, but it just gives us a really cool insight as to what's going on inside of her brain and that level of, I guess, as I mentioned before, determination that she has 
and how she envisages herself. I also like the fact she's like, you know, hives will be named after me. Cinderac City is literally named after your uh, like great grand aunt mother. You know, Gothril's Needle was named after the brother that she straight up murdered. Um, then like the Eye of Selene. Uh, yeah. All of these places she was, she was. suck. <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere named after a person just seems to suck. Hive Mortis, mad. Love that joint. Uh, yeah, I was about to mention Mortis is probably, probably the exception to the rule. Yeah, Gothril's Needle, actually pretty rad. Titanworks represent. Oh, yeah, and it's um, the democracy as well. Yeah, oh, dirty, dirty democracy. Uh, but, yeah, hair is starting to crack here, and then, yeah, she uh, obviously turns around and there's just a bunch of murder hobos with very expensive-looking weapons, which is what sort of throws me, like, maybe maybe someone else is supplying these limbs. Hell, this might just be Mormaya sort of going, you know what, I don't like, I don't like this new Lord Helmore. I'm going to have her shanked and hopefully we get someone a little bit more malleable mm. put into place. But or are know. they the Archaeotech weapons of the... That's what I'm saying. Lady Creta? White cloaks, we'll call them. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Um, oh, yeah. Moving on. Well, we're going to see some actual troops of the Prophet here and some more shenanigans going on in Hive City. The streets of Hive City run red as mass flagellations take place among the followers of the Prophets. Lines of bareback pilgrims wander the plazas followed by creaking auto-scourges the sounds of the barbed whips tearing at flesh, ringing throughout the city, and fresh blood spattering anyone not quick enough to get out of the way of the procession. It's like the world's worst Mardi Gras. <laughs> I imagine it still has the same super upbeat music. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it would. It's a bunch of just insane religious fanatics being whipped by, like, servitors, but, like but their arms just sort of spin in circles and it's just whips. <laughs> yeah, it's just continuous flaying. And instead of confetti or, like, beaded necklaces, it's blood. Yes, blood and maybe the occasional ear getting thrown about. Mm. Yeah, there'd be a few ears. <laughs> um, yeah, don't want to go to this, uh, this parade. Parade sounds really crap. No, no, it's definitely one of the least... Uh, enjoyable things to be on, to be involved with in Necromunda. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it's probably a, a horrible place to be, but that's pretty much exactly what's going on across the whole planet at the moment. And House Iron hosts the leaders of the pilgrimage in Hive City. So they're trying mm. to re-establish something for themselves. Though it is not long before their council is overrun by the unwashed. Loom, the oldest representative of Core Iron, tries to reason with the crowd in the name of the God Emperor, sputtering out platitudes and prayers even as he's strung up from the statue of Saint Gavos. So, as I said, there's a lot going on in Necromunda at the moment, and parades of flagellating, uh, what, crazies, 
is yeah. only just one element of it. But it's very interesting and it's something that we I, I always mention and I probably bore the daylights out of people with it, is when when the nobles are getting attacked by the great unwashed, there are some serious, serious issues going on on your planet. They need to be utterly protected, whether by enforcers, their own house, or just the threat of the idea of what the enforcers could do to those who try to get away with this. But that's the thing. Like, House Kawaiian, obviously, is the house most closely connected with the church. And Armand, the fellow we mentioned earlier, he, he's the one, I think, trying to curry all this favour with the prophet and his sort of forces. So for him watching this, you know, flagellation parade and yes. saying, hey, uh, Haloom, uh, you're going to head on down the road and basically find who's in charge and just sort of say to them, hey, guys, let's all, let's all be friends. Why don't we all have, sit down and have a chat? And, oh, no, no, they are stringing him up from a statue of St. Gavos. Yes, exactly. Ooh, this, uh, this ain't looking good. And <laughs> that, that is what I think this next part here is really flavoured by, because in the wake of Horloom's demise, Lord Mormayer tries to quell the warring factions within his own house. The crazed Redeemer, among other fringe members of the Redemption, are officially pardoned by the Thane, provided they stand with Mormaya against the rising influence of the Prophet. This, oh my god, this is just awesome. So, for those of you who may not know, the Redeemer, in this case, is Clovis the Redeemer, former... Hordor noble turned redemptionist crazy, dialed up to 14. He is <laughs> all sorts. He's the religious crazy that other religious crazies look at and go. He's a bit much. Yeah, he's a bit much. His, his go-to phrase of, if it doesn't hurt, it doesn't count. Oh, <laughs> I love him. I love him. Someone I would have loved to have talked about in a quarter episode if we'd thought to do it before this. But why would we? Why would we? Uh, but it shows the desperation yeah. of Mormate here, where he's willing to say to these straight-up outlaws who, and we mentioned them before, the, or were they like the flayed, uh, the, those outlaw gangs that if they showed up anywhere, it was just like, well... You're just going to get shot in the face. Nah, all these criminals. Other word keepers and word all keepers. Those, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it, it, we, people are getting the cut of lunch to, to allow the, the redemption to go off and do its thing. But in this particular case, Mormaya is stacking the deck as much as he can on his side. Because as he's seen, the, the, the crusade, I don't know what to refer to him as, the, the, we'll say the prophet. The prophet is drawing numbers to him, not just through servants, as we've already yeah. mentioned. Yeah. It's through other methods. So Mormea's looking at that going, these numbers are just growing exponentially. And the, the simple balance to opposing numbers is to have more numbers on your side. Yeah. 
Even if they are the bad guys. Even if they are the bad guys. Yeah, you, that's, a, that's a later, that's a problem for future Mulmea, where he can potentially kill off the Redemptionists. Well, it's, it's funny because those ones we mentioned before, I've just realised, the children of Cinders or the flayed pilgrims, they joined the Prophet. Yeah, so right. uh, maybe he wants, he wants the Redeemer and all these proper nutters to oh. sort of maybe counteract the other side's proper nutters. Yeah. Like, <laughs> You've got nutters. Oh, get a, like, get a load of what I've got. Yeah. Yeah. I've got some real proper nutters. Um things are just getting worse though across the planet. And particularly for House Cordor and Mormaya. High Primus is overrun by pilgrims, and the Palace of Bones, heart of House Cordor in Hive City, is stormed by hordes of the faithful. In the confusing battle that follows. Great fires rage unchecked across a dozen levels of corridor enclaves. The other clan houses keeping their distance and allowing the House of Faith to resolve its conflict alone. Two things I'll say about this. Number one, I called it. The yep. Prophet and the Crusade is secondary house corridor. Number two, I love that they mentioned it's a very confusing battle and it bloody <laughs> would be. <laughs> hey, who, who, who do you fight for? Uh, the yep. Emperor. Who do you fight for? Uh... The Emperor. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> you fight for the Thane or the Prophet? Wait, oh. do you fight for the Thane or the Prophet? <laughs> stab, stab. Ah, oh, wait, who do you fight for? The Thane. I fight for the Thane too. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it, you just... it, it's a bunch of nutters in masks and robes fighting a bunch of nutters in masks and robes. Um, yes. It's, uh, oh, was it? It would, No, it was Temenos. It was Temenos last time. Remember with the uh, Cordor charged the Corpse Grinders? Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's like, just religious crazies. And this time, they're the same religion. Yeah. I, I, like... Yeah. Well, I mean, they're the same religion. They're sort of the same religion without being the same religion. Yeah. But I do love that it specifically says the other houses are just like, let them have at it. Not, not our problem. We hate the Cordor and we hate the other Cordor. Just let them fight. Oh, look, and now those redemptionists are setting fire to everyone. Cool. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> you guys want to go get a beer? Yeah, right. Just I uh, imagine like House Goliath, like Goliath and Escher just chill it out. Just be like, we could be fighting each other, but this is genuinely interesting and entertaining. My money's on. I oh, know he's already dead. And you, or they're just randomly shooting into the crowd, be like, <laughs> no, no one even knows that was me. This is awesome. Yeah. Just stirring the pot. Just like yeah. there's a lull of the fighting, and then they just open up <laughs> with a heavy stubber. Like, oh, the prophet's at it again. <laughs> Get it, get him, lads. He he said your emperor's crap. <laughs> but this is huge because Lord Mormayer, after the oh, basically at the same time as that flagellation parade, he fled to the House of Bones, and while this was occurring, he called for the word keepers and redemptor priests to attend to him. And hundreds of them fled towards Mormaya, looking for answers. They wanted to know what was going on. And at the same time, hundreds more saw this as a betrayal by Mormaya and immediately took themselves and their flocks towards the prophet. So Mormaya has 
effectively, by this action, brought more troops to his own side mm. and reinforced his enemy as well. And yep. this really, this really smashes the the divide between Cordor and the Redemptionists even further. I love what Hera does in this scenario as well. She puts it all on House Cordor. Yeah. It's, it's up to them to be able to resolve this situation. And that, I think, being the cunning fox that she is, is to buy her time so that she can enact whatever plan she's hoping to against the prophet because she can see now it is a true enemy of her, her legitimacy slash her reign. Well, Hera's not dumb. She still sees what's going on. And as all this nonsense is occurring in Hive Primus and Hive City, she effectively sends a small army of enforcers and troops loyal to her, as well as the sort of Fraternus Militia. Oh, sorry, they're called Fraternus Militia on Necromunda. Some of the coolest um, models oh, yeah. ever made. Well, they they adopted official markings of the Imperial Creed, and the enforcers were blessed by priests. And you get this it's this great little entry here. Soon even the lumbering sanctioner pattern automata were hung with tokens of the faith or marked with the holy symbols of the great cathedral to show their allegiance to the true faith of Necromunda, or more specifically, the Ecclesiarchy and Armand. So they're really creating, like, this Knights Templar enforcer yeah. group, yeah. which, oh, man. Mate, I'm, gang I, idea. I don't have to say it, but gang <laughs> idea. Like, just... Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you can't steal that. That is no, I'm stealing that. I've already got the color scheme white with red, as you would like a Templar, right? So, white armor, red, um, like lines, but not in the shape of a cross, it's just a a, like a a bar, but in the middle of the bar is a golden eagle. So, it would look really, really iconic. And the whole idea is that they keep certain parts of their armor polished up to the nines. For two reasons. One is to show their devotion to the fate. The two is to be recognized on the battlefield. So in yeah, all yeah. the confusion of other enforcers who are on the side of the prophet fighting along, you can at least stand out like right. a beacon. Yeah. Yeah. They would look caught with banners. There would be banners out the wazoo. I love banners oh. in 40k. There's one of our listeners, our hungry monkey, he knows who he is, hates banners. <laughs> hates them with a passion and I'll always disagree banners are awesome banners are sick people who don't like banners are simply uncultured I said what I said <laughs> but so all of these now holy enforcers or should we just call them crusaders these crusaders Haters, yes. are, are now in Temenos and they're effectively dealing out preemptive justice to anyone who crosses their path now, this is a bad idea, not only because, hey, you're punishing people who aren't actually doing anything wrong, but secondly, the prophet hasn't really affected Temenos that much. Um, the great pilgrimage that he's leading is very close. 
but his troops aren't actually in Temenos yet. The yeah. ones these crusaders are punishing are loyal to the, the Imperium and Hera. The ones these enforcers are punishing are their religious nutjobs, not the enemies. So they're, they're literally weakening themselves. It says here, supposed faith traitors were hung from the walls between the spire and the hive city as a warning to transgressors. Yeah, these were, these right. were people loyal to you. And because everyone's on a hair trigger right now, this is how they're reacting. So what's going on here is Hive Primus has had so much of its sort of religious aspect damaged. And hmm. obviously we said before, the worst of the unrest was in the corridor controlled levels of the Hive. But a, a, a bunch of these gangs or like groups of religious types, such as the Redeemed or the Sons of Call, claimed the Prophet was the ancient founder of the Redemption Reborn, and they demanded that the Thane unite all of House Cordor under his teachings. While others, such as the Red Redemption or the followers of Clovis, claimed the Prophet was but another heretic. So, you've got these different aspects of the redemption all once again attacking each other because of a slight interpretation altering. To, yeah, okay. You know, yeah. And, and the emperor stood upon the walls or upon the walls stood the emperor. No, you're saying it wrong. We have to fight now. You know what I mean? Like it's these tiny little differences. Yeah, the tiny little things that yeah. make it enough for them to go, Oh, it's on. And yeah. but those those things are what the the opposing factions are, are they're looking for that. They are they are looking for these these things that will give them the the I guess the ammunition or the vindication and justification to do what they're going to do, what they were always going to do, you know. And none of this is helped by the fact that all throughout this you have the, the pilgrims and, you know, refugees and all of these people fleeing other hives and other settlements, they're coming into Hive Primus. They're now moving into Hive Temenos. Mm. And the, in fourth, those crusaders we talked about, they gather around the Palace of Bones where Lord Mormayer is inside, basically with his loyalists behind those enforcers. And so... Obviously, you might not be able to tell, as uh, with many types of religious schism, violence happens. Now, <laughs> yeah, I know. Who would have thought I'm Necromunda? <laughs> now, this occurs, and Lord Mormayer has just an absolute big brain idea. He's pretty sure of himself and his position, and he thinks, what I'm going to do is I'm going to open the gates of the Palace of Bones and I'm going to stand in front of this, let's be honest, now army of individuals all calling for my head, and I'm going to sway them back to my cause with just the power and majesty of my words. I mean, if this upstart and uh, prophet can do it, I'm, I'm definitely going to be able to do it. I'm, <laughs> I'm actually the Thane of Cordor. I'm 
you know, I'm two steps removed from the emperor himself. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm almost the right hand. The yeah. customers look at it as the emperor, then me. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. And so uh, this worked out actually pretty well. At the sight of the master of Clan Cordor, the gathered pilgrims and gangs surged forwards, causing those enforcers watching from the walls of the palace to open fire. His bodyguard barely had time to drag the protesting Mormaya back inside before the first crazed gangers came crashing into the sacred heart of the redemption. He done goofed. Well, <laughs> there's, there's, a potentially, there's a potential other version of this. Were they surging forward to celebrate him, though, maybe? Just hold him aloft and say, oh, this is actually our true leader. No, no, they, no, they, no, I know that they, <laughs> they were definitely going to cause him a, uh, a bit of a kerfuffle. I just love that there's these enforcers there who are all faith driven at this stage, right? Mm. So iconography all over them, but they see a swarming mass of great unwashed and they're just like, oh, yeah, forget about the faith, load the bolter, boom, boom, yeah. boom. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I love and me just some open up. I love <laughs> me some emperor, but I have, I have uh, trust and faith. In my bolt gun. Yeah, they just absolutely level the crowd. It's it's really cool though because um, earlier to this you mentioned Primus, and the cool bit that I love about this is that the the locals and we're sort of detracting a little bit from what's happening around the bones, but it's something I do want to mention. Sorry, the Palace of Bones is that again they, the industry around primus slows down and it doesn't slow down because people are becoming religious nutters and fanatics and joining the prophet it slows down because the the locals are too scared to go out onto the street yeah uh, whether they get wrapped up and killed as you know part of the prophet's forces or vice versa they get killed by the others or they just get swept away in in, in the masses and the crowds or the violence of what's going on and this is killing the the industry and it says specifically grinding to a halt so that would surely be weighing on Hera and the the nobles and exactly what is their next step from that but anyway wind it back back to the palace of bones (laughs) well uh it's actually pretty good obviously once everyone got in there they were pretty calm they sort of went hey we captured (laughs) your base and um everyone they said yep sweet no problem and yeah, that was the end of that one there. But... For our fans out there, I'll just literally the next words are battle rampage through the hallowed <laughs> halls of the palace. He's a liar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it didn't go down well. Those crazed guards and gangers, sorry, those crazed uh, gangers came crashing in. And basically, word keepers are attempting to do like a fighting retreat. And they're trying to save what they can, but bolt shells and last parts tore apart priceless relics and ancient religious works of art. Now, more mayor's loyal retainers are trying to preserve both their master and the palace. Those crusader enforcers are shooting anything that didn't bear the seal of House Helmore, and the pilgrims looting and vandalizing as much as actually fighting. Like... They, they're, they're going in to cause destruction, to take what ta- they want from these people that they, they now view as heretics. And yeah. 
I love it though, but the actual true believers, so the, the core of true believers of the prophet are still wanting to cast down those heretics. Yeah. Whereas the the opportunistics and the the standard Necromundian sort of gang is just going in there just to raid the place. So you've yeah. got this this mix of people that is actually creating divisive tactics for what's going on. You have looters and crazies, and then you have people who have the mission of let's destroy the heretics, most notably Mormaya. Yeah, you've got a bunch of guys running and they're going, you know, death to the non-believers. And then you've got these former gang members, I'm imagining, just being like, but, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that candlestick is made of gold. Uh, <laughs> guys, keep an eye out. I'm going to go grab them. Or, I like that statue. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, it's the, yeah. At the end of the day, the opportunists get what they want. They're just stripping the place of yeah. everything they need. And something happens when, at the end of all of this, Lord Mormaya is missing and presumed dead. So yeah. in yeah. the space of two books, so yeah. far we have an imperial governor effectively dead. We have mm-hmm. the head of Van, uh, House Goliath, Goliath dead. Yep. Uh, and the new head of House Goliath possibly about to be dead, depending on how many alphas he wants to have his fights with. Yep. Uh, you've got Assassination Escher. attempt on yeah, Assassination Escher. attempt. Like it's internal, but yeah. it's him. And now House Cordell, the leader, is just gone. They're yeah. missing. Presumed dead. Yep. And this is more sorry, more fuel is sort of added to this fire when Mormayer's golden mask is found in the ruins of the Palace of Bones, leading many to speculate on his demise. The artifact almost immediately vanishes into the hands of scavengers, periodically surfacing for years to come as it changes from one relic peddler to another or a convincing knockoff appears. This is a great sort of mission idea where you can have, you and an opponent can be running gangs to basically attack a corridor gang or a corridor like camp where the rumor is that they have the golden mask of Mormaya and as the like an arbitrator you could control that that corridor gang and try and fight back and then yeah roll a d6 on a one to three it's the real thing four to six it's a convincing fake like That'd be great, but then also any Cordor or Redemptionist gang would have to hate both of those gangs. Yeah. yeah. yeah, Like, just bitter enmity against them from then on. And then, just to prove that it was a fake, even though you might have rolled it as a real thing, you then have another mission later on where you're fighting for the same mask. (laughs) (laughs) It turns out out they're both real, and you're like, okay, that's not how this works. Play a a third mission, and for some reason, corpse grinder cultists have it. Yeah, perfect. It's a mask. They love a good mask. They do love a good mask. Oh, we'll push on a bit because there's there's quite a fair bit. Like, we're we're in the guts of it, but there's quite a fair bit to go through uh, with the rest of this episode. So numbering in the millions, the the Great Pilgrimage winds its way across the ash waste between Hive Primus and Hive Temenos. 
It is a journey fraught with, with peril and thousands are claimed by ash-based nomad attacks, predatory wasteland creatures and the blighted landscape itself. Even so, countless more press on, following their prophet to the lost saint. That's the best. I just think it's a way to get the ash waste players involved. Like, yeah. you guys are irrelevant. Don't worry about it. You've got some uh, caravans to pick off. You can just imagine these nomads sitting there and just being like, that is a lot of people. Hey, look, <laughs> those, ones, those ones stopped because they're tired. Let's go shoot them in the face. <laughs> they're going to be tired forever now. Get them. <laughs> Um, but it's it's in numbering in the millions. So our yeah. speculation of uh, what was I saying, hundreds of thousands or whatever it was, it we, yeah, it's, it's either grown. Yeah, I reckon it's grown. I think uh, the machines talking to the people and the 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 validation of the redemptionists and just the the nature of the prophet in this crusade driving people onwards. It's um. It's definitely growing into quite a vast beast. Well, it's insane because it mentions in the sort of the, some of the background information that, yeah, roaming bands of Cordor Ridge Walkers can't really do much to stop these raiders. And it specifically mentions that uh, the nomads are attacking the edges of the pilgrimage killing or carrying off those unfortunate enough to survive. Like, I had, have we ever heard about Ash Waste Nomads taking prisoners before? I mean, I, I always imagine they did, but it sort of makes sense that they wouldn't either because why do they want prisoners? What do they do with them? Mm. You know, they're not selling, they're not dealing with the guilders. Yeah. So, right. Oh, mate, scary stuff. Well, you want to talk about scary? At Wayshrine Temino, the first pilgrims to arrive were met by a gang of outcast scum, led by a waste-maddened Delark Dock. Before the Prophet's soldiers could come to their rescue, the crazed Dock had skinned a dozen unfortunate travellers and turned their hides into a tent to house further experiments. That is... Right, glorious. Yucky that is yucks. that is awesome. I want more flesh tents. <laughs> I want a flesh yurt, and I also want to talk about how oh, this next one's awesome. So, do you remember the statue of Mung the First, where they were dropping all those uh, the like the food and stuff, and then yeah, yeah, they, they were eaten by ash lions. Yes, um, that's right. Which, yeah, there's giant insects. Now, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. the swarm. The swarm. <laughs> so, meanwhile, beneath the serene gaze of Mung the First, Axon and his Iron Tree Reavers attacked a convoy protected by several Cordor gangs and destined for the pilgrimage. The running battle circled the great saint statue, the two sides trading fire until a well placed missile from the behemoth brought Mung crashing down on the Cordor Ridge Hauler. Like, once again, Axon just coming in, not giving, you know, an absolute snot who you are fighting for. He just wants your loot. I love this. Axon is awesome. He's just proper Ashwaste crazy. We got a fanboy. No, 100%. 
I, if I do a Goliath gang, it'll be Oxen and his Iron Tree Ring. What did they, what did they call them before? Knuckle Boys. Yeah, like, Knuckle Boys. Yeah. So, so, and I, just so that people remember, but the behemoth is his ritual. His personal ritual, yeah. 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 Like, oh, I've got a ritual here. I really should do something with that. But <laughs> as the Great Pilgrimage doggedly presses on towards Temenos, countless faithful succumb to the waste. Most are left where they fall though in places they are dragged off by vicious outland creatures or even consumed by starving pilgrims. They're once companions using their flesh to find the strength to go on. And that's just excellent recycling. Well done, pilgrims. Getting this corpse starch at its uh, early stages. It's it's farm to table. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it's a scary experience for all involved. And this pilgrimage is just getting battered left, right and centre. But they talk about the Vansar treasure hunters trying to pillage relics from the yeah. saints of factories. What I love about this is, yeah, okay, go get the the relics. Go do whatever you want. They meet all lock outriders daubed in the icons of the prophet. How cool is that? That, I reckon, would look absolutely awesome. All these all locks would just all this imperial iconography festooned all across them, burning braziers hanging off their vehicles. Yeah. Uh, like and you, you could have the image of a, a sort of a, an Orlock priest on the front with a book just screaming out from the back of a quad. Oh, that would look mad. Wait a minute. Hold on. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Scummers. The Manvent was just very positive about Orlocks. Uh, are we seeing... Are we going to see an Orlock Crusader gang in your future? Look, I... And I mentioned previously, I like religious nutters in 40k. The idea of the Orlock being religious nutters, I really like for some reason. Um, and there's just... I don't know, because they are so vanilla... Adding this to them does make you them... know. You know what would be cool. You oh. know the the Orlock kit. You get the fella, the arms master with that huge double-handed hammer. Um, there's yeah. one of them where the his mask is like the and the Orlock skull. It's like a, a real crude iron skull. Yeah, you yeah, know, exactly one of the huge ecclesiarchy hats on top of him, and yeah. do him up like. In like a with a cloak thrown over him, with the the seven pointed star on the back of it. Oh yeah. Do him as like a um, what did they call them? Like warrior priests. Yes. Yeah, that oh. would look absolutely huge. Hammer, like imperial yeah. iconography, just all over it. Even purity seals. Like do do like your own version of an all like type purity seal, which I can imagine would be like a cog, with like metal. Like a oh, metal leak coming almost, off it, almost or uh, like uh, almost like tilt shields, but then instead mm. of the actual uh, the scroll paperwork that comes yeah. off a normal one, do tiny bits of chainmail. Yes, chainmail. Yeah, something metallic coming off it. So it's just embracing embracing their their um, I guess mechanical and mechanized approach that they do to a lot of things. Their industry based. Uh, gang that they are, and really cramming in the imperial creed and the imperial 
idea onto them, just mashing it together. I think that would look so cool because the idea of the Vansar being covered in in imperial iconography and all that, yeah, that that would be really cool, and they would do it really um, quite technologically advanced, and you know, you could see it. You could quite easily see it on Escher and Goliath, and it would all make sense, right? But with the Orlock, I could just really see them going, we don't just make the the symbols. We don't just take what's already available. We don't just use bones. We produce. We make. Yeah, we fashion. Right. You know what I mean? And then it's sort of almost like a an admech type feel of their... Um, of the way they would represent the icons, but not obviously admic icons, but they would all be imperial icons. Anyway, oh. distracted from the cause yet again, gentlemen. You should do that. You should do that. It's either that or a crusader gang. The sorry, the enforcer crusaders. Enforcer crusaders would look sick. Anyway, I, I have a I have a couple of sprues of enforcers still. You could do both and put them in the one gang. Because remember, if they're serving the prophet, they're going to be mixes of all different types. Oh, right. But See, in... get that out of your brain. Get back to work. <laughs> We're going We're to talk about the end. The internet. <laughs> That's a really cool idea I've got too. All right. <laughs> so the small outland settlement of Halfway is beset by a grim ash storm. In the midst of the gloom, raiding parties of grey waste walkers emerge from the dust and attack the pilgrims sheltering in and around its walls. In, it is a chaotic conflict, as much a slaughter as a battle, ending as swiftly as it began and leaving a carpet of pilgrim corpses across the wasteland. So this is a an attack of opportunity by the Grey Waste Walkers. So halfway is quite literally an area that is halfway between Temnos and Primus. Interesting. It sort of makes sense, doesn't it? That it's halfway. I guess what happens here is that unoriginal. Unoriginal. Yeah, it is but, unoriginal. Yeah, but sometimes you just need to put a marker in the ground and just be like, well, that's halfway. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they the grey walker the grey waste walkers smash into halfway and they crash through the doors and then we get to see a character we all know and love, the enforcer Ashwood Stranger. Yes. So he comes to the forefront and basically rallies the settlers and the other pilgrims around him and hammers, hammers the, the nomads, forcing them to leave because it obviously turns into too hard a fight for them and mm. even has a few local enforcers fighting alongside of him and so forth. So this is sort of the big battle. In the pilgrimage, so everything we've talked up until this point have been skirmishes and small elements. This battle is is not just a couple of random raids. This is a huge fight at this particular city. I love how you just like, yeah. There's been a couple of little skirmishes, some slight kerfuffles. Yeah, Thane Mormay is probably dead, and they ransacked the Palace of Bones, but that was nothing. The, I'm Ashwood, not... the Ashwood Stranger got a couple of uh, bar flies and some off-duty cops to shoot some uh, <laughs> some nomads. I'm it not was talking rare. about that. <laughs> I'm talking about the actual pilgrimage. On the yeah. actual pilgrimage, this oh, is yeah. the big fight. No. This, is, this, the, this um, is the big one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is the, the, the high watermark for pretty much everything else that's going on at this stage. Well, 
I really hope the actual stranger doesn't end up joining the prophet because I think he's pretty cool. And I'll be honest, I don't trust this prophet fella. He he just doesn't seem kosher. Well, moving back to the the pilgrims making their way up to Temenos, while crossing the Saints Waste, a long column of pilgrims becomes lost in the constant dust storms, wandering too far north towards the Thartos High Ridge. By the time they notice the first Hellamite mounds looming out of the gloom, it is too late to run, and thousands of the faithful are dragged screaming into the insects' nests to be consumed by their young. Yuck. And Hellamites are scary looking. Yeah, you really needed some uh, bug spray. Yeah. Honestly, if one of them had had a can of Raid, could have saved hundreds of lives. Mate, against a Hellamite, your bug, bug spray is going to look like a shotgun with slug rounds. It is, in fact, uh, napalm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a spray can full of napalm. Um, this was probably also, uh, also the uh, Ash Lions dragging people back towards their insect mounds. The swarm. Would, of, the swarm. Swarm, yeah. swarm of Ash Lions. You upset me sometimes, you really do. No, we don't. <laughs> anyway, we're still staying on the uh, Great Pilgrimage. A toxic tornado tears across a long section of the Great Pilgrimage, snatching up pilgrims into its writhing vortex. For cycles afterwards, the tornado snakes its way across the lightning plains. The screams of the dying faithful still trapped within its radioactive heart, carried on the wind for kilometres in all directions. Just a horrible way to go, and also just a horrible thing to exist. The weather on Necromunda sucks. Like, everything about Necromundan weather. I want nothing to do with it. No, it's got, it's got awful. It's horrendous. And this pilgrimage yeah. is getting hammered from pillar to post, isn't it? But it's there's, they're still pushing forward because... The losses they're taking are a dip in the ocean compared to how many people are actually there. What's what's a few thousand lost to, you know, toxic tornadoes or, you know, helamite mounds or swarms of ash lions? I knew you were going to say does, it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because you still have millions. Yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah. So, turns out... Games Workshop has deceived us. Uh, we actually see a good buddy of ours. Lord Mormayer is back, buddy. And on the shores of the waters of Sonorous, Lord Mormayer's army meets the forces of the Prophet. The two sides fight with a fury born of true faith, lighting up the wastes with gouts of flame and thumping explosions. In the end, it is the followers of the Prophet who stand triumphant, and those few that survive the battle from the Saints' army unfortunately convert to the real redemption. So, Mormaya survived the attack on the Palace of Bones. He had actually sent out a call to the word keepers and corridor gangs throughout the cluster. So he's declared the Prophet a heretic of the faith. And every quote-unquote loyalist, cordial, or redemptionist around joined this army of the true 
and set out in a rumbling column of vehicles adorned with icons of the faith. Now, Mormeyer himself, just clad in the full regalia of the redemption, no longer pretending just to be the Thane of Cordor, but embracing his true redemptionist face, leads a flaming spearhead of ramshackle vehicles and walkers into the ragtag outlanders, brandishing scavenged weapons. And I love this because Mormeyer himself is firing a flame cannon mounted atop his ash rig until the scrap metal walls of the settlement were ablaze with burning Prometheum. The man is bringing the fire of the Emperor to the ash wastes and gets slapped around by, unfortunately, <laughs> just the absolute elite of the Prophet soldiers. So... Mormeyer's rig ends up ca- catching a crack missile to one of its front wheels. Yeah. And that thing flips. So <laughs> they, um, they clamber out of the wrecked vehicle and are like, all right, cool. We'll make a last stand. And as he's looking around, he's just seeing his whole army either dead, retreating, or surrendering. And. Yeah. Yeah, he calls out to the God Emperor for aid, but he's dragged down by, you know, enforcers loyal to the Prophet and taken away in chains, leaving only the word of the Prophet in his wake. That is the most important part of all that, is that the word of the Prophet is now the only sort of real religion left. And I, I, I don't know exactly what's going to go on, but it's interesting to ask the question of where is the ecclesiarchy here? Where are the sisters of battle? Well, I think it, it sort of implied that when the Cicatrix Maledictum sort of happened and everything that went on there with the 13th Black Crusade, a lot of the imperial people, so the Adeptus Terror, the Fists, and possibly even the Ecclesiarchy, the Adeptus Sororitas, the majority of them are off-planet right now. They are, oh, this... they are out doing crusades. There would be maybe like a skeleton force of Sororitas, perhaps in Temenos, or... So what <sighs> you're really saying is they, we're not seeing them mentioned because they just don't have the numbers to impact what's going on here. I don't talking... think they do. Yeah, right. That make, that makes sense. If you're talking about, you know, tens of thousands of pilgrims fighting another tens of thousands of pilgrims, and like four hundred sisters of battle rock up, they're just going to be like, mate, we don't we don't carry enough bolt grounds to even slow down the majority of these. Yeah, okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, okay, no, that's fair enough. Um, but I will say, for all of the nonsense going on in this fight, Mormaya does have the win initially drive back to the prophet's forces, but then I love what they say. It it became clear to Mormaya that he had underestimated the true size and strength of his foe. So the strength bit is not important, it's the size. I don't think he quite grasped exactly how many people are following the prophet at this stage. Mm. It's mm. very much so a, I have the true faith behind me. I don't need to worry about this heretic. 
because yeah. my faith will carry me on to victory. Oh my God, they outnumber me a thousand to one. Oh my God, Emperor, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh my God, Emperor, yeah. they outnumber me a thousand to one. Speaking of being carried on, probably not where he wanted to be carried on to, but he is. Lord Milmea is brought before the prophet in chains, expecting no mercy at the hands of his enemy. Instead, the prophet speaks to him using the word, and the thane, so long blinded by the lies of House Helmore, sees that the redemption and its countless followers are as one and who their true enemies are. Those who would see the faith used were destro destroyed for their own ends. No. Heavy stuff. No, you said it earlier. The prophet and his pilgrimage and house corridor have just become one. It's new house they, corridor. This is this is new house corridor. This is this can't this can't be natural. This there is something going on mm. with with the prophet with those bones. He and how it says how he uses the word. Yeah, what this, is that? Is that this reminds me of um. Do you remember in the, I believe it was the Ravenna novels, that chaos language in Nuncia, where by speaking particular words, you would effectively affect reality? Like they could, you could tear things apart with literally a word. Um, I don't know that actually. That's cool oh, though, man. but yeah. The, the Ravenna series? <laughs> oh, god damn. Sorry, God Emperor, damn. You, <laughs> yeah, man. Well, once again, it's, you know, look at, look at, uh, it's Abnett. What do you expect? Yeah, genius. But, genius. yeah, oh man, this is, this is some real primal sort of psyche being affected by the state of existence type mm. stuff. I don't like this. No, same, I'm with you. You're, going, you're talking about somebody who's so driven by their own faith and their own perception of who they are, what they're, where they are, what they belong to within the sphere of Necromunda, and they're being converted with a conversation. Yeah. Scary stuff, really scary stuff. So what exactly is the prophet saying? What exactly is the prophet using? And what exactly is guiding the prophet? Because we know it's part of a but gr greater grand scheme as well. Well... It's getting a little bit serious here because strife engulfs Temenos as the great pilgrimage reaches the gates of the Hive City. Well armed and ready for the army of faith at their walls, the enforcers are instead betrayed from within by Armand, the word of the lost saint having infected his mind. Even though they are robbed of their greatest defence, those enforcers still loyal to Lady Hera stage a fighting withdrawal towards the vaults. This, this is showing the true nefarious nature of the word. This, yeah. this the voice of this lost saint because it mentions here that as the, the, the prophet and his pilgrimage get to the gates, after days and days and days of pilgrims attacking and attacking and trying to get their way in, the, the prophet's faithful had actually entered the hive secretly. And Armand opens the gates 
and this great cardinal of Temenos walks down, greets the prophet, and they embrace with the people surrounding rejoicing at seeing the two faiths unified, a sign that the redemption of Necromunda now speaks with a single voice. So, this, this is this weird unification where because both the cardinal and the prophet yeah. hear this lost saint, it's calling out to them from beneath Hive Temenos in the sacred vaults underneath where the ecclesiarchy has stored countless religious treasures, countless, you know, books and slates and all this information that is essential for them and no one else. Unfortunately, the voice is calling to them from within those vaults. So staying at Temenos, we begin to see a few other things unfold with Scrutinator Primus Surveillant uncovering a zealous rot within the enforcers of Temenos. Following suspects into the shadowy crypts beneath the great cathedral, she finds men and women she once counted as allies, exchanging tokens of the prophet and speaking openly of Lord Halmore as a heretic of the faith, forcing the scrutinator to accelerate her plans. So her plans actually involve our good mates, the Delacroix. So in conjunction... They're not my mates. Oh, no, you're mates with the Delac. That's right. Slightly different. So this is really interesting. I think it's, and as we always say it, and we saw the Escher in uh, Cinderac Burning, that when you start to involve the Delacroix, you start to really push the boundaries of how desperate you are. Mm. So by involving them, they are attempting to get into the Crypt of the Saint. But the forces of the prophet are just so overwhelming. And as you can see, infiltrate, actually infiltrate the enforcers of Temnos as well, which is a scary, scary thing to have happen. Um, it sort of almost reminds me of uh, the warrior enclaves within the Horus Heresy and they're in, invading the, uh, the legions. They're things where you think, oh, these are my brothers and so forth and so forth. And then you find out, no, there's warrior lodges uh, that are separate to the rest of the legion. And that's what's happening with her enforcers. She's finding these, I guess, religious lodges, or what is, what is the wording exactly? It was uh, a zealous rot within. I love Tenos. the connection there because, yeah, remember the warrior lodges had the lodge coins? Yes. The lodge yes. tokens. And, yeah, these enforcers are exchanging tokens of the prophet. Yeah, exactly. Right. So one of my favourite characters from all of that is uh, Torgatton from the Lunar Wolves. Absolutely mm. love him. Like, mm. It's a chat for a different day. 30K podcast now. Yeah, well. <laughs> that'll be on our first episode of our brand new 30K podcast. Reasons Torgatton should have survived with Nath. Yeah. I won't be taking part in that as I'm a proud son of Iron Warriors. But, Just 16 hours of me talking about Torgatton. Yeah. <laughs> per episode. <laughs> now, 
Religious assassins penetrate the spire and strike at Lady Hera Helmore. In the aftermath, Lord Helmore's 13th daughter has dozens of guards and servants hung from the hive shell in storm cages for secretly harbouring faith in the prophet and for possibly helping the assassins. Despite a lack of any real proof, this gal is starting to lose it. And she's doing things that are just a little bit cocoa bananas because she doesn't know what else to do to maintain her control. And she's Mm. using that classic imperial method of absolute carnage to keep everyone in line. So she's purging. She's getting rid of anything that she regards as a dissident or a threat to her at this stage. And as, as you say, the evidence doesn't necessarily need to be there. It's just take you this cluster and make it. You don't need evidence message. when you're in charge. Yeah, true. And I guess the, the, the religious assassins, we mentioned it earlier about that group that tried to jump her within that section of the book as well. It talks about the fact that her guards weren't present yeah. and the door was left open. So it's, it's showing that within her household there are people who are willing to have Lady, or sorry, Lord Helmore killed, not just Lady Hera anymore. So moving on from there, it's, it's big, but it's, there's still a lot more going on in Temenos. In the shadow of Temnos, between the great gates that ring the outlands surrounding the Hive City, enforced patrols attempt to slow the advance of the Great Pilgrimage. A hundred kilometre marker of the road of graven faces becomes known as the Saint's Grave for the shattered remains of statues destroyed in the fighting. So they're still pushing back the enforcers, sticking to what they know best, which is obey the orders. And the orders are defend Temnos at all costs. So running low on ammunition, running low on personnel and other supplies, they still attempt to hold back the ocean, which is effectively the pilgrimage. And this is like putting one rock in the ocean and going, this will work. Ugh. It's just it's just great to imagine you can, like, you know, the, those unwashed masses just crashing themselves against the shields of subjugators and, you know, in Palanite enforcers just raining down fire those, uh, what is it, the, the automata... The um the sanctioner automata, you know, just wading through just concussion cannons going off. Yeah, oh, absolutely man. crazy. And just every missed shot hitting one of these statues, and they're just exploding. Oh, so that's good. cool. Yeah, it's like a forest of statues exploding. They, just I'll quickly mention that they talk about the pilgrimage as it's making its move from. Primus to Temnos, and it's all the different tendrils that are joining it. They actually are creating uh, what would you call them? Shrines, shrines, and all these yeah, other different things right. in their journey. And it's really cool. It's just dotting the landscape of the ash wastes and the surrounding areas with just untold amounts of shrines and places of worship all towards, well, I guess it would be the emperor, but in the guise of the prophet. And I really like that. But it sort of now beggars the question, does Necromunda lose its status as purely a production planet and potentially becomes a religious world as well? Oh, 
Because yeah. you're talking about millions. You're not talking about a small crusade or anything yeah, like that. Your average hive, we as we said, you know, there's there's a billion people in hive primus before you even get to the underhive. Like, yeah, I think it a religious. What are they, are they called? Temple worlds. Temple uh, worlds. That's it. Yes. Yeah, those temple worlds. The the economy of the world needs to be driven by by the religion, by the creation and selling of trinkets. And, and the pilgrimages that come there. Yeah. yeah. Nobody's making a pilgrimage to Necromunda. No, it sucks. Unless um, the word <laughs> of the prophet becomes the truth, and then they start yeah. to follow that. Yeah, uh, yeah but then you've got... Uh, just imagine when the ecclesiarchy get back and they're just going, wait, you guys believe what now? No. <laughs> Here's my 10,000 10, returning sisters of battle. We've got uh, something to say about that. Yeah, we have a small priory of Adeptus Sororitas here. Uh, just once, one second. Um, can you get the Black Templars on the phone for me? <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Yeah. No, no, you guys, you guys are doing well. Yep, yeah, yeah, keep praying. Love your prophet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Hellbrack's coming? Awesome, awesome, thanks. <laughs> nah, keep going. Yeah, love love the prayers, guys. Yeah, you know, praise the prophet. He's pretty cool. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also imagine uh, the prophet, for some reason, to be like one of those uh, Southern Baptist preachers. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a white suit. Be like, yes. I said, praise the emperor. Yeah. 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 Uh, is that the word, is it? That's the word. Yeah. Uh, I'll... That's what Armin's hearing inside of his head. Yeah, he's just, praise the emperor. Yeah. Oh, emperor. Oh, my emperor. Yeah. Oh, emperor. Yeah. Uh, anyway, okay, now that, I've, now that I've offended all of our Baptist listeners. Yes. Good on you. Uh, revisiting a great friend of ours, Cardinal Armand opens the gates of Temenos to the great pilgrimage. The followers of the prophet flooding into the hive city. Icons of the Ministorum and House Helmore are torn down to be replaced with those devoted to the redemption and its prophet. Those few high-ranking members of the church still present flee to the wastes or into the void, lest they face the wrath of the pilgrimage. This is a mistake. You are tearing down the symbols and icons of the Ministorum. You can tear down the Helmore banners. You can tear down the Cordor banners and throw up your redemption stuff, whatever. You are still an aspect of the Ecclesiarchy, of the Ministorum. You tear down Imperial iconography. That is when they they close the doors and gas you. And that's when they're feeling nice. Apart from that, the Black Templars show up and... Surge and purge. Yeah, oh. Halbrecht's just like, listen, my little yellow buddies, my little yellow cousins, you stay in your spire and I'm going to sort this out. Yeah, That's Imperial Fists. Yeah, it is. Uh, boo. It is not a good thing. No, absolutely for, not. For Necromunda here. This is, this is insane as far as I'm concerned. As we're well aware, it's all kicking off at Temenos, and Temenos is invaded by pilgrims. The statues of the great stair weep. 
followers of the prophet claim this is the emperor himself expressing his joy at their arrival in the holy hive. While the enemies say it is a great sorrow at seeing it defiled, then there are those who claim that it has more to do with the air pressure and an influx of so many warm bodies. It's <laughs> cool. The implication here is that these statues are weeping. I, I don't know why. I first read that and I'm like, are they weeping blood? But no, it's literally, yeah, the, the pressure and the heat from the yeah. body in the middle yeah. of battle. Yeah, these, um, these statues may be weeping, but I love the fact that it's the bodies because the enforcers were there at the stairs because mm. uh, this led up to the cathedral of the emperor deified. And the enforcers laid down a brutal crossfire with bolt guns and sentry turrets, killing hundreds in the first seconds of battle. Now, obviously, when you're fighting like 100 million pilgrims, that doesn't really mean much. And pretty no. soon, they, they were up close and personal. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, they, they, the pilgrims had more bodies than the enforcers had bullets. Yeah, and, exactly. Exactly yeah. that. And no matter how many there are, once they got in close combat... It's, it's all over. Though I will say on page 30 of The Vaults of Temnos is a brilliant piece of artwork just to show you the scale of what's going on. Oh, um, if anybody classic. wants to see it, page 30, and you just see, and it, it's not much. The artist is a genius whoever did it. It's just little black dots with what's clearly gunfire and the thin line of enforcers trying to hold it off. And it just gives you a scale of what they were up against oh, and the, how. The scale of the temple and the stairs. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's so good. Yeah, Re really great piece of artwork that just gives you, tries to give you some understanding of what Hive Temnos would look like and what the, the pilgrimage would look like too. Well, in a final act of defiance, the lay priests of Temnos flood the Hive with devotional hymns praising the Ministorum and its imperial creed. With only their voices to counter the cacophony, the pilgrims make the hive shake with their own sung prayers, forcing many of the subjects of the hive to seek refuge in the clanking, hammering hearts of factorums. Kind of like when my kid has wiggles on full bore at uh, 6.30 in the morning, I often just walk into the garage and start hammering on something to drown out that noise. But... <laughs> Yeah, these these poor priests are just like, yep, cool. We're we're gonna we're gonna sing our songs and praise the ministerium in the imperial creed. And there's you know there's like a thousand of them, and that's a massive choir. Neck minute, you have a million pilgrims, and they're just like, all right, and a one, and a two, and a one, two, three. Chugga chugga chugga, big two. red. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, big red, big big red redemption. We're gonna <laughs> purge all day long. <laughs> okay, band idea. No, no. Almond's in the backseat. <laughs> no. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I love, I, I have an idea, but we're going to move on from it. Yeah. Oh, what I want to know, though, is if, if their hymns are praising the Mentorium and its Imperial Creed, what is the counter cacophony? Are they also praising the Minotaurium and the Imperial Creed? No, no. They'd be pra they'd just be praising the Prophet, the Prophet oh. and the Redemption. Because you've got to remember the Redemption are 
they are religious extremists. I know, but this is dangerous. If yeah. you're that loud and it's being recorded, all they got to do is show the first Minotaurian priests that rock up and they're just like, go get them. Mm. Knock them out of the park. Goodbye, House Cordor. But by then, House Cordor and the Redemption and the Prophet mm. and the Pilgrims are all one thing. And this, I said it. This, Goodbye, this, House Cordor. This faith is infectious. It is, it is getting more and more and more. I mean, the redemption is all throughout the Imperium. It started on Necromunda. What's to oh. say this isn't the evolution of that? Right. I didn't actually know that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, man. Once again, we should have done a Corridor episode. We should have. We should have yeah. done all the gang episodes. <laughs> uh, no, had to do Hive Life. Still Everyone loves Hive Life, yeah. Hello. Hello. <laughs> it was a nice episode. Yeah. All right, moving on. The word of the prophets spreads unchecked across Necromunda, and Hive cities from one end of the world to the other are overcome by followers of the redemption. Many splinter faiths and religious leaders who oppose the prophet now join him, until the vast majority of those devoted to the redemption adhere to the teachings laid down by the wasteland holy man. It is becoming a temple planet. It's seriously looking that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's starting to get that real scary vibe about it, where if you're not part of what we believe, then you don't belong here, and you'll get a nice last pistol round to the back of the boggin. You're either with us or against us, yeah. and it's, it's even scarier because, yeah, it's got that religious fervour behind it. Mm-hmm. As I say... There's nutters. The people are scared of nutters, and people and nutters are scared of religious nutters. So we're starting to see that Lady Credo has probably been shadowing the the prophet and the pilgrimage at this stage. I reckon, just waiting until they had broken through the walls of Temenos and eventually getting themselves as close to the to the crypt, or at least as close to the vaults as possible, so that she could just be sort of attached to it straight away. Um, it's interesting because when she moves through that press of faithful, the prophet stops the pilgrims from trying to engage with her or doing anything. This is this is a venerated figure in his eyes. So this is a little bit conflicting to what we see earlier in the book, where it gives the impression that the prophet and Credo aren't necessarily known to each other. But we're starting to see that there's obviously a closer, tighter link between the two. Yeah, they may not know each other in person, but they're definitely allied. Mm-hmm. And 100%. Yeah. We really haven't touched much on Surveillance, but she's actually the one who's gone into the vaults here. And we, we'll talk about her a lot more later on. But yeah, Pilgrim, that's, a, that's, a, that's a lot to talk about with her as well. Yeah. Pilgrims actually went to chase her into the vaults because... The vaults have been open for the first time in a very long time. And these pilgrims, you know, those same ones that uh, were looting and thieving at the Palace of Bones earlier, went to follow her and the prophet stopped them. But the prophet did not stop Credo. The prophet mm. did not stop colourful Escher fighters. And mm. the prophet did not stop heavily armed Cordor gangers that were following her. This... So there is a unity there. There's something happening between yeah. Credo, the Escher, and the Cordor. But 
we're starting to talk about elite units now, not just hordes and masses and people running around with a bloody bit of pipe and, and faith. We're talking about elite gang units that are being sent on particular tasks and missions that we're not privy to. Yeah. Well, speaking of gangs, let's get away from all... Let's get away from Temenos for a while. Let's get away from Credo and the Prophet. And let's talk about gangers. Specifically, let's talk about Goliath clanners driven to holy madness by the word of the prophet, set fire to their factories and forges. To fuel the raging inferno, they hurled the bodies of helots into the blaze. When enforcers arrive to quell the arsonists, they are met with brutal resistance. The two sides fighting amid the burning levels of the hive city. So I don't think the Goliaths need this right now. <laughs> they no, don't need no. the influence of the prophet into an already destabilized and weakened. We've mentioned it already. Goliath are nuts enough. Yep. Now, Goliath with religious fervor, these clan houses of non-religious sort of affiliations with religious fervor. Oh man, the gang yep. options and the modeling yep. options. Like, I would do it the more with shaved heads, like yes. the war gun slash word bearer esque, like writing. It would all be in crayon, but like writing yeah. the, the imperial script onto their heads. Grug was here. Yeah, yeah. And like a nice little, you know, toddler type picture drawn into the head and stuff like that. It would look cool. It'd look great. You'd need a very fine brush, though. Uh, I believe in the audience. <laughs> Somebody do it. <laughs> Just sharpen your crayon perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> so upon hearing the word of the prophet, thousands of Minerva Esha are overcome by religious fervor. Scorning their normal outlandish dress and extravagant hairstyles, they seek absolution in the rede redemption, cladding themselves in white cloaks and robes to display their purity and brutality, murdering anyone who doesn't bow down before the God Empress Majesty or God Empress, potentially for them. Yeah. Hmm. And when you read this, and, oh, sorry, am I the only one who immediately thinks of that Sisters of Battle kill team? The, what is it, the Novitiates? Yeah, yeah. Like, that is, yeah, like you said, shaved heads, but they've got the robes, they've got auto guns. Mm. You, you throw in some uh, Escher stilettos and that sort of thing. Like, I, th I think that's perfect to represent these gals. Like, they're, they're, it almost sounds like they're modest. Modest? You know what I mean? Yeah, okay. Like, you take that, that Novitiate's kill team and... You could you could Escher them up a little bit, you know, change some of the knee-high boots into the stiletto boots and that the uh, that the Escher have, but the the sort of the headdresses, the 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 robes, the religious iconography, man, I reckon that would be such an easy gang conversion. Yeah, I reckon so. I, I think you'd still add your chem delivery systems oh, yeah. and put yeah. all your cam stuff on them just to give them that Escher vibe. Do you know what I mean? Because the the guns are one thing, but the without the hair and the outlandish costumes, what else is Escher? Do you know what I mean? So you'd need to you'd need to find that other bridge you could have with them and that would be Except it's not drugs. 
Except it's not cams anymore. It's uh, like holy water. <laughs> Just give me a little top up of the uh, the, the holy H two O. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's actual water. It's not like distilled rat wee. Yeah, um, yeah. This is, that's what makes it so amazing. Yeah. Well, a mass hallucination occurs in the Quinspire. As thousands of people witness the hive's great spires transformed into a crown of white flame. Redemptionists endlessly debate the meaning of the vision, though most believe it to be the crown of the god emperor. Less zealous voices claim it is something else entirely, and say in the flames they saw a seven-pointed star. Even mass hallucinations are now up for separate interpretation. Wow. And this, the, the vision of the seven-pointed star is scary stuff. It is very, very scary stuff. If they're, made, if they're able to create that in some way, shape, or form, whoever's creating it, in, and as I say, less zealous voices. So mm. less crazy is what they're implying there. So yeah. the crazies are seeing the flaming crown of the, the emperor, which is, I don't think that's an existent thing, is it? The emperor didn't have a flaming crown. I mean, the Asher think the emperor was uh, a lady, so the emperor could have had a flaming crown. I don't know. No, I don't think so, and I'm not going to go with believe, it. I don't believe he did. Yeah, no. I think he had a, a circlet, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, I thought it was like a, a wreath type thing. Oh, no, it was a circlet. Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. So many different bits of artwork that I've no, seen in my No, it was. It was, a, it was a circlet wreath. Remember, it had the, yeah. the leaves coming yeah, up. Yeah, that's like what I thought. Symbols. Yeah. Like, Gulliman has one as well um, yeah. in the heresy. It's like an it's awarded to heroes of the, of the Imperium. Yeah. And that... obviously the Emperor would have awarded to himself. Just yeah, put them that... on top of his own head. How great am I? Yeah. There's that classic picture of uh, the Emperor and Horus on the Vengeful Spirit where he's got like the custodes and that behind him and he's got his gold armour yep. and Aguinius is on the floor. Oh. And, yeah, the Emperor's wearing that beautiful golden, yep. you know, laurel circlet. I don't... I guess it could be a flaming crown. No, like, they're wrong redemptionists. Yeah, they're a little bit I disapprove. Out. I disapprove of your judgment, Mr. Redemptionist. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll move on to our next part. Conflicting reports reach the Palatine Cluster of the return of St. Call. The ancient hero of the redemption is various, variously said to be walking the Great Ash Road from Gothel's Needle, climbing up from the depths of the Big Hole, or crossing the sea of dust alone and on foot. Countless pilgrims set out to see the saint for themselves, though few return. Are they just trying to thin the numbers here? Oh, by the way, speaking of uh, very non-creative names on Necromunda, we had Halfway, and we now we also have Big Hole. They, they don't need to mess around with anything beyond like a to-the-point name. Yeah. <laughs> we're, what should we name this town? Well, we're halfway between Temenos and Primus. Uh, how about we name it like North Kilt Town? <laughs> urine, 
you're an idiot, Angus McLeod. We're going to call yeah. it halfway. Yeah, we're halfway between where we need to be. Yeah, dummy, yeah. dum, dum, dum. <laughs> what about yeah, that place over there? Yeah, big it's hole. got a big hole. Big, that's the point. I like it. Big it's, hole it's, also sounds like a great place to just throw rocks into. Yeah, true. <laughs> It'll be definitely some sort of creature's lair. Anyway, oh, move, move. So pull it up in throwing well, rocks <laughs> and bots. Not ambots, ambles. <laughs> yeah, it's the world's biggest carriage hole. Uh, <laughs> the walls of Scavtown are covered in scratchings, preaching the word of the prophet. Dying pilgrims, too sick or wounded to go on, add to the endless litanies, until kilometres of ramshackle walls are covered in markings and the ground around Scavtown is littered with ash-covered corpses. Once again... I'm not going to Necromunda for a holiday, especially not Gavtown, with its scratched-up walls and enormous piles of bodies. Also, that's a health hazard. Yeah, I, uh, it's not a fun place to be. So in the next section, uh, we talk about, I guess, a little bit of uh, the capitalism of Necromunda. Capitalists! <laughs> the, the true winner and enemy of 40K. In an effort to sell more goods to the rising numbers of pilgrims in High Trazior, its merchant guild embraces the Articles of Faith. Soon they are passing themselves off as Gelt priests and bullet preachers, claiming their divine purpose is to outfit the faithful of the Great Pilgrimage, while at the same time lightening them of some of their creds. <laughs> That's good stuff. Actually, I, I can't see a problem with it because... Those pilgrims shouldn't need their creds. No, they've got. They have space Jesus. They have space Jesus, and they've they've got the the prophet leading them on. What do you need credits credits for when you've got such a enigmatic prophet leading you? You've got your prophet, and the guilders need prophets. <laughs> you know what? I love that. That's actually freaking awesome. <laughs> the funniest thing I've ever said. <laughs> this is all Podcast about prophets. Is over. Done. Oh, Done. Done. Thanks, folks. I'm ending on a high note. It's been great. Uh, no, that's I love this, but you're absolutely right. This is capitalism coming out, and the guilds are just like, oh, man, we've got a hive chock full of idiots, and uh, how do we make some money? Let's lie to them. Let's yeah. lie to them and make them buy this junk. Yeah. Just, uh, trust me, you need this rusty auto gun. It was held by Saint mm. Bullshiticus and... Mm. Mm. were the, one of the most amazing local saints. Um, actually, it, it, it sort of lightens into a certain part of the book that I don't think we'd, we'd get to unless we uh, are talking particularly about the saints. So the lesser saints are more sort of localised to their regions, like uh, Hive City or whatever the case might be. The next two saints are my absolute favourite. Now, I don't know if these are just purely on Necromunda, but I'm going to assume they're not. You have the pauper saints, and these simple saints who were workers, beggars, or wasters. Mostly these saints, such as Cognus, the saint of quotas, are connected, to, <laughs> it's good, isn't it? are connected to the machines of the factory or the gunk that is their life blood. So these, these saints are really cool because they're what the common man would probably pray to. So when they've, you know, they need something to work or their quota is going to be down, they'd probably have a little shrine to Cognus or 
whatever other saint, like um, Saint Cal Capitalistus or something. Saint <laughs> <laughs> he was the uh, the the brother saint to Saint Bullshitticus, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah, <laughs> two of them existed in a time not remembered for some reason. Um, <laughs> but no, no, I love the idea of the workers praying to those. The last group of saints, though, and again, I, I'll reiterate the fact, I don't know if this is just an Ekmeronda. This is my favourite group. Finally, there are gang saints, the holy martyrs of the gangs themselves. As might be expected, these saints represent the things important to gangs, as shown by Shanks, the saint of knives, and Grog, the saint of wild snake. And Gabus. The Saint of Blazookas. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But the Shanks one, uh, I actually found, I did a little bit more research on it, and there's actually a, a little prayer for him as well. What? So, yeah, Shanks, the Saint of Knives. Well, it's a him or her, I don't know what it is. But supposedly when the gang ganger kills whoever they've, they've shanked, right, they say Shanks a lot. You I are about, hurting I about, the podcast. <laughs> I talked about saints just so I could say the shanks a lot better. <laughs> I, no, I'm interested in the saints. <laughs> I am so angry at you right now. You've been talking about saints, I think, for about 35 minutes. I don't know. <laughs> I'm so full of rage. Um that was that was an amazing build-up. I am so proud of you. <laughs> Don't get uh, me wrong. I'm still interested in the shanks. Sorry, not the shanks, the saints. The saints, yeah. But it is cool. His prayer is shanks a lot. And, like, whenever you, order, whenever you order shanks and somebody brings you a plate of shanks, you go, oh, shanks a lot for that. That's part of his other prayers. Uh, are, we, are we still on? <laughs> I don't know. If we still have listeners, I am shocked. I am shocked. And frankly, I'm upset with them for continuing to listen through Shanks a lot. Actually, it is very funny. I will give you that. Um, okay. But uh, no, I do love the Saints. And this book, the way it explores the, the, the religion on the planet, and obviously we've been talking about it for hours it's we, really, haven't even, we haven't even gotten to the part about religious gangs yet. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we haven't talked about religious gangs. But once we get into that, there's a lot more going on there as well. And um, I just, I love this. I've mentioned in a previous episode, I love the religious nutters within this IP, in this environment. But to to have that little breakdown of the Saints of Necromunda, I think it's really, really cool. It allows you just to play around with what you imagine your gang is focused on. But we can explore that a little bit later because I do think we need to talk about the uh, the actual religious gangs themselves. Man, oh, I'm just re-jumping back into your sidetrack here. The concept of localised saints yeah. where, you know, you have, let's say, um, who was it you said before? Valdor the Blessed. So I'm pretty sure that's oh. Constantine Valdor. Yeah, yeah I'm not, pretty sure it is too. Uh, yeah, I think the, it is. But do you remember back in 10,000 year history, yeah. the Valdorians and the Valdonians? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Imagine like where you have two separate hives who both know about Valdor and then mm. you have Valdor and Valdon and mm. where the religions have grown so 
well, not even just religions, their, their individual faiths mm. have grown so entwined with their particular pronunciation or something like Delac or Delacroix. You know, it may just be localised is how they're saying it, but these, these gangs or these organisations would, would, would react exactly how we think. They'd react with extreme violence to someone yeah, mispronouncing absolutely. their patron saint's name. And, yeah. and gang ideas, just gang ideas yeah. out the wazoo for that. But yes, yes, we do need to wait until we start talking about some of these gangs at the end of the episode. Yeah. So I guess going back to the actual part of the read where we talk about, you know, the hustling and the, the capitalism that's being taken advantage of with the, with the pilgrimage, it's bound to happen no matter what. Yeah. They'll be selling them buckets of sand going, the, 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 the profit walked on at least three of these grains. Trust me, they're worth yeah. all your credits. Yeah. So, and I say fair play to <clears throat> It is a capitalist world. Go for it, lads. We're not bitter about capitalism at all. You know, some some guy invents metal coinage, and now I got to work fifty hours a week. Like, come on, bud. (laughs) Come on, bud. uh, (laughs) Fair play, mate. Come on. You know, you want to move into an agrarian society, and now I have to live in this capitalistic hellhole that we call Hive Primus. (laughs) Thanks, dickhead. Yeah, thanks Um, for that, buddy. Well, interestingly enough, that is the end of the Vaults of Temenos. Nothing bad happens after a bunch of guilders selling some stuff to religious fanatics. That's it. It was a really anticlimactic end. Um, I'm pretty sure nothing crazy happened like, I don't know, the awakening of a giant robot man by the name of Azostium Aranthus. That's the same name as the Succession. Oh, my God. Say it ain't so. I will not go turn the lights off. No, no, I'm not getting sued by Blink-182. Um, this is where the Aranthian succession just blows up. So the last, like, what was the first episode? Seven and a half hours. Oh. I don't know. We're, like, three and a half weeks into this episode. And <laughs> this is the point where it gets crazy so we haven't gone into a lot of what has been going on with Surveillan and that's because a lot of her story her story is so deeply entwined within the actual readings of this book that we would literally be reading the entire book just to say this is this character but we will break down this section here for you very easily. As Nathan mentioned earlier, Surveillan had managed to avoid uh, the Prophet's forces in the Vaults of Temenos, and she has snuck in to get through there. But behind her, in pursuit, is Lady Credo, as well as, how do they said before, colourful Escher fighters and heavily armed Cordor gangers. Yeah, 100%. But Surveillan, I don't know if you were going to mention it, but I will. He's got her um, Delacroix allies at this point as well. So they've actually helped her break into the vault. Yeah. And they're the ones who reveal to her that the lost saint is yeah, taken away. Our man, Azostium Aranthus. <laughs> so 
what happens, this particular scene here, Surveillan is currently in the middle of a gunfight with basically the forces of Lady Credo. And so we basically have Delark and Escher fighting each other with Surveillan also holding her own there. And we have an absolutely just amazing fight between Surveillan and Lady Credo, where Surveillan is fighting off Lady Credo with just a combat knife. And when everything just seems like Credo has got the upper hand and she is about to, she's drawn a pistol, she's about to pop one in the enforcer and just call this fight quits. Gunfire thunders from the entrance to the chamber and Credo is forced to dive behind a coffin for cover. In steps a hulking Goliath with a spiked punching gauntlet wrapped around one fist. This is my boy, Durgan Killfist, with his curl fist, and I'm assuming we're just going to call it his Durgan Club. Uh, <laughs> it's got a real name, but I like Durgan Club. I like Durgan Club. That's actually much more preferable. Yeah. And There's a lot of implications with it. He's going to give you a good Durganing. Yeah. Now, Unfortunately, young Durgan, because I'm assuming he's Goliath, he's what, uh, four and a half weeks old? Um, oh, yeah. He's killed 114 men, four and a half <laughs> weeks old. But when Durgan fires, he shoots the coffin. And unfortunately, with a shudder and a sound like cracking ice, the seals broke and the lid of the sarcophagus began to lift. This is when that first saint, the first that was mentioned by Lady Credo earlier, this is Azostium Aranthus. And as he stands from his sarcophagus, the perfection of his artificial body, breathtaking. Even Durgan briefly paused at the sight of the beautifully sculpted giant before charging towards to smash it in the face with his kill fist. <laughs> but when you're a giant, I'm guessing, by, the, by this description, he almost, like, I know he's not. I hope he's not. He almost sounds like a Necron. Oh, you, you mean the, yeah, the Arathian? Yeah, do you remember the, um, the old school pariahs where they had, they basically looked like humans, but instead of yeah. sleep, they had, oh, they were the I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's more articulated armor. Um, yeah. It's not. It doesn't look like skeletal metal. Yeah. It looks like almost forming. There's. Um, oh, I can't think of the name of them in Age of Sigma. They're pretty much what I deem as the replacements to the Camry. Yeah, the Bone Reapers. Also, yeah, something that that's what I imagine this thing looks like. So yeah, more just made armor like... plates. Yeah. Uh, yeah armor plates and not like exposed skeletal areas or anything like that. So Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, unfortunately, it doesn't give you too much of a description of what he looks like. It's sort of, it's pretty uh, pretty vague. Well, so far it's pretty vague. Yeah, so far. Uh, This is where we start seeing some of the craziness because Durgan is going to give uh, old Zostium I'm just going to call him King Aranthus. How about Ozzy? Oh, how did I miss that? 
because I kept trying to pronounce that name. I'm like, Ozostayan? Ozostayan? Ozzy. Ozzy Aranthus. Ozzy Aranthus. Yeah. Heading down the servo in his uh, ute to grab a pie and the... Uh... I just ducked out for a couple of durries and then I ended up in a sarcophagus, mate. What a bloody load of bullshit. Ozzy, we've all been there, mate. You know how it is. <laughs> but <laughs> Durgan's jumping up to give Ozzy a good kill fisting. And Ozzy just looks at him and just says one word. Stop. And Durgan stops. This is the power the prophet showed us earlier. Oh, where yep. These Absolutely. gangs. These, remember those killers that were going after him earlier? He yeah. looked at them and just with the, with the word, with yeah. the power of his words, he turned them. And Durgan here has gone to attack Aussie and with a single word stopped. Now, but you got to say something here because <clears throat> sorry to interject. I know you're going to talk about home, but Surveillan is a for you. So she's a, a a blank or a, a she's just basically soulless. So yeah. is doesn't actually get affected and afflicted by the warp, but she's able to register what's coming from the coffin as something warp tainted. Mm. And it says that explicitly explicitly in the in the book that she recognizes this as something that is a warp entity. So it actually states that the scrutinator had little knowledge of the Imperial Creed, but a talent for dealing with psychers and their ilk. And something about this had more than a touch of the warp about it. So she's oh, yeah. at this point she's talking about the sarcophagus room and so forth. So that word, that stop, is not just because he's in a fancy metal suit. Or, you know, the speakers are up to 11. It's, there's something going on. And as you said many times, it's, it's warp related. Yeah. And there is, for use of a better term, shenanigans afoot. It is warp shenanigans. Warp shenanigans and, at the best. But on top of this, we've, we've been seeing these shenanigans the whole time. We saw it last book with these minor psychers, like what was his name? Old Yith, Yith Wild Eyes. The he has gone from what we can only assume being a minor psyker to being able to just absolutely dominate the minds of dozens of people at a time. And you have Ozzy here, who's able to turn around and tell someone of the the mind and determination of Durgan Kilfist mid strike and saying to him, stop. And Durgan, like that, stops. Yeah, comes to a stop. That's amazing. And the power shown by Ozzy here, where he reaches out with one hand, wraps his fingers around this full-grown Goliath's throat, lifts him, and basically, you know, shakes him like a disobedient puppy, <laughs> and then just throws him. Yeah, and yeah. As he's about to to kill Durgan, Surveillan in just glorious reaction, just yells out, Hey, metal man. And basically she snatches up Durgan's bolt pistol and just starts blowing chunks out of Ozzy's chest. Like just unloads one after the other. So then Durgan gets up, basically brushes himself off, says, I didn't hear no bell, bitch, and 
goes to charge at Ozzy again. The Valen, being the smarter one of the two, basically yells out at him and goes, come on, we can't beat it here. Durgan resists for a moment, then follows Surveillan back to the shadows of the vaults, racing into the darkness. And that's that classic, runs into the underhive, never to be seen again. <laughs> true, true. But I, I really like the little little line that GW put in there is, it can't beat it here. Yeah. Here. What else are they looking for? It can't beat yeah. it here. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's, a, there's a little bit going on there. But I love the fact that Ozzy gets up, Ozzy's him, Ozzy's him, Ozzy. Ozzy gets up and basically there's only slight damage done to the chest plate. So this is a bolt pistol, close range, magazine, full magazine thumped into him, and he's like, yeah, no problems. I'll, uh, it knocked me back, but that was about it. It and specifically then, notes that the creature was practically unblemished. Yes, yes. All right, so it didn't even really scratch the armour. Mm. And that's when we see Credo emerge. And she says a line that makes you just go, well, it is on. And, like, we do find out earlier in the book, but this is great to hear it directly. My master. Oh, here we are. Here we go. Here we go. It is properly on for young and old. It's, uh, it's, it's ridiculous, but she immediately sets up Mm-hmm. Quite possibly one of the scariest things to come out of Necromunda since I don't know we learned that there were there was dirty dirty democracy <laughs> and Ozzy looks at her he looks down at her so I'd love to know how big this guy is mm. and he says they must be awakened. To which Credo replies, and so they shall be, my master. Already my agents scour this world for their resting places and prepare Necromunda's throne for your ascension. But until you have your brothers and sisters, you are still vulnerable. There's going to be more of these things. More of these enormous killing robots. That's in conjunction with her army that is oh. equipped with high-tech weaponry, which is obvious now because Ozzy's like some super ro- robot. So there's, there's, there's going to be more of them with potentially an amazingly equipped army to back them. And the, I guess something that we just sort of brushed over was the fact that Ozzy looks at um, Surveillan and Durgan and just lets them go. It doesn't, this just makes no doesn't attempt. Care. Doesn't care. They're, they're not important to the grand scheme of his plan. And just like, they can be gone. But make, the key thing is, we need to find, we need to find my brothers and sisters. Oh. We're going to keep some of the theories we have on this until the end of the episode. Which, despite my horrific lies earlier, isn't any time soon. <laughs> So, with I, I apologise, folks, but you know, if you're still listening at this point, you you love it anyway. So you've done it to on. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've done it to yourself. <laughs> but within the vaults of Temenos, an ancient enemy of House Helmore awakens, and a new era on Necromunda begins. 
responding to the waking of their immortal master, thousands of hidden cells and rebel lords, sworn to the lost house of Aranthus, emerge from the shadows to join an assault on the power of House Helmore and Lady Hera Helmore, who claims its throne. Do you remember... Oh, man, was it episode one or episode two of A Brief 10,000-Year History? The Lords of Aranthus, the Ogryn bodyguard. It was like a company of Ogryn bodyguards. Yeah, I remember them. Games Workshop, for some reason, if you're listening, if you (laughs) give us rules for the Lords of Aranthus, I will be so ridiculously happy, like, just regularly armed Ogrins on Necromunda. Yes. Like Ogrins with ripper guns and beat yeah. sticks or just giant two-handed hammers. Oh, or man. just street signs, like street just signs. Just street ripped signs. With a massive oh. chunk of concrete attached to the end of it and they just use it yeah. like a giant mall. That would be so cool. Oh, but this, these thousands of hidden cells and rebel lords, like, are these... Descendants of House Aranthus are these lords of other houses who say, you know, if if we put Aranthus back on top, I can ride the coattails back to power, back to what my family's lost. Like, are these the houses from throughout the generations have been destroyed by House Helmore or Yulanti or Ranlo or Koayan? Like, oh, like, it's a gang idea. Yeah, gang. yeah, yeah. Go. Yeah. Everything is a gang idea. <laughs> every line of this, like, um, do a Venator gang, and every single one of them is you need to make them dressed completely different. Every, yeah. they, they need to be garish and overdone, yeah. but also mm. run down. Like, remember that picture of the Constantine Credo, where he was clearly yeah. finely dressed enough, but he had the bandages and yeah. his clothing was stitched up. Do. I'm going to call them the uh, the scions of Aranthus. No, I've already done the scions of Gothril. Ooh, um, yes. Boom. <laughs> the scions of Gothril. No. Uh, do them as like um, the, the forlorn sons. There you go. And it's mm. these descendants of all these fallen houses who were subsidiary houses of House Aranthus. And they've all got like somewhat rundown equipment and you, you you use all those just amazing new Imperial Guard minis or you use that or you use the vampire minis from Age of Sigma where the Blood Bowl team they've got the um like the puffy shirts. Yeah right oh so you just go real extreme with them. Real <clears throat> extreme and use them and then just slap Techno gubbins and weapons and that sort of yeah. thing. Run them as outlaw. Ally them with criminal organisations and what. Yep. And re- real like, uh, you know, fighting, fighting the man style things. But unfortunately, they're also serving someone that I think is a freaking Iron Lord. But yeah. that rant's <laughs> coming later. So I, I really like that idea. What I would probably do, the only thing different, is give them really baroque type of weaponry so things that it, although two of them may have las guns they they look very like individual to the to themselves and yeah. a lot of stamping on that and a, a lot of uh, sort of uh icons of their house or just 
things that wouldn't normally be seen on a Lasgun or on a Bolter or what have you and try to fish for some really ornate and odd weaponry. So the, um, was it the arc rifle? Something along those lines. Yeah. Things like that. Just you, you push that idea that it's a, it's a house heirloom and they've said our, our true leader has come back. So we're going to dust this bad boy off. We're going to give it to our most militaristic, most militant son. And they're going to go join this house. Oh, sorry, not yeah. this house, this gang. And they're going to be, you know, an effective bodyguard for one of the Aranthian robots that needs to be risen. So they're hunting for one of the tombs. And oh, oh, just 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 come to be like almost like treasure hunters. Yes. Like, like, I was just gonna say, like Indiana yeah, Jones. Indiana Jones, but a whole gang of them. How cool would that be? And so they've all got their own little trait and nuance that they're bringing to the yeah. game. And it's, but their the end goal, and you try to play them like it's very difficult to do, I guess, in a campaign. But the end goal would be to we are hunting for this sarcophagus, we're hunting for this tomb. So they're hiring, you know, anybody who, what is their, the ones at the Delacroix can hire the, um, Whisper Merchants. Whisper Merchant, that's the one. So they're hiring Miss Merchants, you know, and that's yeah. part of the, the the nuance of their gang. They hire them so that they can go, well, we, we need this person because we're looking for the secrets we're trying to find out. We know we know the signal's been sent out, but we weren't able to triangulate it. So now we're on the hunt for it. I reckon it's such I love a cool that. idea. Yeah. Treasure hunters on Necromunda, but not, not looking for... Treasure. Not looking for treasure, uh, looking looking for evil robot men. Yeah, evil robot men. And you know, the 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 real treasure was the the friendships they had along the way. <laughs> <laughs> the, the real treasure is overthrowing House Helmore and yeah, casting the all their allies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we all had that inside our hearts the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I I don't want to harp on this too much longer because we do need to sort of start looking at where the horizon is for this episode. So yeah. Yes. Um, but I like the idea of these really minor houses coming to the fore. So they're only just above the gang level, but because they've got some sort of reference as a noble house, they are able to sort of influence their ways throughout Necromunda that the gangs can't do. Mm. And so they, they are effectively just as bad as the gangs, but because of this, this name they have attached to them, they can infiltrate certain levels of the of the hive and um of the hierarchy and i really love that that that's intermixed within the the real dirtiness and grubbiness of the gang so they'd still be quite dirty and grubby obviously not quite rich but have the their their wealth comes from their name and that is all and that's the only wealth they have like very much like credo yeah you know credo is all about the name lady credo was marrying Constantine because of the name. It was, wasn't marrying him because of the vast amounts of wealth or reputation that she was going to generate from him. Yeah. So, anywho, next point. I reckon they loved each other. That's just, <laughs> it's, 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 it's the Romeo and Juliet of um, Necromunda. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, the next part of what we go into, it's sort of a little confusing because it's the still opening more vaults within Temnos. So when you read the book, and for a simpleton like me, I just thought there was one giant vault, but apparently there is lots of vaults in Temenos. So the Delacroix opened the vaults of Temenos in a final effort to halt the return of House Aranthus. 
So they understand what's going on and they we don't want this because we run House Helmore and we don't want to put all the work into trying to run House Arathus. And we also took the plague to Hive Mortis, but we'll talk <laughs> that about that true. later on. That is very <laughs> true. They are definitely in the uh, on the naughty list for House Arathus. So in doing so, they set off a chain of warning signals that echo around Necromunda and out into the void. Far from Hive Temnos, old enemies of the Aranthians listen with interest and ready themselves for the return of their ancient foes. What do you mean out into the void? That's the bit. That's the bit. Don't worry about the rest of it. The void. <laughs> what, what? Who exactly is in the void that is an enemy of the Aranthians? How bad are I, they? I have a theory. It's pretty standard fair for you, isn't it? I have a theory. It's just as just as engrossing as gang idea. Uh, a Samuel theory. This this one makes a lot of sense though. Go ahead. So do you remember uh way back when uh episode one, brief ten thousand year history, when the Imperial Fists, boo, uh boo. actually conquered Necromunda. Mm-hmm. Or as well as Aranaeus Prime at the time. Yeah. And the Aranean um, continuity was led by a group called the Iron Lords. Now, I believe old Ozzy Aranthus has returned in the form of an Iron Lord and that the brothers and sisters are the remaining Aranean Iron Lords of the Aranean continuity. Now, this vault that the Dalark have opened. They knew what they were doing here. They've opened this particular vault because they know when this vault is opened, a call goes out to say the Aranean continuity has returned. Now, who that's going to, I believe it may be somehow connected either with the Imperial Fists, Boo, Boo, or... Do you remember the unknown Xenos species? Yes. Yeah, that I do. Horched the whole system. Like they they remember oh, what were they? There were mm. warp gates that mm. they basically popped in, torched Necromunda, and then popped out. And but it was only after the Aranaeans uh, the Aranaeans were defeated. Correct. Yes, that's so they, they oh. were defeated, and Necromunda oh. was someone planted the flag and goes, mm. "You're now Aranaeus Prime. This oh. whole system belongs to the Imperium of Man." I have a feeling that the old enemies of the Aranthians are not the enemies of the Aranthians, but they are the enemies of the Aranaeus continuity. Right. There, yeah. and they are also the enemies of their servants someone we've mentioned previously in a couple of episodes, actually, the members of the Acariated Underhive Drug Consortium that is spreading ghast to our communities. Oh, right. True. Mm. Yes. There's nothing there that says that the Acariateds aren't involved in this. Is that, is that where you took me? Is that the pathway you took me down? That's the pathway we're going down here, baby. <laughs> I think the call has gone out to the Carrioted Empire and they are coming back to seize control. No, I genuinely believe this is a call that has either gone out to 
possibly the Imperial Fists, or to someone Xenos-related, especially because it's the Dalark, and given their connections with the Silent Ones, and the fact that Somnus is so close, Uh, there's too much pulling in together at this point here. Too many coinkidinks. There's far too many coinkidinks going on here. Ozzy coming back and Ozzy being recognised as a somewhat effectively a warp entity in human form, this this ain't normal. Yeah, but it's a warp entity basically in a cyborg. Well, not really even cyborg. Let's just call it what we think it is, a Necron body, basically, but like a more advanced Necron body. I think it's very similar to Necrodermis, yes. Yeah, so we have that with warp capacity within them and the ability that once once they are... Let like their signal is let out of the vaults, their signal goes across the void. So there's some bigger, larger tech going on and some bigger, more intimidating elements of their of who they are that is being spread across Necromunda and the void. But what I do love is that they the the old enemies of the Aranthians listen with interest. So and yeah. making themselves ready. So they're not quite ready to pounce yet. So they recognize that. Whatever's happening here isn't at danger stations just yet. We're looking at something that could potentially just to be managed on Necromunda without this ancient foe revealing themselves. So I, I, I think you're right in saying that it could be a calling to the Imperial Fists, but it could also be calling to those Xenos to say, there's a reason you destroyed the continuity. Mm-hmm. You know, then there's a reason you, sh- you just messed up everything because whatever they whatever control they had over the continuity pre the imperial invasion and the imperial victory was lost. You know, so they've they've lost all that after that victory. So we're now looking at a at an Aranthian or a you know Aranaeus continuity that is potentially without the the shackles of their their ancient foe on them. So, as I said, the shackles are off and they can go off and behave as poorly as they want to, which they mm-hmm. are showing throughout the, the, these two books, that they are the, influencing the local population and putting into play some way to, to destroy the Helmore reign. But interestingly, Ozzy refers to the... the the line, the noble house, as Helmer, yes. not Helmore. Yes. So in his brain, he's still fighting the Helmer, not the Helmore. That's what I'm saying, man. Mm. What this, I don't believe this is a member of House Aranthus. So, yeah, right. weirdly enough, your gang at Akramanda reminds me of this because yeah. I believe. Aussie is an amalgamation of the actual Azostium Aranthus and a member of the Aranean continuity. I believe nice. he has two minds put together. Yep. Much like Lady Credo, I believe, is a blade of, yep. you know, of the blades and effectively this wife of Constantine Credo, this figurehead. She, she's an amalgamation of the past and the present of Megalodon. Right. Oh. I believe Ozzy is that representation of the, 
the past being the Iron Lords yeah. and the quote-unquote present being House Aranthus. With both I, having the same end goal. Correct. The destruction yeah. of the Imperial House, be it yeah. Helmore or Helmaya. Yes. So that's why that way that amalgamation would work. Yes. Because they're not looking for an alternative alternative end goals here. They're both looking for the same thing, which is destruction of Imperial rule or the Imperial House. So as that they can rule, whether it be as a Ranthian or as an Iron Lord or Correct. as a as a combination. Because as both. the population will see, oh. they may know what they are, that they are both things. Yeah. But to, to the population, they will simply be the return of House Aranthus. Yeah. Completely 100%. legal and justifiable replacement of an imperial house, not removal of imperial ruler and reinsertion uh, of Aran of Aranean ruler. Yeah. Yeah. But that is a conspiracy theory for the end of the episode. <laughs> Which now we don't really need to mention now, but yeah. We don't I get need you. to mention it now. But <laughs> Let's have a look at some of the crazy stuff that is going on in the timeline still. A handful of gangs still loyal to Hera battle Credo's agents in the shadows of the vaults. Ancient and terrible weapons are snatched from stasis caskets to be used by desperate fighters, while hexagramic cages are broken open, unleashing demon-touched beasts long held in check by the Necromundan Ministorum. Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. What are they <laughs> snatching out of these stasis caskets? I'm not even touching on the demons. That is all no. you. Yeah, thank uh, you. I was going to say, I want to talk about those <laughs> demon beasts. <laughs> I'm imagining they're running through. There's like a, a grenade in this stasis casket. They're like, get off. Okay, cool. They throw it and it's a um, it's like one of those void grenades. A war grenade, was, yeah. Oh, the, yeah. Oh, yeah, or they're, they're oh. pulling out weapons that, like, I don't know, like a HUD fusel. And, yeah. you know, they're, they're literally sucking the life out of people and yeah. all these just crazy, like... Oh, imagine they nail some sonic weaponry. How oh, cool would that be? Yeah. What's to say they haven't pulled up, like, the world's deadliest bass guitar and yeah. are literally ripping people apart with sound? Yeah. Like, yeah. you can imagine some of the ancient and terrible weapons. Man, ancient and terrible is a very... Broad definition. <laughs> it's a big, broad brushstroke, isn't it? Oh man, I want to. <laughs> and let's see hope it my... means terrible in the sense of like the damage it does, and not terrible in the sense that it's like a potato gun or something. Yeah, it's a potato gun, but the potato is actually a sponge. Um, <laughs> or bullets that every time you shoot someone with them, they get healthier. <laughs> like you shoot this guy, and he's like, "Oh man, my back feels great." Oh, that's oh, fantastic. And yeah. My asthma's gone. Listen. <laughs> He's <laughs> uh, uh. shooting me. I want to get rid of the crow's feet. <laughs> but demons, you say? Demon beast. Now be quiet, sir. This, the number one demon beast in my mind is a Necromundan giant clam <laughs> infused with a demon. The most deadliest thing you can imagine. The worst possession that you could do. Like, aha, I'm finally back in real space. And, oh, God, I'm literally eating poop. Yeah. I'm a clam. I'm a clam. <laughs> I'm a clam. Um, no, on, on a serious note, the, the, the demon beast would be cool because 
I, I don't imagine them to be actual beasts, like, sorry, actual demons, you know. I right. imagine them to be the, oh, it says demon touch beast, doesn't it? So yeah. they, they are Necromundan beasts that have become demons or have been have developed some sort of demonic trait whether imagine if they picked up like a psychic ability where they can draw their their foe in or they can make them make them have hallucinations and so you're getting hunted by a beast that also forces you to have hallucinations um oh man or what if they're like um oh like the i god they would be demons but like furies or oh yeah like, you know like not necessarily full-blown demons but yeah you know maybe warp touched creatures or you know creatures that are uh mutants like mutants that they just couldn't find out they just, just couldn't kill like chaos, so what if they, it's born. mutated a beast yeah like, yes that would be cool like so, it's it's a beast that's actually been afflicted by some sort of mutation. I I wouldn't know what. That would be absolutely bonkers. So imagine like, sort of millisaurs. Oh they, my god! They don't they don't need it, but imagine if they had extra tentacles or they had claws protruding from them, or they actually have the demon forming from them. So it's able to have some sort of rudimentary sort of communication. The Did other you one. Oh, sorry, go remember, on. Keep do, you remember the, do you remember the giant spined chaos beasts? Yes. Remember, yes, it yeah. was like green. They had it painted with the, the lips yep. and were all pulled back. The t- I'm picturing things like that or um, like just, just some of these horrific, not really demon. Basically, actually, no, you know what? They are demons. But I'm mm. picturing a lot of the chaos unaligned, like chaos undivided yeah. demons, like furies and um, like, yeah, just things like that. See, I'm sort of going the other way. I'm imagining what the, the beasts of the current beast of Necromunda, other than the Ambot, obviously, because it's quite immune, would be like with some sort of demonic tem- <laughs> like possession in them. So I'm going to say an obvious one. I think it's obvious, but like Slanesh touched Ripperjacks. No. No. No, that is like age 25 plus. We are a G plus <laughs> podcast, my friend. Um like the bullets that cured asthma. Yeah. yeah. That's our lane. We're not talking we're not talking about the new Ripperjack models. I love them, but the moment you start, talk, start talking about Slanesh touching Ripperjack models, well, that is, you can listen to that episode on our Patreon. Uh, <laughs> our midnight special. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is Underhive Lawkeepers Red Light Broadcasts. Um, but no, I'm definitely getting what you like. Yeah, these beasts that have maybe been involved in cult activity or have maybe been around some of the shenanigans the immortal cult were doing. Or it's just even a tear in real space happens to them. You know what I mean? So an arathnamite corn-touched, it wouldn't need much, but it would be absolutely terrifying, like a berserk creature that is just the ape of bloodlust. Yeah, that's sick. So that's kind of where my mind went with it. It's more about the beasts that are there and what's happening to them and what the the chaos gods would do to them. Obviously, if it was like, if it was, say, Malal, it'd probably just 
I guess the best thing it could do is go after Shane Birds. So and they just probably just ignore it, really. Like just just really angry guinea pigs. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Come here, I'm gonna nibble your carrots. Yeah. Just the Minotaurian. Just got a, a handful of these now. They used to be brown, but they're black and white little guinea pigs, and they're just really obnoxious. Yeah, but they get on that, that wheel and they never get off. Um. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the other creature I'm looking at as well is the sumcroc, and some sort of demonic possession or some sort of demonic touch to that would be cool. I, I, I don't know, matter. I can't tell you what I think it would be. In in my mind, looking at the sumcroc miniature, I just instantly go. Nurgle possessed mainly so that you could have a Nurgling riding it. Oh my god, that would be the happiest Nurgling. <laughs> you're like, yeah, lock me up. I don't care. I'm having so much fun. But I just love the fact that the Minotaurum, the Minotaurum, sorry, was just keeping them in these cages in the vaults and being like, this is fine. You know what we should do? We should gather them all together in one place. Because nothing yeah. bad ever happens in one place. <laughs> it's like, uh, do you remember? Did you watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer? I did. Yes, when I was a young man. Do you man. remember? Uh, I don't remember what they were called. I think it was like season three or four. She was in university, college, and uh, there was that organization that was apparently run by the U.S. military, and they were capturing like demons and vampires and that. And keeping oh, yeah. them in that lab facility underneath That's the college, right. yeah. And it's just yep. like, yeah, we've we are really crowded. Like we've got like six demons to a cell. This is absolutely fine. And then Adam comes in, shuts down the the systems, opens up all the locks, and they're just like, oh no, we're in danger. Yeah, yeah. Well, That's this is we horrible. Do this. Yeah, yeah. What I'm picturing these yeah. minutes, these you know priestly idiots are just like. Yeah, man, we'll keep all the evil in one place. This is a great idea. But it's, it's the idea. gangs. It's the gangs that are letting them out. So they've, they've probably got no idea. They're seeing, like, you know, these black and white guinea pigs, and they're like, we can eat that. And then, boom, that's it. Boom. Just that, thing just, that thing just bit my toe off. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really obnoxious. And then they're probably thinking, oh, we could capture this particular animal and we we'll use it for us. And they've just unleashed the menagerie upon Temenos. I love that. I love that. It's, uh, what was it, 28 Days Later, where they go to free the monkeys from the testing facility and release the range violence? Yes. They've done that, but to demon-touched beasties. Anyway, speaking of demons and the Imperium, the Imperium shudders as Ozteev, the first of Aranthus, rises from his crypt. A being of ancient and singular power, the prophet and his followers quickly bow down before the archaeogiant. In a handful of cycles, Hive Temenos is completely under the control of House Aranthus, and Ozzy turns his attention to the rest of the Palatine cluster. Yes. So obviously we've touched a lot on this already, but I guess the key thing is now that we know the army of the Prophet is in, uh, I guess, in full ball for um, Ozzy, and on top of that, He's now turning his attention to the Palatine cluster, which would be interesting, actually. Is is it would those would those uh, pilgrims still want to be fighting for Aussie? Yes, knowing that yes, they're uh, under the control of the world of the word. Sorry. Yeah. Right. 
So they, yeah, I guess they could still regard him as the saint. And if yes. the prophet is saying that, then they still believe. So even if the power wanes a little bit, they're already probably too far down the garden path to turn back anyway. Not, e- not even that. You can oh. you can spin some religious mumbo-jumbo nice and easy there. And the emperor blessed his saint with a body of holy and untouched metal, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. And then this, and and I quote, freaking archaeo giant steps <laughs> out and you have this army of true believers going, mm. the prophet was right. Of course yeah. he was right. He's the prophet. Yes, but look, how can anyone deny that our faith is correct? when we can see this yeah. holy and untouched body in front of yeah, us. Yeah, we, we, we have the tangible. We have the reality. Yeah, yeah. okay, cool. All right. That's... Well, as I said, we've already had a good chat about Old Aussie and what that means, but I just had that question regarding the, the pilgrimage. So he, Aussie's now got his own army that Credo leads. He's got Credo's army. He's yeah. got the, the redemption, effectively House Cordal. Yeah, yeah. Um, the house, you know, we had uh, most of Escher as well, uh, yeah. huge sections of house Orlock. Um, uh, Orlock would know... be interesting though. Orlock to see if they would, if they were just following along with Credo and Escher, or if they've got some sort of play in the game here. You know, but on top of that, we know Lady Credo during this time sided with a gang of renegade Van Sar to break. Oh. A prisoner out of the prison, sorry, the Zoltra penal hive, uh, who definitely isn't uh, Mad Donna Yolanti. And when it (laughs) turns out that it definitely is Mad Donna Yolanti, I am going to squeal like the tiniest girl because, (laughs) oh my God, Mad Donna, give you give that character. Like, firstly, the original model is just fantastic. It is. Yeah, the I love that character, one. The new model treatment, my friend. Oh. Yeah. Oh, between that and uh, the Lords of Arantis Ogren that Games Workshop have definitely just decided they're going to be releasing because of one ranting Australian idiot, uh, <laughs> it's, it's going to be a very, very good year for me. Yeah. Yeah. That'll get <laughs> designed and made in the next couple of months. Uh, yeah, but speaking of Lady Credo's army, strange white-cloaked armies are seen in the depths of the hives and out in the wastes. Emerging from the under-earth, these ancient soldiers carry finely crafted archaeo weapons and bear the symbol of the seven-pointed star upon burnished chest plates and helms. I... I'm now really worried because we've gone from a single force with yeah. that uh, with that one general to now multiple armies being seen in the depths of hives and out in the wastes. And they keep saying they are merging from the under-earth. So whether they are stationed under the hives permanently or they're using those tunnels that we mentioned earlier... I but, think you're being quite liberal with your your options you're giving them because something's just dawned on me. If you have a look at a Necron's chest piece, right in the centre of it. A Necron's chest piece. Yes, have a look at that. Okay. Any particular Necron? 
Uh, no, not really. Hi. Pick one. Let's bring up uh, uh, the Overlord with Tachyon Arrow. Okay. Yep. Yep. Chess piece. Now, how many points are on that symbol? No. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. Is there seven points on it? There is seven points. That is only, when you talked about emerging from the Underearth, I'm like, no, 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 no. We are drawing far too many comparisons now. We're talking about a large metal overlord and now something emerging from the Underearth that just seems to be sitting there unnoticed. That no, like, this is what I mentioned earlier in the pod as well. How are they moving these armies around? How are they getting these people around? They're not people. I think they're either a proto Necron or some, they could potentially just be Necrons. I'm calling it. We're, we're dealing with some sort of Necron based tech for everything that's going on with this, with Aussie and, and Lady Credo's army. We've made a couple of links to sort of some of the Necron tech there, definitely. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. That's, that symbol on the chest is too similar. Yeah, okay, okay. I'm, I'm definitely seeing some, uh, some lengths. Archeo weaponry. What I was going to mention, the Archeo weaponry. So these ancient soldiers carry finely crafted Archeo weapons. Now, I think these may be the armies of the continuity. I don't believe the, uh, these are modern-day men and women. I believe these are soldiers who were loyal to the Araneus continuity, who've managed to hide underground since the Imperial Fists have captured Necromunda. Boo. And also, we'll boo. Oh. boo for your idea. Okay. And when they were hiding underground for, what, 10,000 years? I think they might have been in stasis. We know stasis is a thing. They... So, you, so you think, and I, I'm just, I'm getting a bit rolled up because you're going against my theory. Um, I Actually, I think your theory is fantastic. I have now some questions in regarding to the connections between the Aranas continuity and the Necrons. Well, I, I, okay, we'll explore the, your idea that they've gone into stasis underground. Are they still air-breathing, food-eating water drinking people or yes. sort of creatures they are yes right. but but i believe the xenos that showed up and burned araneus prime mm. and i've only come up with this since your idea i've always thought there might have been necrons but i'm now convinced that they are necrons and so there were those warp gates right and they yeah. had this whole system right what if at some point the group that would become the Iron Lords have somehow discovered Necro, like Necrons somewhere on Necromunda or within their system and have stolen Necrodermis and have used Necron technology to make themselves a supreme power within their system. But they've used it in a way that the local tomb world or the local sect of Necrons has been unable to awaken themselves adequately to either defend their technology being stolen or maybe just these they've just taken scarabs maybe they've taken some you know dead necron warriors and have reversed engineered that technology dead necron warriors by the way 
Yeah, they vanish. They vanish. Yeah, maybe you found the maybe you found the tomb complex underground, and okay. they're taking yep. they're taking them from there. So their weaponry has been different enough that they've been able to t- control their system. But when the Imperial Fists have come in, though, and oh. destroyed, you know, the Araneus continuity, the local Necron tomb world has said, okay, we've only got one ship or we've got a bunch of ships, but we, are, we now at least outnumber the forces there. So they've gone there and it's this last-ditch effort of hiding their stolen technology. That's when they've burned Necromunda. That's when they've gone to town. So they may not necessarily be Necrons, but it may be Necron technology. I am 110% with you. That is awesome. Because when we talked about the, the forces that attacked Araneus Prime or the Araneus Continuity, they had lightning weapons. So this yeah. all works out. So these are like a pseudo Necron that has been somehow manipulated, used on Necromunda at the time of it being the Araneus continuity. And then when the Necrons have had an opportunity to come and stomp the mountain and eliminate their technology so the Imperium can't get its dirty grubbies on it, they've taken that opportunity. They've scorched the whole freaking planet. I love it. Yep, 100%. That's exactly what happened. You've heard it here, folks. We know for fact that uh, Necrodermis can be affected and changed into you know, different forms. Uh, for hmm. example, the um, the arm of Honsu of the Iron Warriors. Uh, I believe the Primarch of the Iron Hands, old Headless Timmy himself. <laughs> no, I, I, I shouldn't be uh, putting... Ferris Manners. I put, shouldn't be putting shame on him there. Uh, uh, Steve loves the Iron yeah, Hands. I know. And is one of the reasons I don't like them, because he likes them. <laughs> But and that's just one of the reasons. There's many yeah, reasons. It's widely believed that uh, Ferris Manus's arms were from Necron technology. Yeah, yeah, righto. Yep. And so we know it can be manipulated. And the way it's described, like when you talk about uh, Honsu, for example, his yep. arm is a living metal. It, yep. it can be damaged and then it heals itself, you know? And righto, yeah. So that's how I'm viewing old Aussie there because right. these bolt round, round after round oh, after they round. they didn't do anything. Exactly. And it, it was slightly scuffed and it's just almost as if it was healing itself. Yes. Like, this is this is just too similar, if you know what too I mean. Many winkitings. I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. I, no, I, I, I'm I believe yeah. I believe this is a mixture of dark age of technology Yep. shenanigans and stolen Necron technology. I, I totally agree with that theory as well. It's it's because it, I it, it's it's not good enough to be the Necron tech. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's exactly. not good enough to be there, but it's good enough that they were able to tap into it. They were able to exploit it. They were able to do yep. something and enough to create their own armies that they went, we're going to bury these armies, or these are our these are our clay warriors. You know. And so we're oh, going to bring them yes. back. We're going to bring them back when we need to waken up our lords, which is the brothers and sisters. But that's that's great there because you're looking at it and going, "Hey, we the these these Imperials are coming at us. This is our last planet. They've forced us back from a system to a cluster to just one planet. So what we're yep. going to do? We're going to bide our time, and the high-ranking members of the continuity will 
go under because it was already a hive. There were already hives here. And worst case scenario, dig yourself a deep enough hole and then dig left, right, north, south, whatever you want. You can get to wherever you need. And you keep these troops in stasis, like they're, they're ready to go whenever you want. But also, complete side note, the troops... Uh, remember how they're described? Yeah, white yeah. cloak, white, white yeah. armor, tall helmets. Uh-huh. Have you ever looked at the Lumineth Realm Lords from Age of Sigma? Because I want you to have a look at the Alarith Stone Guard. They've got those badass hammers and the like the the bull like totems coming off their back. Yep. You rip off the totems. No, those totems are coming off their helmets. But you get rid of the totems. You get rid of the hammers. In fact, you don't even need to get rid of the hammers on some of them. Get rid um, of the helmets, I think, completely. Get rid of the helmets in, oh. and just change them so they're something more modern-ish looking. And you give them some archaeo weaponry. That's how I'm picturing these, these Credo troops. Like the white armor, the, the yeah, coming I off them. It. Like it's somewhat, it. it's somewhat baroque. Mm. You, know, you can you really polish up the armor and make it real nice and burnished. Man, I am all about it. I see it. I I think that would look very cool if you played around with your colors a bit, your cloaks, like in a darker shade, to create a bit of contrast. Oh, yeah, um, probably. But you'd need to get a, that six point seven pointed star somewhere oh, on the chest. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, if you get in that neck guard sort of thing, it would look really cool there. Yeah, it would. Have it sitting there. But in the grooves in the armor, you you have like this faint green glow, just a, a little oh, nod to the, yeah. to the Law Keeper's genuine cannon. I'm, I'm down. I'm down. <laughs> um, you, someone needs to buy this kit and turn them into, I'm just going to call them Credo Guard. Turn them into Credo Guard. You yeah. have our full mission. Yes, we full backing, full permission, and a desire for us to see it. And if you do it, we will pay you in very enthusiastic thumbs up. Yes, I. I you know what? I'm going to go as far as to give a double thumbs up. I've, I've gone crazy. I've broken the bank. Scummers, you'll be crazy not to make these for us right now. <laughs> but... <laughs> now that we've unraveled the truth. Let's move on to the second last point. Across Necromunda, more of Credo's agents reveal themselves. Centuries of planning has placed them in almost every clan, house and hive on the world. And with the voice of their master now speaking to them, they set about tearing down the web of alliances holding House Helmore in power. So what we talked about, the army being revealed at Cinderac City, that was obviously jumping the gun. This is when it was supposed to be revealed. Yep. When Ozzy came out of his yep. um his box, that's when they went, okay, all systems go, flick it into gear, let's go find the brothers and sisters, and let's uh, wreck the place completely. Yep. You called that last episode. You were saying it just seems too early, and you're right. I think this is when she expected the the Credo Guard to actually be released. Yeah, God. Uh, yeah, you say I it do. with such confidence that I'm like, Credo yeah. Guard, what are the Credo? Oh, wait, yes, no, I know what yeah. they are. No, yeah. It's just because I'm sick of saying the army of Lady Credo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the Credo That's, Guard. Yep. This is when the Credo Guard should have been yeah. sort of unleashed on the world. 
oh. uh, because they are the armored fist that can allow all these other agents to break these alliances. Because and it's it's crazy because they're setting about tearing down the web of alliances, holding House Helmore in power. Because as we've said a couple of times now, just because your daddy was a Helmore doesn't mean you're in charge. The houses have to back you. You must have the funds and ability to back yourself. With no yes. alliances, you ain't the governor. Yep. Yep. 100%. So. Now, the last point here is <laughs> something just a little bit silly. Because Lady Hera fortifies the Spire against an unexpected attack from Hive City, now firmly in the grip of the Prophet, Puppet of Azostium. Unknown to the matriarch of House Helmore, her defences have already been breached by the carelessness of her half-brother, Cal Jericho, and his unwashed companion, Scabs. Now, I love Cal Jericho. I think he's fantastic, but he really stuffed up here. So we know that for some reason, Lady Credo has hired Cal Jericho to break into Hive Primus and then to, I guess, steal or kidnap the casket containing his father, yeah. our mate, Ronty Helmore. So... Obviously, while doing this, Cal runs into his half-sister, and as you can imagine, the two of them have a calm, rational, and very mature conversation. But unfortunately, the two of them ended up trying to kill each other, and the fight was only ended when Scabs pulls out his plasma gun and fires at Lady Hera basically saying he doesn't vote for her, overloading <laughs> her personal shield, and the two of them flee with the stasis casket in tow. So that is the world's most awkward carry-on luggage for when you get back down <laughs> high and you need to get onto, you know, the, the, the subway or stratoplane or maybe you can get the air guild to loan you one of their zeppelins. It's going to be weird trying to explain that to immigration, you know? Yeah, but we know that um, Carl actually uses his his geno mapping or his geno code to get all the way up to the spire so that they recognise him as a Helmore. So he'll be doing that on the way down too. He's well, like, yep, I'm a Helmore, he's a Helmore, we're Helmores. Yeah. I'm a Helmore, and he has one taken from a Palatine Enforcer Captain. Yes, yeah. he is a Palatine Enforcer Captain. Palatine yeah. Enforcer Captain. Uh, yeah. did, I, did I say Palatine? Um, cool. Yes, he's he's a captain. All right, cheese it. And they just start shooting everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I love at the, the end of that little section between Hera and Jer Jericho, Carl Jericho and Scabs, well, I guess Scabs is important because he's the one that shoots her in the back. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> While cowering away, he's just like, nah, this is going to end badly if Carl goes. I'll shoot her once in the back. Um, yeah, the very last paragraph of that, it says, later, with Lord Helmore safely hidden in a transport case, the pair used Carl's gene code to slip out of the spire 
and into the throngs of angry pilgrims. Scabs, however, in his haste, left the gateway carelessly open. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, Shaggy. Our throngs little Nikon of... friends would love that. Yeah, well, throngs of angry pilgrims now have immediate access into the spire. Yeah, exactly. So this is not a place that people of their kind should be allowed. You know, people yeah. who... People who don't eat imported food and drink imported water and, you know, aren't horrible, murderous, noble types. Uh, <laughs> they, they're just the lifeblood of our planet. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's not going to end up being a good day for Lady Hera. But No, but we'll find that out in uh, the, next, the book. next book. Yeah, the next episode, because that is the, the last section of the timeline, I guess. Yeah. So that's been a lot. It has been a lot, and but I I firmly believe we have cracked the code in this. Yes. Oh man, hundred percent, hundred percent. I don't care what James Workshop himself writes. <laughs> it is, they are bastardized, Necron, Dark Age of Technology, like cyborg amalgamations. Yep, hundred percent. I will accept nothing less. <laughs> now that in miniature form. Yes. Oh. Imagine that pseudo necrons in miniature form. Oh god, that would I, be cool. I, I'm just picturing modern sculpts of those old school necron pariahs because yeah, that's, that's just what I have in my mind now. Where mm. they are, they it's almost the the muscular system, but in armor plate. Oh man, it'd be so good. Yeah, because they don't they don't talk oh. about what they look like. Their faces look like. No. This is the important bit. We we haven't heard that one single description about what they look like upon their faces. We've heard about their body armor and their cloaks and their weapons, but just that little tiny nugget of detail has been left away from us. Mm. Mm. Mm, anyway, we, we could continue going on, but we won't. Um, I guess we can cover off the the characters that we see spawning from this this book. Yeah, so... From this, once again, we have four characters to speak of here. Uh, the Prophet of the Redemption, Axe and Hammer, Scourge of the Spider Points, Durgan Killfist, Champion of the Brokebone, and Scrutinator Primus Cervellan. Now, Cervellan has appeared previously in a book, but given that she is, let's be honest, one of the central characters of this book here, we definitely want to talk about her. Uh, maybe not as at length as we'd like to. Uh, I'd lo- I would love to do an episode on uh, the the enforcers themselves eventually, and we can hopefully talk about her then. But yeah, yeah we can't talk. We can't finish this book and not talk about her at length. So Nathan, thankfully, there's no orlocks or squats in this one for you to. You know, let's be honest, throw a tanty about picking. So where do you want to start, bud? Oh, mate, start with the big man himself, the beast, the legend, the myth, old Axie Hammer. So good, he's got an axe and a hammer. <laughs> it's actually an axe on a hammer. Yeah, and... He actually doesn't have either. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why he got named like that. He's that deadly, he feels like he's an axe on a hammer. He is the axe and the hammer. Yeah, exactly. So, a hero among the Goliath of the Ash Waste, 
Axon Hammer is a brutal leader of the Iron Tree Reavers, a gnat born from Cinderac City. Axon was brought up among ash waste nomad raids and toxic dust storms. Even from his early days as a prospect, Axion's talents leaned not just into killing outlanders and winning fistfights, but also working on the maulers, rigs and runners of his clan. While still a member of the Red Red Road Brotherhood gang, he built his custom Cargo 8 from the wreckage of a Makata Gelt Ridge Runner, covered in armoured plates, spikes and rivet cannons. He dobbed it, daubed it the behemoth and set about carving out a bloody name for himself and his gang in the Great Crater and beyond. Today, Axon is an adventurer and road warrior who stalks the spider points in the shadow of the Palatine Cluster. He plagues the Orlock trade routes, so much so that the clan has placed a massive bounty on his head and operates out of both Primus and Trazior for his Goliath masters. He also ranges far and wide across the great equatorial wastes. He's reputed to have explored the warrens beneath the cinder deeps and even as far as the tunnels that connect the dust wall to the ruins of Hive Secundus. Good old Hive Secundus. Always there. Yep, always gets a mention. During the Great Darkness, Axon joined with Gorshiv in the attack on Cinderac City and the Ash Gates, personally scouring the spider points of Escher Outriders. With the war between the clans just getting started, Axon is now turning his attention to the growing battle for Hive Temenos and the Saints' Wastes, the loyal brothers of the Iron Tree Reavers, at his back. I love Goliath characters so oh, much. Cool. Yeah. Oh, but this is also one of the first times I think we've ever seen Someone starting in one gang and winding up in another. Oh, it's, yeah. Sure. It specifically mentions he was a member of the Red Road Brotherhood gang. Mm. And then he builds his custom cargo eight, you know, yada, yada, yada's along a bit. And now he is the brutal leader of the Iron Tree Reavers. Like. Hey, he's a, he's a machine. And we talked about him a lot earlier in the episode as well, yeah. his ability to just wreck stuff with that massive cargo weight, the behemoth. And what I do love, though, is that he's got a massive bounty on him and they reflect that in the game terms as well. So if you take him out of action or you capture him and sell him on, they, you get 200 credits straight away. Yeah. So he yeah. needs to be a 66 um, on the last injury table. He needs to be proper dead dead. Or you capture them. Yeah, you, you load up your uh, needle rifle and you hit him with a bit of uh, karma and you've got him. You hit him with a lot of karma <laughs> weapons and you need magnicals and <laughs> basically like... And a baseball bat, just in case. Just in case. But, but yeah, I love it. Yeah, he's a, he's a very brutal character. It's interesting that... And I correct me if I'm wrong here, that it doesn't look like he's part of a vehicle. But like he, he sort of feels like he should be part of a vehicle crew with the the ridge runner, or at least have some special rules for the behemoth. You know, something along those lines. That's where I feel like oh, it'd be cool if they could, you know, I don't know, give you some other additional option, or that you get to pick 
X, Y, and Z weapons when you're constructing a a ridge hauler for him. Yeah, I think that'd be a hell of a lot of fun if he came along with some custom vehicle rules, especially yeah. because the his his custom vehicle also says that it has rivet cannons across it, a rule yeah. we didn't get until just this new book release. Yeah, um, right. For next yeah. Matter. Yeah. Um, but it's also great that we laugh because, you know, he's hammer, axon hammer, but he has no close combat weapon. <laughs> but he also then has the special rule of fists of steel, where yeah. unarmed attacks made by axon count as having plus two strength, have no AP, and have a damage of two. Like, the, and his base strength four as well, so he goes yeah. up to strength six. His, the, his hammers are literally his fists. Yeah. I, just, just ridiculous. And tiny little on, Ferris Manus. He's a tiny Ferris Manus, <laughs> but he still has a head. Yeah. Um, but he's also an outlaw. So if you're law abiding, you just can't get him. Sorry, bud. Yeah, because he's a raider and yeah, yeah a naughty no good. I mm. love that. And you obviously you only like him because uh, yeah, you don't seem to like the Orlocks for some ridiculous reason. And the Orlocks hate this guy. Oh, well, shock horror. What a, what a coinkidink there. I didn't mean for that to happen at all. I do. I know I've got some people commenting about my comments on Orlocks out there, and um, I just like to be noticed, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking well, of people who like to be noticed. I'm going to jump in and take someone someone who I really didn't like at first and then as we started like actually deep diving in to the books here I've really come to love him and that is Durgan Kilfist champion of the broke bone before the great darkness little was known about Durgan Kilfist a rabble rouser an outlaw pit fighter his reputation was built upon what little information leaked out of the underhives of hive trazior stories had him as a rebel leader of an outlaw goliath gang more interested in turning the hive into their own personal fighting arena than doing anything for house goliath or its allies in the mayhem that followed the death of lord helmore Durgan emerged from the shadows to tame the cultist uprisings in the bowels of Hive Trazior. With an army of knuckle boys, he turned the tide in confrontations such as the battle for the blistering ways and the defence of Boneyard Nine. Outcasts flocked to Durgan's banner. Many disenfranchised nobles, guilders, and even other clanners were drawn to the big man's powerful charisma and animal violence. After Trazior... Durgan and his boys headed out into the wastes and came to the aid of Cinderac City during the first Great Ash Waste Nomad Raids. Here, Durgan made a stand in the Brokebone Fighting Pits, opening its doors to the wastes and welcoming any challenges to join him on the killing floor. It was during this period of extreme close quarters violence that Durgan earned the title Champion of the Brokebone. Goliath gangers from all across the waste praising his strength and fury. However, when the override, however, when the overtyrant called on Durgan to attack Cinderac City and drive out the Escher, he once again turned his back on his clan, taking his outcasts and heading out into the wilderness. Hell to the yes. 
everything about him just says ash wastes badass like i want to know who these knuckle boys are i'm picturing <laughs> like just pit fighters and yeah they would just be. like rogues and vagabonds and like for lack of a better term just down hive shit kickers who <laughs> who were all collected around like it says here like around his charisma and his power and they're all mm. just following Durgan and just being like, well, you know what? This guy, this guy believes in me. No one else has ever believed in me before. This guy says I can fight and be part of something. I'm going to join him. And, and funeral next week. Yeah. And funeral next week, yes. <laughs> but also, I love the way where it's just like, old Gunfist is like, oi, you're a Goliath. I'm the king of Goliath. Get rid of the Esher. He's just like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to pop down to the See ya. Yeah. Catch you later, boss. Everyone, get in the trucks. We're out of here. Why? Yeah. Guy's trying to make us do stuff. Yeah, he's making us do Goliath stuff. And we don't (laughs) want to do Goliath stuff. We do Durgan stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But he's a really cool character in the game, mainly because he doesn't come with very many special rules at all. He's just got our cast leaders. Um, and he's also toughness five, so yeah. he's a very straightforward. He is purely a battering ram. You can set and forget him, sort of thing. Set him up, send him in three attacks at strength four with the kill fist, which is just ridiculous. Just plus one. Yeah, well, it's plus one damage two and pulverize. So absolutely wrecks face. Got the cruncher and. I in, believe it was called a Durgan stick. Oh, uh, sorry, a Durgan stick. And in opposition to Axion, doesn't really have a shooting weapon. He has frag grenades, but like not actually a shooting weapon. You don't. Uh, you don't need. You don't need shooting weapons when you have a freaking meat tenderizer connected to a power <laughs> fist. Oh my god. Yeah. No, I, no it's. I love it. Like. I, I just want to start a gang of knuckle boys. I want I want a Durgan kill fist model. I want mm. just a bunch of like just muscle bound morons that aren't necessarily Goliaths, and just yeah. be like, I don't have guns in this gang. I'm I'm going to drown you in fists and bites and chainsaw <laughs> foreheads. I just when you say they don't have to be Goliaths, I just imagine it's like the local gym crew. Just all like, <laughs> roided out to the nines. It's like, yeah, look at this. It's like fully buffed up. Even like, you know, one of your muscle ladies from Esher just fully buffed out as well. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We just follow Durgan because he's like the gym leader. All right, guys, this is what we're going to do. We're going to fight these nomads. We're going to push them back. Yeah. And after that, guys, we're hitting those traps. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that gets the bigger cheer. Like, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. What's that? Yeah. What's Double leg day? Oh yeah! <laughs> you can just imagine they're all, they're all just they're doing squats, like they're just they're picking up nomads, yeah. breaking their backs on, over their shoulders, and then squatting with them. Yeah, absolutely. And just like consistent amounts of um, pre-workout, just being snorted yeah. and gulped yeah. down every section. So you just like it's, it's, their, the, it's that's their friends on. There's four of the Timmytown locos who have been hired to just stand 20 feet behind them and shoot them with needle rifles full, like with needles from their needle rifles full of pre-workout yeah. and monster energy drink. 
<laughs> Anytime I'm at the gym, there's just a bunch of dudes drinking Monster Energy drink. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's me. I'm that dude. Just drinking oh, right. Monster Energy drink. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> Knuckle Boys are a gym crew. Done. Gym crew Done. led by the I old um, meat tenderizer power fist. Yep. I love it. I love it. Uh, uh, I guess we'll go on to the big cheese out of the, the special characters here. Ooh. The man, I guess, a bit of a myth as well. The prophet of the redemption. The prophet. And oh, man. I'm not too sure, Sam. I think we might have spoken a little bit about the prophet during the, uh, the episode. Um, I'm not 100%. No. Sure. We mentioned him a cuff. Oh, <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Yeah, oh, look, I'll do, I'll do the read on him anyway. Yeah, just so, talk about just him so anyway, just, just in case. Just, yeah, we just sort of tick a box. The prophet as he became widely known to his followers and foes alike, emerged from the ruins of Cinderac City in the wake of the battle between the Goliaths and the Asher. On a planet overrun with madmen and high preachers, he might well have just become one more crazed voice in the crowd, had it not been for the strange relic he carried. The ancient remains of a redemptor priest held aloft on a pole. The relic was surrounded by a palpable aura of devotion, and those who looked upon it felt as if the God Emperor himself stood before them. Such was the faith it inspired. Among his, his, sorry, among his followers, the prophet is variously believed to be a reincarnation of Echodarius Brain, the first leader of the redemption, or perhaps a manifestation of the lost saint to whom many redemptionists offer up their prayers sent to carry the relic and the word to the people. To his enemies, he is denounced as a demon masquerading as a leader of the faith or a Xenos infiltrator working psychic magic upon his flock. The truth, as it is often the case, might lie somewhere between the two. It is said that the prophet speaks to the relic. Pilgrims often observe the two conversing, albeit with the prophet doing most of the talking. The word of the prophet the blessed voice that can sway crowds and turn the faithless into the faithful is to believe is believed to have come from this relic. Though he carries only the skeletal remains of the saint and the banner they rest atop, Prophet can walk into any battle with little fear for his life. Enemies that try to bring him harm find themselves overcome by his divine presence and either lower their weapons or shoot wide at the last moment. Such is his power that he can direct an enemy with a word and only the most strong-willed can resist. In this way, his followers have observed him turn grizzled gang leaders against their own or even stay rabid anim animals intent on, on only on slaughter. The greatest strength the prophet possesses, however, is doubtless the zealousness he inspires in those around him. To simply stand in the presence of the prophet and his relic is to know the utter conviction and devotion of the redemption, such that choosing to give up one's life to save that of their holy leader is a, is a decision made with no thought or no reservation at all. So, in opposition to our mate Durgan, our prophet comes with a full page of special rules. Which is sort of befitting of what I just read. Then he is protected on high. He's loved. He is worshipped. He's manipulates and everything else that we've mentioned about him earlier in the episode as well. 
I'm genuinely in awe of the fact that he has a three plus save that cannot be modified or ignored by any rule. Yeah. That is that is redonkulous. Yep. Just redonkulous. And yeah, weapon skill fire four plus, sorry, ballistic skill four plus. Doesn't matter. Doesn't have any weapons. Just faith. Yeah. And speaking of faith, if he's hired by a Cordal gang, uh he follows he generates a forty six for him rather than just one. Oh like, really? Wow. He it, and it makes so much sense, especially given his law. Like he's why else would you not produce excess faith dice? He's faith incarnate. Yeah, and true. Yep. I've realized well, that sorry go. No, well he's really just the leader of the the of House Cordal. In my well, opinion. I I would say he is now. Hmm. Yeah. Um Maya, you know, when they when they hug, I can only imagine Mormaya would bow down to this yeah. prophet of you know, of the lost saint and say, You're now the Thane of Cordor. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh it's interesting and looking at the picture of him here, and obviously pictures can be very um localized in regards to where in the time frame they sit but yet on the top of his hat there he has the symbol of the inquisition he does too we didn't mention that last time we looked at his artwork like he actually does there's a lot going on with his character and i think the next book is just really gonna open our eyes as to exactly what he is and who he is because i feel like this character is still working for the good of the imperium like, it's been blindsided. Well, the, to his enemies, he is denounced as a demon masquerading as a leader of the faith or a Xenos infiltrator working psychic magic upon his flock. The truth, as is often the case, might lie somewhere between the two. We know he's using some warp magic or... Something to do with the word. We know that's not natural. Do I think he's a demon? No, because Surveillan never felt that way about him. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. Do I think he's a Xenos? Unlikely. Um, do I think that mayhaps he is interacting with humanity through both the Empyrean and... Xenos, aka Necron interference, abso-freaking-lutely. Yeah, right. So I think it's right. It is somewhere between the two of them. I don't but... know. I just get good vibes off him. No. I, th- I, I think he's not a naughty no good. I think he's a misguided naughty no good. I can't see it, man. I can't see it. Oh. <sighs> But he's also an outlaw. I don't want to go too deep into him because I genuinely have a feeling we're going to see a lot more about him next episode. And that's not even me saying that because between me and Nathan, this may shock you, we write the episodes. We haven't gotten (laughs) to that part yet. I just have a feeling we're going to see some more of his story come out. But I like him. I like him, but I don't trust him. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Maybe he's working on me, but I like his word is working on me, but I trust him. We'll see how we go with him. 
I guess that moves on to Scrutinator Primus Surveillance. Oh, man. If there is one individual within the Palanite Enforcers who embodies terror more than any other, it would be Scrutinator Primus Surveillan. A high-ranking member of the Palanite Scrutinators, the specialist investigation and interrogation form of the Enforcers. She has personally uprooted more criminal organisations and deviant cults than any other in her trade in living memory. Such is her success rate, the Provost Marshal himself has awarded her the right to carry his personal seal, a warrant against which no door on Necromunda is barred. The secret of surveillance power is, however, known only to a few. Though tall and bearing a severe countenance, the Scrutinator Primus is neither physically imposing nor especially dangerous in combat, and yet those in her presence squirm to be under her gaze. Prolonged contact driving them into fits of anxiety as they try to get away from something they find utterly disturbing, but cannot name. This is because Surveillan is a psychic null, also known as an untouchable, pariah, or a blank, and all living things instinctively recoil from her presence. These gifts combined with the Scrutinator Primus's keen investigative mind and ruthlessness, have proven the end of many a cult. Surveillan does not routinely wade into the midst of battle alone. For her protection, the Provost Marshal has assigned Surveillan a Palanite Pattern Cyber Mastiff, designated KB-88. The robotic dog is never far from Surveillan, shadowing her every step and watching her back ready to tear apart anyone who would threaten its master. And also her model is freaking sick. Yeah, it's a very nice miniature, isn't it? It's, um, it, I don't know, it just really exemplifies what you'd imagine from that character. But I love, I love the special rules that she has. They really exemplify what she is as, as a pariah. So Ooh, yeah. mainly, well, her rule pariah, which... Friend or foe, all fighters within six inches suffer a minus two to the dice roll when making cool checks. Yeah, it's sick. Like mm. it's so thematic. It's yeah, she's on our on our team, but I still feel really uncomfortable around this chick. Uh, there's something about her I just don't like, and it's not the fact that I accidentally walked past her earlier and her robot dog bit off my shin. <laughs> no. yeah, true. No, the yeah. Cyber Mastiff does look very cool. Actually, I really like that one because it's it looks like a combat dog. It just doesn't look like a pet. You know, yeah. it, it looks like it's designed to tread whatever it goes after. Really punish. Um, yeah, the hard case Cyber Mastiffs in general, um, which is basically what they are. I. Love them. Like, and the fact this, this book here actually gave Enforcer Gangs the ability to give them to effectively everyone. Your entire yeah. gang can have Cybermasters now. It used to just be uh, Surveillance from what I remember. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because it, it's a great look miniature. Um, and it just it adds that extra level of flair to to the miniature because it's, it's come from the Palatine cluster. It's yeah. not just a, a bolted-together dog 
that they picked up from some dodgy, dodgy van sale. <laughs> <laughs> All of that aside, Surveillan is the one we want to be talking about here. And she is huge throughout the entirety of this book. And like we've said, we can't go into everything she does without reading basically the entire book to you word for word. And I'm pretty sure that'll get us thrown in prison. Or at least me. <laughs> and scummers, I am far too pretty for prison. And also, uh-huh. I, I, I'm not very good at fighting. Like, <laughs> I'm tall. I'm big. I'm a lover, not a fighter. And unfortunately, I'd be a lover. So... <laughs> Scrutinator Primus Surveillan. Just win the uh, best sports award, mate. <laughs> win the best sports award in prison. Yeah. Um, so she is the one who, bit by bit, finds out what's going on in, in this whole book. She's the one investigating everyone, everything. She's the one actually going through and finding out the, the levels behind this infiltration by the Prophet and his forces and Lady Credo and her forces. Remember, it was Savellan who witnessed those tainted enforcers. Yeah, to the ones who, points. who were bearing the, the six symbol, uh, sorry, the seven pointed star upon their chest as well. So they are not upon their chest. They were they had it marked on their armor and so forth. Yeah. She is she is the one that Hera needs to speak to more than anybody else. So as much as Hera knows what's going on that her planet's in upheaval, it's all the little nitty gritty details. It's the it's the key names, faces and particular events that are happening that only Severin has uh, knowledge of and she is the one that Hera is gonna probably have to lean on the most in the next book. Well, not even that. She's also smart enough and she's also, I don't know, effective enough that Goliath, in the middle of, sorry, that a Goliath, you know, our mate Killfist, in the middle of a fury where he's just been put down by an enemy, he's getting back up and going to fight and Surveillance able to say, stop, no, we can't beat it here. And Durgan resists, possibly because of the fact that, you know, she, she's a pariah. No one feels comfortable around them. But he sees the wisdom in what she's saying, and they skedaddle on the ASAP. Yeah, but- she, she's able to influence him, and I, I don't think it's just because of the fact that she's a blank. It's because... She probably exerts that that aura of control and success, yeah, and is and able confidence. to say and confidence, yeah, and saying I know how to survive here. I where the rest of the enforcers got absolutely hammered by the pilgrimage, I was the one to get into the vaults. Where everybody else was getting absolutely rained on, I was able to ally with the Delacroix and make myself my situation more tenable. Yeah. And also, <clears throat> where are my where are my Delac allies? They were here. And then they, they started, old, uh, they started fighting. Yeah, they started fighting those uh, Escher, and now, oh, yep, they ran away. They, they ran literally away. ran away, which yes, is also do. great because the Delark aren't completely freaked out by her. 
Yeah, 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 exactly. The, the, I think she is – it's interesting though, that Delarco completely freaked out about her being a blank, but that's – I guess we're starting to drill down a little bit too far into yeah. the semantics of it. But um, it is – it's interesting that she is able to create these connections. And they're, they're minor things that we draw from, but that's what us uh, law keepers do. They're minor things that we're drawing on to say that she's able to maintain these connections and and these interactions. But I guess the main thing is as long as she can get back to Primus and regurgitate absolutely everything to Hera, then she is going to prove like be worth her weight in gold for Lady oh, Hera. Yeah. But if she doesn't, <clears throat> mate, Credo's gonna Credo and uh, Aussie are gonna be in the in the winning ticket. Oh, sorry, in the winning seat. Yeah, she's she's definitely going to be the the linchpin for a lot of what's going to happen in that third book. I'm reckoning. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. And that is the last of those four characters coming from this book. But Nath, I know you are not going to let me close off this episode without us first talking about the Crusading Gangs. Yeah, Crusading Gangs are probably the cool, for me, the coolest law, not law, but coolest rules part that comes out of this book. Uh, you begin to take away the the man, mantling. You take away the mantle from House Cordor. They're not only the ones who can be the religious nutters now. You are able to pretty much turn, effectively turn any gang into a crusading gang so some of the examples they give techno pilgrim vansar gangs who have pledged themselves to caliber the lord of bullets so things like that it's not just about uh aligning yourself with the prophet or a religious faith or something but also talking about those minor saints or the gang saints so mm. you can find a gang saint you can come up with your own so here we have Asher Wildgang pledge the, to Vermin, the Saint of Rats, or Cognus, the Saint of Quotas. So there's, there's a different way to create a saint for yourself. So you come up with something a little bit silly and, and go down that pathway, or you could probably go, I don't know, something a little bit more serious if you're, if you're going for more of a brutal aspect. So, you know, it could be China, the, 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 uh, the saint. slavery. <laughs> Sorry, the god of prisoners with jobs. Prisoners with jobs, yeah. Mm, G+. Plus, G+. Plus. G, G, G+, plus, yes. Uh, so, you know, something along those lines. But it must be said that there's certain gangs that aren't allowed to go down this pathway, and that's the corpse grinders, the gene stealers, Hallett Chaos Cults, Chaos Corrupted Gangs, and gene stealer infected gangs, which sort of makes I'm gonna, sense. Nah, man, do it anyway. Do it anyway. Just change the saints. Like, be a uh, be a Zinchian tainted Vansar gang, and pledge yourself. Hell, still pledge yourself to Caliber, the Lord of Bullets, who just happens to be represented by um, this one, you know, tainted preacher. Like, you can still do that. As an arbitrator, oh, I, I, I'd be like, hell yeah, do it anyway. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to go into. So it's, rules is written, you can't do it. But as an arbitrator, I would say allow the, the, the 
the players to come up with a good reason as to why their gang would be worshipping. Yeah. Now, it, it, it can't be just because I want to have a conduit in my gang, and the conduit is what what basically summons the power of the con. Well, I'll read it here. The, the, the conduit can channel the power of the saint during the battle. So that is a particular model that becomes yeah. the, 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 the conduit. And there's six different um, powers that you can basically draw on. Um, I, I believe without having read them previously, there's not really a great, like they're not overly powerful. They're there more just to influence how your gang works on the tabletop. They're not, yeah. I don't think they're going to be too destructive, but in conjunction with other weird space magic that you're going to have from the other gangs that we mentioned, it might work a little bit dodgy. And that's when I think you need to have a ruling put on that. But if you can come up with, say, you know, Odlius, the 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 god of many arms or something, or that okay, would be... I'm listening. That would be a great. Um, <laughs> that would be a great patron saint for that uh, Zinchi and Vansar gang. I said before. Yeah. Um, well, I was thinking for a gene sir because his name's Quadlius, so he's got four arms. Oh, Bermus sorts both of them. Yeah, exactly. Well, they, they pray to the same god, and the god just hasn't quite made made up their mind. Am I part of the high fleet, or am I with the big chicken? I don't know. I've yet to make uh, my decision on that. Weirdly enough, though, um, it would be impossible for any of those saints to be connected to Malal at all, because no one's praying there. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Punk Taku for... Uh, just being the one person to basically call me on all of our Malal insults. Sorry, bud, but it's well, too Malal fun. only has one supporter out there in the whole world. Shock horror. Oh, no. Did not see that coming. Numbers have gone up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the gang itself, I think, is, it's, it's, it's just a freaking cool prospect. And what we mentioned earlier about the Enforcer Crusader gang, I had a little bit more of a think about that. Yeah, but you would still make them look really grimy and dirty and so forth, but then where their Imperial Eagle is, where their Aquila sits on their chest armour with the red bar going through it and the yeah. white chest piece to would sit on, it would have this super golden, highly polished, burnished Imperial Aquila and a pristine white chest piece and this beautifully maintained and kept red bar through it so that it doesn't matter where you're looking at them, from the front, you would understand that these are the Crusaders coming for you. And that, like, the rest of their armor can be dirty, their weapons can be grubby, and it would make sense to be hunting down, you know, rogue redemptionists and so forth. Yeah. Um, so this would be a gang on the move. This would be a gang constantly fighting, constantly getting its gear battered, but they take the time to, to, to maintain their Aquila and the, the, the field around the Aquila to show their devotion. And I think that's what needs to happen with a lot of these gangs. Whatever, whichever way you're wanting to display your devotion, it needs to be exemplified more th more than anything else on the gang, more than your, you know, OSL lighting or, you know, your non-metallic metal highlights or anything. Where the devotion and the faith is shown, that needs to be just overtly accentuated on the miniature because that is what represents a cult gang or a crusading gang. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, I don't want to do it, but gang idea. So many gang ideas. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's almost like shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. Oh. Well, the, the original six saints that you have to 
select from in this regard. And Nathan's mentioned a couple of them here. I'm just going to give a very, very brief outline on them there. So first you have Cognus, the saint of quotas. And quotas are everything on Necromunda. Meeting them often means the difference between life and death. As such, shrines to Cognus are displayed throughout the Underhive and offerings left by those wishing to be spared the Overseer's wrath. So next is Calibre, the Lord of Bullets. St. Calibre, the Lord of Bullets, is prayed to throughout the Underhive. Each time a ganger hopes they can get one more shot out, tries to use a makeshift ammo, turns a plasma pistol up to full power, or desperately searches for a reload. Their name is invoked. Then we have Gelt, the Saint of Coin. Credits are a universal language on Necromunda. Many a gang of praise for more credits to head their way. Shrines devoted to Gelt spring up everywhere where coins change hands, in the hopes that this blessing will be passed on. After that, we have good old Glurg. Sounds exactly like what he is god of, gunk. So when you tip <laughs> out some gunk, you get the Glurg sound. Gunk is in many ways the lifeblood of Necromunda. It lubricates machinery, it can be burned as fuel, it even sustains you in dire straits. So I guess, you know, a lot of your ash wasters would be praying to, to Glurg. Right, and, good old Glurg. Good old Glurg, mate. And anybody who's just a bit short on the old uh, wild snake and having a little sip of Glurg as well. <laughs> you would have to be hard up. Hard up, yes, absolutely. Second last, we have Vermin, the Saint of Rats. Rats are everywhere in the Underhive, impossible to eradicate and always able to survive. These traits are held in high esteem in the lower depths, and gangs wishing to survive in the most inhospitable climes will often pray to Vermin to grant them the rat's ability to adapt and thrive. There is a certain piper I know who... Worships vermin. <laughs> oh, I got some more. I got some in the you post. Get, you got some more rats? That's awesome. Some more. That's cool. It's going to happen. Mate, I'm so close. I'm, so, I'm still like 75 away, but I'm closer. That's better than being 76 away. Exactly. Big tick of the box. <laughs> and finally, we have the last one, the best one, Stanks, the Saint of Knives. The knife is the most basic yet important part of any underhiver's equipment. They don't run out of ammo, they don't jam, and generally don't explode, taking your hand with them. He is the best god. And I think every, oh sorry, best saint, and I think every gang could worship Shanks. Oh. Okay. Okay. On the count of three, you're going to say a random saint, and I'm going to say a random gang. Right? Oh, yeah, right. Yep. And we have to, sorry, well, you have to come up with your, uh, or do you want to do the gang? Do you want to do the gang or the saint? I kind of already have set on the saint, so yeah, okay. I'll do the gang. Yeah. Okay, so you're, you're going to say the gang, and I'll say the saint? Mm-hmm. All right. One, two, three. Galakwa. Ooh. Oh. Galt with the Galakwa. Sort of works. 
Yeah, you you could have them mainly focused on their their profits. So, oh, changing coin change hands. I have to. Yeah, no, no, you, you, man, hundred percent. You do this yeah. as an outlaw, the Lark Gang. Yeah, so they've sort of been split away from the Psychoterica. Yep, they're lesser on the rankings. Yeah, and or hell, even their uh, their Psychoterica has been influenced by the word. And oh, yeah. their their focus, the word has told them that they have to amass coinage with which to purchase, uh, oh man, to, to purchase power. They somehow have to amass this fortune because with this fortune, it's going to allow them to to either arm or armor themselves to become more of a power to possibly fight their way back into the graces of the silent ones. Yeah, but if, they're, know, uh, if they're following a prophet, wouldn't they just donate the money to the prophet? Or maybe, maybe... No, 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 I got it. I got it, right? Okay. They're focused on gas trade, right? They, they oh, follow the prophet. I'm a they dummy, follow, yes. <laughs> they follow the prophet, but they're focused on the gas trade. And what they do is they try and generate as much income as possible to continue to fund... The pilgrimage but also to continue to fund themselves and yeah. over time they begin to grow and develop and the pro the word of the prophet is just as important as it was on day one but the the concept of having just almost inexhaustible uh coin inexhaustible financial resources becomes more of a a draw for them and that's one of the reasons why they begin to to uh worship gelt so they're, they're still worshipping like the prophet, that. but they're, they're like, guilt is the most important thing because we can do anything with this amount of money. We don't need the, the words of the psychoterica. We need the word of the prophet, but guilt is, the, our, is our main driving force. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Like gang idea. Get it done, All people. All right. So I'll do the gang this time. You do the saint. Okay. It could be anything except cultists and gene stealer cults. Okay. Oh, you wouldn't include nomads in this. Oh, you might. No, you can. You could. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Um, all right. Three, two, one. All Vermin. Ah, oh, perfect. Because <laughs> <laughs> exactly what they are. <laughs> um, oh, mate, this is, this is easy. I would go... An Orlock gang who has gone down, down, down hive, chasing, uh, you know, rumors of the sort of the mother load of raw metals and materials available down there. But as they're getting there, there's not a lot of food. You know, they're getting they're getting cuts and injuries and that sort of thing there. And so they're praying to vermin the ability to survive the hazardous environments they're going into beyond what your your regular Orlock is able to sort of fight back on. Like, yeah. Effectively, uh, like rat, like uh, rat, oh man, I'm basically just talking about rat skins here. Um, <laughs> like rat cloaks or they have like um, fetishes that were tails um, sort of like nailed to their armour. Yeah. So them praying to vermin being like, you know, these... These rats that we consume to sustain our life mm. are sent to us by you. Oh. Mm. That's cool. But like they would have 
uh, giant rats as part of their gang as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they're just, yep. they're followed by them and they keep them around. And the whole idea is that the if we can keep them around, uh, there's the small little injuries we get, the rats might even just nibble off that, that mutated finger or that you know, corrupted bit of skin that I have or diseased bit of skin, they'll they'll gnaw that off and if we pray to vermin that'll heal. Yeah. Oh yeah. You, you would basically need to hire as like or purchase as many uh what's the word? As many giant rat pets yeah. as possible. Yeah, oh. absolutely. And then as you say, like they have they they've got all the cloaks and so forth on them. But I I see them sorry. But I see them devolving a little bit as well. So the longer they're down there, the the less all all Lockean they would look. You know, yeah. they would become more feral looking, and they they embrace that because they say for us the cool concept of them is for us they look at the rats and they say if the rats can survive down here, if the scavies can survive down here, or whatever scummers can survive. Surely we can survive. We're House Orlock, you know. Yeah. We are um, king yeah. of kings. So as they study the rats, they begin to embrace the concept of how that rat lives down in the dark holes, and want to take on that that con- the, the the way they move, the way they function. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. See, and these are just these are just things we've sort of come up with there. Imagine yeah. if you put more than. Three seconds of thought into this process. Some of the games you can come up with. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've, I've got a good one, but I'll, I'll talk about it at the end of the next episode, I think. Oh, really? Yes. I'm picturing uh, Esher, who worships Shank, and you're literally going to have them as an army of maybe wild runners, super focused on close combat. Who's supposed to be surprised now? Was that it? No. Oh man. Oh man. This is course not. Oh, I would God. have felt so cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. I think we're done. I, I think we're done. Um, yeah. Closing thoughts. What do we think? Let's not do closing thoughts. We have got enough going on. No, just... no. I want eight words or less. Okay. Go again. Closing thoughts. All right. Closing thoughts. What do we think? I love this book. I think it's fantastic. Uh, it brings into Necromunda something that is not explored enough other than with Cordor. Religious craziness. Religious craziness. But it's the upheaval that we're seeing and also the fact that we are seeing some very, very alien and different concepts and personnel now open and active on Necromunda. So... Mm. I think it's, it's so far it's been my favourite out of the two. The Cinderac burning oh, is most okay. certainly the scene setter, but this is this is the Empire Strikes Back. This is the Two Towers part of the trilogy. It's the it's the real chunky bit. Okay, wow, big call. Um, Ruins of Yardland really needs to uh, work hard to keep to to keep Faults of Terminoth from being your absolute favourite. All right, yeah. cool. Um, Your thoughts, sir? What you I think? hated it. I hated it. I hated yeah. everything about it. Yeah. Um, I don't want to start a gang of knuckle boys at all <laughs> right now. Um, no, I'm with you, man. I love it. I think the 
the obvious Xenos slash chaos slash just insanity coming through is great. I, like you, am a huge fan of cults and worship and all that sort of insanity in the 41st millennium. And to see it no longer just as the realm of the Cordor and Redemptionists, but also do that Goliath gang who worship fire, do that Escher gang who worship, you know, the mistress of poison or whatever you want, or do that Orlock gang who worship the dust storms, like whatever. It's, it's insane. It's there. Do it. Like, yeah. Anything, anything that adds this sort of insanity to your games or your campaigns or your modeling or whatever Please, like this. This is what we need to see more of. Huge fan. And... Yeah, no, I absolutely love this book. Um, I just want to say to the people who wrote it and the people listening to our podcast, Shanks. God. Now, so once again, we are closing this episode here off with a quote. And if you've read this book, likely you've seen this quote before especially since it's on the first page. But here it is. Right underneath that beautiful seven-pointed star with a very angry bird skull on the front. From the emperor's bones drips the blood of saints. From the grave of faith rises the fallen of Necromunda. And that was our latest episode of the Underhive Lawkeepers podcast. I am Spamuel, and on behalf of the Lawkeeper team, thank you for listening. Please follow us on our social media pages available in the show notes, and don't forget to follow and review us on your preferred podcast platform. As always, if you have any questions, complaints, corrections, or if the fires of the one true faith burn brightly within your soul, please reach out to us at underhivelawkeepers at gmail.com. Thanks.